Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, welcome back to the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 285 of the show. It is time for chapter 10 of the Big Four Project as we have uh, come back from our, I wouldn't call it a break, so to speak. It was our trip down current lanes of travel in the world of professional wrestling as we took a couple episodes off to cover the ninth annual swaggy awards episodes uh part one and part two of those shows and i hope you guys really enjoyed those because they were excellent additions in their own right fantastic shows lots of fun working with the guys uh, who i've been working with for a long time obviously pc tunny dpp aj belaz kenny killa all those guys. But in this episode, we go back to the Big Four Project, and it is myself, it is PC Tunney, and it is DJ of the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. And on this chapter, chapter 10, we are jumping back into the fray, and we are covering uh, SummerSlam 1991 and Survivor Series 1991. So we are in the aftermath of WrestleMania 7, which we covered on uh, chapter 9, which of course saw the ultimate warrior retire the macho man randy savage or the macho king randy savage and we also saw hulk hogan become the first three-time wwf champion by defeating sergeant slaughter in the main event of wrestlemania 7 and so that's kind of where things pick up with this episode as we will do like we normally do we will cover uh summerslam 1991 in the first half uh take a commercial break come back and we'll do survivor series 1991 in the back half that I will come back with you guys after that is done in a section of the show that I think I'm going to start calling, um, you know, in, in honor of L.A. Night. I think we're going to call it. Let me talk to you. Because there's obviously a lot to talk about that has been going on in pro wrestling. And you'll hear some of it uh, happening, including a big 
big, huge moment that took place as we were recording the Big Four Project, the Survivor Series 1999-1991 recap. So you're going to hear that as we kind of go along here. And I mean, yeah, there's um, (laughs) certainly a lot to talk about that has taken place in the world of pro wrestling in the past few weeks. You know how we always do on the Big Four Project. We like to touch bases on the current product. And and we do that at the beginning of each of these uh, sub chapters, I guess you can call them here in chapter 10, where we talk about Survivor Series 91, SummerSlam 91. Um, And you're going to hear a lot of that. Also, right now, we're having a massive windstorm, damn near a hurricane (laughs) going on here in California. So if you hear some howling outside, it is just the wind has just absolutely dismantled everything in the state, basically, as I record this intro here on Sunday, February 4th. Um, Like I said, lots of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about it at the end of this thing. Um, Recap SummerSlam 91, recap Survivor Series 91, and kind of get into the... uh, let me talk to you part of this whole thing. So without belaboring the issue, because I do want to get into the uh, the reviews and, and kind of go from there and touch bases with things, we'll get some big form project music going here. Then we'll get into the recap of SummerSlam 1991, uh, which, as you will hear on the show, is still my favorite SummerSlam of all time. And I still think the best SummerSlam of all time. We'll have our first commercial break. We'll do the Survivor Series 91 recap, which is not nearly as good, but uh, we have a great conversation about that. And then we'll get into uh, let me talk to you. So with that being said, let's get some big four project music going, some big four music, so to speak, and get into the SummerSlam 91 review. I'll catch up with you guys on the backside of this. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Big Four Project here on the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. We have left the swaggies behind. Enough of this present day shit. It's time to go back in time and talk about stuff when wrestling was really good. Right, Tony? Yes. <laughs> oh, it it is uh it's been a little bit, you know, Tony, myself, DJ for like one. 20th to two, well, no, two 20th of the uh of the swaggy awards was there um and you know tutty and i and and kitty killa dpp aj blaz we had a great time going down the best of the best in pro wrestling from 2023 but we're back now to pick things up with the big four project where we left off um before we do that though like we normally do because we've talked about the current product for the last couple of weeks and at the beginning of these big four project sessions, I like to pick these guys' brains about some of the current stuff. There's a few things I just wanted to touch bases with you guys on that are going on. Stories are breaking. It seems like not a fucking week goes by now that something doesn't break loose in the world of professional wrestling that either requires an emergency podcast or at least some discussion or dissertation. 
Um, the first thing I want to ask you guys about is is a bit of a controversy, and I don't know, man. There's there's a lot of different opinions about this sort of thing. Um, I've heard some things both ways. On Dynamite this week, the AEW World Champion Samoa Joe hit Hook late in the match with a muscle buster. Hook kicks out at one, and everybody's lost their goddamn minds about this thing. I've watched the spot myself, and I know you guys don't really watch AEW that much, and and I watch it increasingly less, but um, <laughs> and I don't know if you guys saw the spot, but you know, we, we all know Joe and the muscle buster. We know what happened with Tyson. King. Um, we know it's his big finishing move. So big of a move that they really wouldn't let him do it in WWE. Once he got to the main roster, um, a guy like hook, you know, all the shit going on with Tony Khan and, and putting hook over and putting Jinder Mahal over inadvertently, that sort of thing. What do you guys think about? Cause I watched it back. I'll tell you what I think thought for, and then I, think from the standpoint of a storytelling and dramatic effect, I disagree with the decision to have him kick out at one. I think if you're trying to put hook over bigger, have him kick out at like two and eight tenths to create the dramatic moment and keep that going, keep that story going. But having him kick out at one and then basically go on to do not much more the rest of the match and then lose. I'm like, no, I don't think that I don't have a problem. Like a lot of people do with him doing it. I just think from a storytelling perspective, having him kick out at like two and nine tenths would have been a much bigger deal and much more dramatic and a better story being told. Um, DJ, I'll turn it over to you first. You're a pro ex ex professional wrestler, former wrestler from a storytelling perspective. Am I off base here? Or what do you think, man? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I was kind of trying to approach this because at first when I saw it, I'm like, okay, that's crap. That's the muscle buster. What are we doing? But then in context, my understanding was, and I've seen the clip, and I've seen some of the clips. I actually had a bigger problem with something a little at a different time in the match. But in context, I believe the muscle buster, muscle buster, if I can say it, occurred pretty early in the match. Yes, I thought it happened later on, but I'm not. I mean, yeah, my but- understanding, and I could be wrong because I have not. Let me be fair; have not watched the match in its entirety. I have watched clips. My understanding is that it happened relatively early which means Hook is still relatively fresh. And Joe didn't immediately go for the cover. Like he stood up, he rested, he posed, he looked at him. There was like at least a good three, maybe four seconds before Joe did a lackadaisical cover and Hook kicked out at one. And we talked about this on the Mindless Wrestling Podcast, which can be heard on Saturday mornings on the Chairshot Radio Network, on thechairshot.com. Remember to always use your head. Hey, it's better than Saturday morning cartoons, kids. I'm just throwing (laughs) that out there. But we did break this apart. And the way I equated it was Samoa Joe is not 2003 Samoa Joe. And I looked at this almost like when Roman Reigns wrestled The Undertaker. He was getting that that old lion, the old gunslinger who's slowing down. He can't quite pull the trigger as quickly. The shot's not quite on the mark anymore. Roman took that guy down, and that's the way I looked at Roman Reigns, or not Roman, uh, the other Samoan named Joe, um, and Hook. Um, Samoa Joe is 2024, not 2004 Samoa Joe. He's a little slower. He's a little older. The muscle buster doesn't have the same punch. It's early enough on in the match where Hook has still got a little bit of energy. He kicks out, makes him look good. After I looked at it like that, I didn't have as big a problem with it in the context of what they were doing in the match at the time. Fair enough. Tony, I don't know if you saw this. I know how much you love AEW, but I'm sure you've heard about it. Uh, you got any thoughts on this? Did they did they get it right or did they <laughs> screw the pooch on that one? I don't know. It was If Joe wasn't upset about it, who am I to tell him to not let Hook kick out it? 
one. I get where you're coming from. Um, I get what DJ's saying. I, you, do you want my honest opinion? Well, I don't want you to lie to me. I'm not. You don't girl- care. I'm not your girlfriend, Tony. <laughs> Goddamn it. I, I don't. I don't care at all. <laughs> Dude, that's what he was gonna say. I'm sorry. I love both of you. Well, we love you, and I love that I was able to call that spot. I knew it was coming. <laughs> There's DJ certain... and I are slutting it up together too much. I know we are. We yeah. have been way slutting it up a little too much. You guys are way too comfortable with it. I'm um, actually trying to slut it up with Greg right now, man. I think he's the only guy other than Aesop. I think he's the only one I haven't worked with. Well, Greg's a whore, so you just got to be careful about that. Yeah, actually, Greg is really hard to work with. To be honest with you, really? not that he's hard to work with, but. That guy has no free time whatsoever. Yeah, he doesn't. Exactly. Um, Other big story. Well, there's two more big stories. One of them just broke today. The other one broke last night, I guess. Um, Kazuchika Okada has indeed declared that he is not coming back to New Japan Pro Wrestling. I guess making Tanahashi president wasn't the best of moves after all, guys. Uh, Uh, Can I ask the first question? Sure. Do you mind or no? No. Take over, Tony. This is your show, too. No, no, no. I don't want to take over. I don't want to take over. I just, this is, I think this is I the question. Cede, I cede control to you. Listen, no, I don't want it. I just want to ask this one question. <laughs> Here's the thing. Seth Rollins gets hurt, we think. That's the other. That All right, tie these two together. We we are now getting reports that Seth has torn his MCL, partially torn Sorry. his meniscus. Jump the gun. It's all right. No, but they, it's I mean, part they, of this. They, I think it's part of this. They are yin and yang at this point as far as what's going on. Seth has, it's confirmed as far as it can be confirmed. Fightful gets a lot of shit wrong. This one seems like they've got it confirmed through multiple sources. Seth Rollins has torn his MCL and partially torn his meniscus. It's not as bad as the injury in 2015. It is very similar to the injury he had in 2017 when he wrestled our friend Samoa Joe. And um, he had a partial tear of the uh, MCL there. The meniscus was not involved. That's the difference that I'm hearing right now, that the difference between the two injuries was the meniscus was not damaged the last time. That's why he now from you guys all know what I do in the real world. I'm, you know, workers comp attorney. So all I do is look at medical records. I look at a lot of reports on knee injuries. Um, If there's a ligament to tear, it's the MCL, not the ACL. The meniscus is not that big of a deal from a stability standpoint. A lot of people don't even have it surgically repaired. So could it delay him past WrestleMania? Yes. Will it? I don't know. These guys are fucking super athletes. They're not us. You know, I see a lot of people who are gone for three years off of a torn meniscus in my line of work and like, wait, Seth came back, wrestled WrestleMania with a torn fucking meniscus and you can't go ahead and be a fucking cotton picker. Anyway, I digress. Um, Like you're saying, Seth is hurt. We don't know what's going to happen on Monday. He's going to make an announcement about the world championship. Uh, Kazuchika Okada is going to be a free agent at the end of January, which would seem to put the kibosh to any reports that he's going to appear at the rumble. Although I'm sure there are ways around that if they really wanted to. Um, yeah, Tony, go ahead. You were, you were starting to say something. I want to see where you're going with this. I got an idea, but I want to see what you're going to, where you're going. Well, uh, Okada, it, it is never said anything about leaving new Japan. They started a new angle that looked like it was going to go past the end of January. Recent, very recently, like in the last week, I believe. Um, you thought, you know, the TNA thing is easy because New Japan probably has no problem with Okada coming over to there if he stays and works in that contract. Hey, I get this many dates for TNA or even AEW because they've worked with both of them, right? I mean, but 
Now Seth gets hurt. And to even more confirm what you're saying, WrestleVotes, who's very damn reliable for the most part, like WrestleVotes doesn't even try to put too much information out. And when they do, they say, like, this is a caveat, you know, but it's pretty much confirmed that Seth is going to address this. So in the time between Okada not leaving, looking like very much so not leaving, Seth gets hurt. And in between that, now we have Okada saying he's not going to return to New Japan. <clears throat> You think the dollar amount offer went up from WWE? Absolutely. I yeah. So, I think. I think absolutely. That doesn't. Not that he's saying is it just coming to go to AEW? Maybe. Um. I TNA. I don't even know. Maybe. Maybe he's crazy enough to really want to do. I know he loves it there. Um. But uh, I, I think the WWE odds increased. The new the Royal Rumble thing. I don't know that New Japan gives a shit about WWE paying them to get out of those last four days, but maybe. Well, I mean, you look at historically where their contracts expire, right? You goddamn, can you imagine this year's Royal Rumble when that number three spot comes up? Everybody's going to be inching forward, thinking, "Oh shit, are we? Is this twenty sixteen all over again?" Right? AJ Styles had the same sort of situation. We thought, okay, he's a free agent. No one knew exactly when his contract ended. Nobody we knew, we suspected he'd sign with WWE. No one knew for sure. Number three in the Rumble, they could do so if he's really coming in. There's there's no doubt in my mind that late you're talking what four days <laughs> four days i don't see that being a big obstacle for wwe to come in here and say look we'll pay you the extra four fucking days let him out early so that he can show up in the rumble um it could be what i said in another group earlier is that i don't think there's a chance in hell tony khan allows this to happen there's this he's going to overpay whatever the cost is he's going to pay it because he cannot afford to have Kazuchika Okada go to WWE. That would be, you know, I mean, the AEW marks will go on and on and on about, oh, it's another, he snatched another one. And if Mercedes shows up, he's got her too. And none of it will really matter. It's like, congratulations, you've solidified your spot as number two for another year. Bravo. But, you know, me personally, I still think Sasha Banks shows up at the Rumble. And I don't think Okada goes to WWE. But like you're saying, Tony, there's certainly a much bigger chance now. A lot of things did kind of, you know, Seth gets hurt Monday. The next thing you know, Okada's like, and it makes like all the stuff that they did to ensure he would stay with Tanahashi and all that. Yeah, let's let's build block. Now, here's the thing before, before I turn it over to DJ. What if, you know, it's like WWE, what if now? What if that, exactly. <laughs> what if Captain Carter what? beat Kazuchika Okada's ass? No, what if um, everything. Yeah, they're uh, doing what if NFL today? What if the Tuck Rule didn't happen? Oh God! And then the Raiders dynasty is probably like one year and done. Um, now I, you know, if they're really trying to make WWE a more global brand and they're trying to gain some sort of traction in Japan, did they? do a deal with him that Tony Khan can't do. Tony can outbid. He can pay him whatever they want. He will overpay, pay much more than Triple H or Endeavor is probably willing to pay Okada. But what Tony Khan can't do is give Kazuchika Okada a platform where he can establish a global presence for the largest wrestling company in the world, in history, in Japan, <laughs> and expand that global reach. AEW can't do that. WWE can. So there may be more to this story than we're thinking. Maybe there's something going on between WWE. Who knows? They may be working with NJPW and like, wait, what? Um, I don't know. I think I agree with you, Tony. I think the chances increased dramatically. Just a lot of circumstantial evidence would suggest that, hmm, hey, wait a sec. 
something might be going on here. Um, yeah, it's just it's a question of what he wants to do. If it's all about the money, he's going to AEW because Tony Khan will outbid Triple H every day of the week. If there's something else going on, if there's something bigger happening, then yeah, you got to look at WWE and say, sure. I mean, TNA would be cool. That'd be fine, you know. And it, and if TNA gets them there, you're clearly number two. And AEW's got major problems, but uh, I I don't I don't know if he's ready to do that. I think it's WWE or AEW. My gut instinct says AEW, unless there is something else going on. DJ, what do you what do you think about this situation, man? This all kind of everything's happened today out of nowhere. Yeah, the last five days have been crazy between the injury with Seth, you know, Okada, you know, definitively saying, look, here's the deal. I'm not coming back to New Japan. Um, Man, this is I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's all going to come down to what does Okada want? If Okada just wants money and, and and to be fair, obviously with WWE, he's going to be a much larger global presence for his brand, but he can still do okay with that in AEW. They don't have quite the reach. They don't definitely don't have the audience, but he can still do fairly well for his brand there. Um, no doubt that Tony Khan will try to, if he hasn't already, he'll try to outbid whatever WWE's offering just so he can get that action figure in his, you know, in his pretend ring. So it, what I, I would love to see him go to WWE. I think the Rainmaker entrance would be amazing on the WrestleMania stage. Like, I think it would just be incredible to watch. And it's, it's custom made for that type of spectacle. So <clears throat> it's, yeah, this is, this is tough. And, and being a Seth Rollins fan, kind of looping back around to that, uh, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, this really sucks. If it's, really if it's bad enough to keep him out of WrestleMania, um, we're we're looking because they were obviously building towards you know him and Punk, and that's a major major match and potentially night one uh, main event match. And if he's legit injured, that's in jeopardy. Um, if it's not as severe as everyone's fearing, then you know you give the guy time off, let him rehab, let him ice it up, whatever he needs to do. So and, and you know Cody wrestled Seth in Hell in a Cell with a torn pec. Seth will push pull drag himself to WrestleMania. To wrestle CM Punk. I, I think there's a big difference, though, between the injuries, though, you know? I, yeah. Cody couldn't get more hurt. Seth can damage his knee further. He'll That's, wrap that sucker up and ice it up, and he'll have that, that sucker will he'll have, like, one leg. You you know what? So I grew up watching my dad play softball, and then I ended up playing softball. And the guys that I watched ended up watching me as old guys, and I was hurt. And they are like, oh, you should wrap that thing up so you can't even feel it. And I'm like, that's probably not the smartest thing. This is just softball. These are, these are, these are wrestlers, and they're not always the smartest guys in the world. We're, we're, and it's WrestleMania. I, I think he's out with a fucking... Some a big brace on his knee and crutches. I, I mean, think I think Seth does Seth does everything possible to get back in time. But you know, if he's going along in the build of WrestleMania as the fire that we think it is, let's let's say let's say for instance, you like Greg posted an idea that the match, the Rumble match, is now for the World Heavyweight <clears throat> Championship. Um, yeah, you know, and then like that either. You don't like that? No, the Royal Rumble is supposed to be for. Why can't you just wait and have a six man at the elimination chamber? Well, you could, you could do that. I mean, they, they've only done the put the championship on the line at the Rumble twice before. Um, twice, yeah. um, you know, and so this, I mean, it's it's unprecedented, it's uncharted sort of stuff. But let's say that they do that, you know, and you're building towards uh, Punk Cody, or maybe you throw a Priest in there somewhere along the way. Let's say Okada does 
do the unthinkable and signs with WWE. The rumor going around, one of the speculated things going around today that I absolutely love is the thought of him going against Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania with a legitimate shot. Okay, this is a guy who could dethrone Gunther. No one's going to bat an eyelash at it. And then it frees him up to go after Roman. So, you know, if they've dangled that, now that's another big carrot that WWE can dangle that Tony can't. It's like, hey, you want to end the longest Intercontinental Championship reign in history? We can't give you Roman yet. You understand. But we'll give you Gunther. And that'll be, that's a win-win. That's a solid foundation to start your WWE career yeah, is, is by defeating Gunther, ending that streak and taking over the Intercontinental Championship. That's not a bad, that's not a bad idea. He could do it. I think we're overlooking one thing and it doesn't necessarily pertain to exactly where we just ended there. It has more to do with you talking about Damian Priest because this just came into my head. Follow, don't, don't jump the gun on this because you probably will be able to after the first sentence. No. Don't we want Roman to give someone the best rub possible when he loses? Yes. Well, I'll be damned if you don't sit and think about it for a good 30, 45 seconds and don't come quickly to the conclusion that Damian Priest could definitely, like, I know it would have to be before passing Hogan, but if they don't give a shit about that, could you imagine Priest cashing in on Roman after he beats The Rock? Talk about putting someone up into the upper echelon that you know you can trust. I'm yeah. not saying it's going to happen, but I haven't heard well, anybody no. talk about him cashing in on Roman exactly. at all. Exactly. And everybody I, assumes that thing, because I think it would be huge, especially for a guy like Damian Priest, because who else is it? Like, I'm like sitting here going Dominic Mysterio. Why not next year's money in the bank or something like that? Like, this has to be big. Yeah, I think uh, nobody's expect. I mean, what's to stop him from cashing in on the fatal four way, you know, and may- at, at the Royal Rumble? If you really want to go down there, nothing's stopping him from doing that. I mean obviously you can't cash in at the rumble unless you cash in like right after the rumble's over, you know, and, and, you know, do that. Like, like, I don't know, but I, it's, it's, it's fun to speculate. We got a lot of, a lot of wild shit going on in, in WWE and AW and TNA and all over the place. Here's the thing though. If Seth has to relinquish the title, can't Damian Priest just cash it in with no one having the belt and just take it? <laughs> I, yeah. or does he say i want God, i want would, he's gonna catch i want i want that. my match right now anywhere, well there's no any time yeah that's <clears> true <throat> seth relinquishes the title he says i'm cashing in right now well there is no champion well then give it to me what a dick there's move the briefcase that... you get the briefcase i get the title there's even more heat yeah that what a dick move that would be that would be brilliant but uh or he comes out and cashes in before seth, seth is okay enough to get his ass fucking that but if he cashes in before Seth gets to talk, there you go. Yeah, there yeah, I, you that go. would be. He knows. He knows Seth is hurt. He knows he's got a torn MCL. Seth gets in the ring before he can even get the so microphone up. He doesn't have to relinquish. He doesn't. He doesn't have to relinquish the title. You don't have to have a tournament. You, this is the first title change. It's it's that is something right there. And Priest and Priest that's, just looks that's definitely at, a way out. Priest could look at him and say, "You can do this the easy way or the hard way." You can just hand me over the belt and forfeit this match, or I can hurt you permanently. <laughs> right, or right after the no, he says that when the when the bell's been rung, and you can hear that on a live mic, they'll turn the ring mic up a little bit, right? And Seth obviously says no, and then it's like a quick punch, kick, whatever it is you know the yeah, what the other it? crossroads and call it a night. The reckoning is, and the it, other it, crossroads. <laughs> what is what is, I, can't, I can't remember the what reckoning. Is. Okay, the reckoning. Yeah. I thought he had another one. End of days or something. That's no, that's, no, that's, that's Baron Corbin. Corbin. 
South of yeah, Heaven so. is like that choke slam. South city. of Heaven, there it is. So I don't know. It's exciting stuff. Oh my my wife's my wife's telling me she uh yeah it's not every day your favorite band comes out with a new album so Green Day's new album came out today I absolutely love it my wife's like yeah their new album was good listen to it at work I'm like good you know when these guys release an album with in a year ending in four it's usually like Dookie American Idiot now Saviors and I'm not gonna say it's as good as those two but it's pretty damn good anyway you guys ready to talk some classic stuff some some cool fun. Tony's so ready. I can tell he's just so ready. So, all right. On uh, this, this is why I love having PC Tunny here, folks. He 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 keeps me grounded. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what the hell's happening from one day to the next. All right. Oh, let's see. Where are we on this thing? Uh, all right. Gosh, all these updates. We are now on. Uh, this is so chapter ten of the Big Four project, and on this chapter, we are covering. SummerSlam 1991 and Survivor Series 1991. When last we left you, kiddies, Hulk Hogan had defeated Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania 7 to become the first ever three-time WWF WWE champion. And all seemed right in the world, right, guys? I mean, what could possibly go wrong from here? Hulk's the champ again. Slaughter's been vanquished, kind of, sort of. Tyranny's been shoved down everybody's throat. Iraq's been defeated in the real world. Ultimate Warrior had retired Macho King Randy Savage. Savage and Liz rode off in the sunset. It's a beautiful time in WWE, right? Yeah. It's very harmonious right now. Very harmonious. That lasts for about two months. And then the shit starts hitting the fan in the real world. Um, So they kind of fill in the gaps between WrestleMania 7 and where we're going to be at SummerSlam 1991. Um... You've got some stuff going on, and the big thing is we've talked about repeatedly during the Big Four project that, oh, this is before the steroid scandal. This is before the steroid scandal. Well, guys, it's time for the steroid scandal. We are here. The steroid scandal is upon us. Uh, George Sahorian was convicted of charges of illegal steroid distribution in July of 1991. This, of course, implicated a bunch of WWE people because... I guess some of these guys were using steroids in WWE in 1991. Are you guys shocked? You guys? Uh, no, not not at all. Tony's got his resting shock <laughs> face. Yeah, his resting shock face there. Uh, <laughs> this leads wow. to, I know, shocking, stunning. This is, however, going to lead to a pivotal moment in the history of WWE and the history of one Hulk Hogan. As he appears, he makes an appearance on the Arsenio Hall show to answer questions about steroid use in WWE. And notably, his own steroid use. Hogan lies his fucking ass off. And it's so bad. His lying is so bad. This kind of like telegraphs Hulk Hogan many years down the line lying again. Um, It's evident from anybody who's watched this can tell you are lying your fucking ass off, man. And this is the first time that you really get a chink in the armor of the Hulk Hogan persona for seven years training. Say your prayers, do your vitamins, believe in yourself, be the American superhero, be the the role model for kids everywhere. And after this interview, Hulk Hogan's not looked at that way so much anymore. You start seeing people peel back. This is where Hulkamania starts to die. The immortal Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania will live forever. In reality, Hulkamania, as we knew it, starts to die from this point forward because you start seeing people turn against Hulk. And it becomes much more evident after this interview. And people were like, dude, you lied your ass off. Vince's uh, hand is going to get forced here a little bit to start looking at different things and looking at different opportunities. One of those big opportunities 
comes along in the most inexplicable place possible. As also, as this steroid shit is going on, over in WCW, these fucking morons inexplicably not only fire Ric Flair, the pillar of your business, they fire him while he's still the WCW champion, which allows the big gold belt to start showing up on WWE television, even though Flair never signs with them until like September. But, you know, they're like, you know, everything's go ahead, Tony. So even back then, Flair was okay working night to night. Hey, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) He's got no, no, there's no agreement in place, but he's got the big gold belt. They try. I know like Jim Hurd or whoever the Crockett or whoever was in charge back then. I don't remember. Daryl probably know. DJ probably knows. Uh, But uh, they tried to get the belt back. Flair basically said, fuck you. (laughs) You The Flair bought it and they never paid him for it. So he took it with him. That's right. And it's 91, the Bill Watts era. It's one of the only. It's one of the only. I'd have to look I, it up, and I'm pretty sure '91 may have been the Bill Watts era. It's one of the only Ric Flair stories I truly believe that he paid ten grand to have that belt made, and that they never paid him for it. He allowed them to use it, and they fired him. And he said, "Guess what? This is mine." That's right. And guess where it's going to show up? Right here with yep. Bobby Heenan on WWE Superstars and shit. So once Big Gold shows up, you start to get the idea. Oh, okay. Ric Flair's coming in, this impossible scenario, this dream scenario that we all fantasized when we were kids back, well, DJ and I were kind of kids, more teenagers. Yeah. Uh, well, we were in our 20s, Ben. So, but a lot of other people, I mean, these things that these, yeah, thank you, Tony. We know you're a 10, asshole. But, you know, as as you're watching this thing back then, this was one of those dream scenarios that you never in a million years imagined it was going to happen. And the next thing you know, what the fuck? Ric Flair and WWF? What the hell is going on here? Then, to really screw things up even more, behind the scenes, our good friend, the Ultimate Warrior, begins his perilous path to self-destruction. As he starts making ridiculous demands, he wants 550000 just for showing up at <laughs> WrestleMania 7. He wants to be on equal footing with Hogan. He wants to be on equal footing with Savage. He wants all this big cut of merchandising deals. He then tells Vince McMahon he's not going to show up for SummerSlam 91, which we're about to review, unless Vince basically concedes and gives into his demands. Vince being the mad, poetic genius that he is. And I love the fact that he did this to this asshole. He says, sure, you get your I, I got it. But that's going to turn against the warrior at the end of SummerSlam 91, which we will talk about when we get there. Uh, it's a brilliant move by Vince McMahon. And it shows why, yes, he's a prick, but he's pretty smart, you know, and and, and all that stuff. Uh, also being brought in around this time is Sid Justice, also known as Sid Vicious from WCW, another uh, big time superstar that WCW fumbled. And the next, you know, he ends up in WWE and he's injected as the special guest referee for the match in hell, which is going to be Hogan and the Warrior teaming up, incredulously enough, against the Triangle of Terror, which is Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel, Colonel Mustafa, and General Adnan. And then, of course, we've got the match in heaven. You know, you got to end it on the high note with the macho man Randy Savage and Elizabeth getting married, kayfabe, even though they're still married in real life. But hey, who's counting, right? <laughs> Tony's not happy about this. Uh, it's, you know, and I will say this. SummerSlam 91 is is... A lot of a lot of feel good moments in this card, but that kind of sets the backdrop for this. You guys got any comments on on kind of the the backstory leading into uh, what I consider? I'll, I'll be upfront with you guys right now. 
it's still, in my opinion, one of, if not the best SummerSlams of all time. Um, and lots of fun stuff happening. Lots of weird shit going on behind the scenes, but in the ring, we'll see. Tony, you got any thoughts about the backstory and some of the craziness that's been going on for the, <laughs> ever since SummerSlam, WrestleMania 7 to here, four months later? It's like, wow, it seems like everything changed. It's crazy because you you wonder if this happened. Like, this, oh, man, none of this could happen now. You know, Macho Man couldn't be with Elizabeth. He would, he just wouldn't. Um, <laughs> you know, Hogan could obviously can't get away with the stuff he gets away with. Um, it's just, it's just a different time. It is a crazy, great storyline kind of show though. You know, you talk about exactly how we get to, you know, Savage and Elizabeth having the wedding, um, getting rid of basically squashing out the Sergeant Slaughter group now, right? Because the war's over. Um, and then of course, with the background of the steroid scandal, obviously this is a crazy time. Um, and I like to call him softball Sid because he's a big softball player. That's true. Just don't have him cut a live promo. You know, uh, you'll be all right. Oh, you're not half. I'm not half the man you are. And I got half the brains you do or something. like. Can that. I start over? We're live, pal. We're live, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I have half the brains that you do. DJ, your thoughts on um, stuff going on in WWE at this point in time leading into SummerSlam 91. That, that was a nice segue, him telling me I have half the brains that anybody else does, because he's absolutely correct. Did not direct that to you, sir. <laughs> absolutely correct. Uh, this was a fun SummerSlam. There's a lot going on. My absolute favorite, as we talk about the Warrior and you know his demands and Vince's final FU to that guy, It's is there a bigger FU than the last like minute or two of the match made in hell with Hogan and Sid standing in the ring and Hogan doing everything he can to pour money into Sid, Sid justice. He's got him out there doing the pose. He's playing with the crowd. If, if there was a bigger middle finger to the ultimate warrior than that, I defy you to point it to me because war Vince is basically like, you know what? Fuck that guy. Look what I've got standing in the ring now. Yeah. That, that does happen at the Great end where Hulk, Hulk ripping off the referee shirt and Sid looking at his own body. Like he's never seen it in a mirror or something. Come on, dude. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, Sid, Sid's going to be around for a while, but only for a little while this time. And then we'll see him later on down the line. But let's get into it, man. Let's talk about this card. August 26, 1991. Madison Square Garden. So you can't go wrong. We're in MSG, New York City. It's the second time SummerSlam's been there. This is only the fourth SummerSlam. And, you know, it's been there twice. Uh, love this announcing team. This is a fun one. Gorilla Monsoon, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. So you've got oodles of chemistry and really strong heel face dynamics. And then Piper just kind of like doesn't give a shit. He just does whatever he wants to do. And that's all right. Um, the that's, it works. Yeah, it does work. The opening match of SummerSlam 91 is um, this is a pretty interesting one. What a hell of a it's a six wait, man. Wait, wait, oh, oh, sorry. he's got to do wait, the thing. Was it Shane Douglas? Was Mr. Dark Match on here? Or who? No. Oh, we're still in the era of Coco Beachwear. Oh, Coco Beachwear is on the dark match. Who did he wrestle? He defeated Kato in seven minutes and 15 seconds. Shit, he Kato's won? Kato's still employed by WWE at this point. <laughs> he won? He's, he won. Coco Beachwear. That's, I mean, there, AJ, there you go. Trivia question. Coco Beachwear won the dark match at SummerSlam. That's shocking. I didn't think he actually won anymore, but 
I don't know. I, I you know my at this point at this point in the Big Four project, my questions are: Did Coco Beachwear win? Has Dino Bravo been gunned down for selling cigarettes yet? All right, I, now now I can't be laughing. You you transitioned from something I could laugh about to something we shouldn't know, laugh we about. Shouldn't. Right into the macabre. I know, it's but I can tell you it was funny. Months from Halloween. <laughs> we just got through Christmas. Jesus shouldn't have been smuggling them cigarettes. A damn camel lights. You know that's what you get, man. No filter. That, that, that story's been a slow burn on this podcast. It has. It has. And and I, I don't know when it happens, but we'll have to look it up just to pay our proper respects to Dino. He's been he's been a fucking cornerstone of the big four so far. So um on the opening match though, this is interesting. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is back. He last time we saw him was WrestleMania four. Uh now Ricky's back. It's been a few years. He's back. He's teaming up with the Texas Tornado Kerry Von Eric and the British Bulldog. And they take on Power and Glory and the Warlord with Slick. As we noted previously, Bulldog and Warlord are going to be entrenched with each other for quite some time. Here's like chapter two of that installment. Um, I thought as far as an opening match goes, it was a pretty good opening match. Uh, Steamboat takes a lot of punishment. In the end, though, Roma is going to get hit with a running power slam uh, by the British Bulldog, and then a flying body press by the Dragon. Ricky Steamboat gets the pin. The good guys in a recurrent theme here. The baby faces get the win at SummerSlam '91. Solid opening match. You got, you know, you got some. I, I love the face team here. Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Kerry Von Erich, Davy Boy Smith. That's that's a hell of a of a trio right there. Uh, DJ, what do you think of this opening matchup? I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, they were obviously, you know, had high aspirations for the British Bulldog. Kerry Von Eric was still very some somebody they were still trying to invest in. And then you've got the veteran in Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Great opener. You know, I, I had a lot of fun watching this one. Yeah, I agree. I love I love this opening match. It got the crowd involved. It got the it ratchets up the energy, especially where we're about to go. Um, and it's, yeah. it's, it's just, there's a large crescendo of increasing energy throughout this event. It just builds and builds and builds. What's up? I, I did have one side note, cause I made notes on this one for the first time in the history of me doing this with you guys. For I made the, notes, man, you are starting to become like us now. <laughs> I, I am. I'm turning into you guys. You guys are good influences. Why I like working with you guys. Uh, this whole pay-per-view, the mullets were incredible. Yes. And the mullets in this match were top notch. They are. That is that is absolutely true. You know, there's a there's a lot of mulleting going on. But uh, <laughs> Tony, what did you think of this opening contest here? Um, it's a it's a great TV. It's a great TV slash pay per view <clears throat> opener. Like get rid of the dark match kind of thing. Um, because you have a beautifully eclectic combination of faces on one side. Think about it. You have a Hawaiian, a, a Texan, and and an Englishman who sounds who like are bad, all sounds like a bad up. joke. <laughs> Yeah, well, into a <laughs> and, and they're all beloved in their own separate way, right? And it's not, and it's so easy to believe that those three guys would get along. And in addition, on the other side, whenever you have Slick around, I love it. Um, this was probably the third best match on the card, to be honest with you. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, there's some good ones here, but it, it's right up there. But um, to me, to me, to me. Well, I tell you what. Let's get to the best match on the card. And I don't think that it's, it's really disputable that this one is of the best, one of the best intercontinental matches of all time. All time. Absolutely. It is. And this is a crowning moment for one Brett, the hitman hardest. He takes on Mr. Perfect, who's got the coach with him. Bobby Heenan's not managing him anymore. He's got the coach. Brett, the hitman heart intercontinental <laughs> championship on the line. Like Tony says, 
one of the all-time great Intercontinental Championship matches between two guys completely familiar with each other, had worked together for years. And their chemistry in this match is simply phenomenal. I mean, it's tremendous. And you take into consideration the fact that Perfect has been out for most of the summer with a hurt back. And you can tell in this match, Perfect is not in the shape that he normally is. He's carrying a little bit of extra weight, but he delivers in every way possible. But, um, yeah, man, this match is so good. And there's so many unique moments in it that, that it, it, I mean, you couldn't solidify Bret Hart any more than this match. This match just stamps him in the public eye as not just a singles wrestler, but as a great singles wrestler and to keep an eye on him because he's the first guy who they tell a first guy on TV kicks out of the perfect plex. It had not happened before, or maybe Hogan did it. Uh, like, did he do it at the rumble? Perfect. Try to hit him with the perfect plex in the rumble and Hogan kicked out or something like that. But uh, I don't remember. I feel like I remember that happening, but I don't want to swear. To I, it. I know. I seen Hogan kick out of the perfect. Yeah, we we both saw that. But I I'm trying to remember if if like this it was one of those inexplicable things where Perfect t- tried to pin Hogan in a Rumble match. It seems like that happened last time. I don't know or some other time. But um, when Bret Hart kicks out of the perfect plex, though Bobby Heenan basically screams, "Nobody's ever kicked out of that move before." Which of course in 1991 WWF, if it didn't happen in the last two weeks, it's never happened before. So in Bobby's mind, that's true, but. Um, Brett does kick out of the perfect plex, unleashes this great, this awesome rally that perfect somehow survives. And, um, in this kind of iconic survivor series or not survivors, iconic SummerSlam moment as perfect seems to have control of the match. He's got Brett down. He's dropping that leg into his midsection. Then he does it one time too many and Brett will catch his leg. And in one of the all time great moves in Intercontinental Championship, wrestling, SummerSlam history. I don't know what the hell, whatever you want to call it. What he does here where he grabs that leg and as he's lying on his back, gets Perfect into the sharpshooter, flips him over and stands up and Perfect is submitting before Brett's even really up. And this is back in the days before people were tapping out. You had to verbally concede. Um, Perfect concedes, submits. Bret Hart is your new Intercontinental Champion. This is the first time that the Intercontinental Championship ever changed hands by way of submission. That's happened many times since then. But this is actually, I I was reading this, the first time that the IC title changes hands by way of submission. And it's it's just what, I mean, everything about the moment with Brett leaning all the way back as perfect as submitting, the Hitman music coming on, the places coming unglued, Brett basically ripping perfects like, his uh his singlet off his singlet yeah and just you know perfect standing there in his black underwear Brett throwing <laughs> throwing it at him goes into the crowd with his parents to celebrate the Intercontinental Championship it's perfectly done it is easily like Tony said it's easily the best match on the card it's one of the best Intercontinental Championship matches ever and it made Bret Hart a star and you see the trajectory where he's about to go you know all the shit going wrong with WWE. There is a fortuitous other side of this story, and Bret Hitman Hart is the fortuitous other side of that story because Hogan's demise creates Bret's opportunity, and boy, does he take it and run with it. Tony, to you first, you were very complimentary of this Intercontinental Championship match. It's one of the best of all time. Your thoughts on this thing? Why wouldn't it be? Think about it. Think about the ingredients, right? You have two of the best in-ring performers of all time. That's a great start. The amount of respect they have for each other 
being generational talent and having the most respect likely for each other's families and fathers, why wouldn't they want to give to each other? And these were guys who were known to give in the ring anyway to people that were, you know, dedicated, committed to putting out a good product and doing things the right way. So it's no surprise, but it was still just poetry in motion. I don't know how else to describe this because these are two of the best. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything Tony said. DJ, uh, what do you got to add to this iconic match at SummerSlam? I'm going to piggyback off what uh, Tony was saying just a minute ago uh, about giving. And, you know, obviously Brett took a lot of heat in this match. Perfect was in control for a large portion of it. But the parts where uh, Henning gave Bret Hart, he gave. Like, you can tell. He was like, okay, this kid is going to be the next kid. Let me give him everything I can. And the best part, the best part, because I didn't get it until years later. I remember watching the match originally, and I'm like, ah, that's crap. Mr. Perfect gave up before he ever even really got the move cinched in. Okay, that's that's uh, or 1991 me watching that as a fan. Looking back at it years later as a guy who was a worker and as a guy who's a bit more understanding of the story, as Perfect's getting set into the move from a storyline standpoint, he's like, this is going to really fucking hurt. I'm going to tap out before this guy really gets me in it and it hurts. That's putting the move over. Like That's telling the crowd this is going to hurt. This is a legitimate move, and I'm calling quits before it ever even he ever even locks it in completely. And that's so amazing, and I didn't catch that back then. That is a brilliant point because Perfect knew he was done. He was trapped yes. and was not getting out of that sharpshooter. And, you know, and it's nice. Brett, even, you know, even after Perfect submits, Brett still locks it in and wrenches it back there just for a little bit, just to give the crowd their money's worth and to, and to, and to put the move over. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you think about when, when, when Brett, a couple years from now, when he beats Ric Flair for the WF, WF, WWF championship in Saskatoon or wherever the fuck it was, similar yeah. situation. Flair submits and, and before the move is like, or, or not the move cinched in, but you just see yeah. Flair going no. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, you know, which puts but the move. That over nuance even. made the sharpshooter the single most dangerous finishing move of the early mid nineties. And, and, you know, it solidified it. Go ahead, Tony. I don't think anybody had more respect from the entire mm-hmm. locker room than Bret Hart did in this period. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, just didn't, even Sean, like, as much as they would fuck around and back when it came to time, they for the short time that they actually didn't like each other, which is an actual unbelievably unknown thing that these guys got along forever, and then they had this short period of time where they tussled, but... Everybody gave to Brett, like you said, because why wouldn't you give to Brett? He had a history of giving back, and he did. Yeah. I, ironically, we're about to get into in the in the upcoming chapters the a downtime in the business for WWE, and it's a shame that Brett Hart was the the guy during that time because that's ironically one of my favorite time periods. Of w- I was a huge Brett Hart mark. And that time period that Brett was the guy is one of my favorite eras of WWE programming. You guys and you guys talk like Tony talks about Brett and Sean. We're going to get into it not too long from now. You know, everybody talks about Montreal Screwjob '97 or WrestleMania 12, <laughs> the one-hour Iron Man. Dude, their first match is Survivor Series '92. That's just kind of thrown in there where Sean's the IC champ and Brett's the WWF champion. That first match that they have is tremendous, hands down, in my opinion, better than the Iron Man match. 
And I say that with no amount of hyperbole. It's it's different. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what it's you're saying. Different. It's a different sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. They get the job. They get the same job done, if not more, in half the time. Different outcome, but that's all right. You know, different outcome. That's all right. But... Brett needs to get a win over Sean. But Tunney's right. For most of their careers together, they got along very well. Politics then get involved. Uh, Brett's own head gets involved. Contracts. <clears throat> Sean is in a bad Sean's... place. Yes, I think that's a biggest part of it, right? So, but yeah, this is a this is a huge moment for you know Brett the Hitman Hart is the new Intercontinental Champion, and he's off and running with this thing, and we're in for a uh, a good a, 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 it's a kind of his first reign's pretty short, but you know it's still important to get him on the path towards greatness. So, um, going from there, we get the natural disasters with Jimmy Hart. And Jimmy Hart's going to be in the in the mix for a lot of weird shit with tag teams for the next year and a half or so. Uh, natural disasters with Jimmy Hart taking on the Bushwhackers, who come down to the ring with Andre the Giant. And this is this is the match I was thinking of. Like I know we talked about it in the, in the last chapter or one, somewhere where Andre comes down with the hand braces on. This is actually Andre's final WWE appearance in the United States. He's going to appear in like Canada or not Canada, Europe um, on something else, but. Um, Andre's body's failing him pretty quick at this point in time. You know, we're two years away from him passing away. Uh, things are going pretty bad for Andre. They kind of did a storyline. They played this up with like the natural like earthquake had injured Andre or something like that. But, you know, Andre does his best in this thing and it kind of makes it it's a game effort. I'll say that by the Bushwhackers. Um, ultimately, though, Earthquake is going to squash Luke with the earthquake to get the win. Post-match, the natural disasters want to go after Andre, who's holding that crutch like a weapon. Um, But the Legion of Doom shows up, and they put a stop to all this bullshit. Andre gets a couple of whacks at the uh, disasters with his his crutch. They flee, and so you you can tell, okay, Legion of Doom is about to get put over even bigger later on in the in the event but this is one of the few points in time one of the few parts of Su- SummerSlam 91 where the heels actually win but they kind of had to here the bushwhackers aren't beating the disasters uh tunny what do you think of this thing it's andre's last last televised appearance last wwe appearance in the united states um kind of sad to see well, it was very sad to see what's become of the giant you kind of see you kind of say, what are we doing here? But what are we doing here is Andre giving the rub to two tag teams that are kind of new to WWE or WWF at the time. Right. So I'm okay with it. The Bushwhackers just happened to be there. I'm sure Andre loved the Bushwhackers because the Bushwhackers probably treated Andre like he was just another person. And that's all Andre ever wanted. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do remember him getting over with, with the crutch and that worked. Uh, I wouldn't want to get hit with, by Andre with a crutch. I wouldn't want to get hit by Andre with a fucking uh, wet noodle. So there you go. Even even broken down Andre in 91. I don't want to get hit by him. Fuck that. If he, got, if he grabs you, you're no. done. For real. For real, ZZ grabs you, you're done. <laughs> yeah, it's all over. DJ, what do you think of this match? The disasters get the win. Andre gets a little. It's Like I said, the last time we're going to see him. Yeah, this is uh, knowing that is kind of bittersweet. Or the last time we're really going to see Andre in a big televised thing. I, I'm going to be honest. I had I was sports entertained by this match. Uh, the Bushwhackers. I will never accuse of being a great wrestling tag team. Like from like hold for hold. But looking back at it a little differently now, the Bushwhackers really were good at the job they were sent out there to do. 
And they they really got over with the crowd. They had a lot of fun. They were great at taking heat, and they were great at working the tag team match, cutting the ring in half, taking the heat, the hot tag. Um, really a lot of fun. Like I said, I'm not going to sit here and say this was like a a, a wrestling catches catch can spectacle. It was not, but it was a good sports entertainment spectacle. Do you guys think that they were the original ones to kind of fill that comedy role? Yes, they absolutely were. And at, at least in a certain was- way. Yeah, at least in a certain way. Like they were, they weren't, they weren't big. They weren't in shape. They looked tough. They looked rough. But they also came out and licked people's heads and whoa. The Bushwhackers is an interesting discussion because I grew up before the Bushwhackers. We had the Sheep Herders. Yep. And the Sheep Herders were violent. Yeah. They were like the precursor to what ECW would eventually be. And, you know, with the barbed wire, I saw them in a barbed wire, you know, tag team matches and a lot of blood and a lot of things like that. They were definitely brawlers. So that's what, and then when they got into WWE, there was a bit of a transition. I'm like, well, this sucks. You know, we're the sheep herders. But then after I realized what they were brought in for, they were really freaking good at that. I would love to have 2024 R-Truth meet the Bushwhackers well, from 1991. And that's the thing that I'm glad you brought it up, too, is that transition and the, the dichotomy between the two just made it even more funny. It was it was supposed yes. to be funny. Like they had lost it so much from being so bad that they turned to being charmingly good weirdos. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. DJ, you raised the great point there that, um, you know when they were the sheep herders and, and you look at kind of like from, from where they were as the sheep herders to where they end up as the bushwhackers and that just night and day showing Vince can, Vince can really work. Which one guys. made them more money? Oh, the bushwhackers. Absolutely. <laughs> at nobody, the end of the nobody, day, that's what matters. Nobody who sees these guys nowadays thinks of them as the sheep herders. It's just some forgotten yeah. side sort of thing, but uh, uh, you know, in the marching. Exactly. Uh, and I popped for that little headbutt thing where we wrapped the guy in the headlock and they did the battering ram. Battering I ram. just popped for that shit. Licking everybody in that's, sight. Yeah, that's like some Monty Python bullshit. Yes. Uh, the next segment ties into what we talked about earlier with uh, with Ric Flair because Bobby Heenan is going to show up outside of the uh, locker room, the dressing room, I should say, of the WWF champion Hulk Hogan with the big gold belt. And he makes a challenge to Hulk Hogan on behalf of the real world champion, Ric Flair. And he gets a door slammed in his, <laughs> which I thought was, was very, that was fun. You know, as you never see Hulk, but you know, you get to see Bobby and, and Bobby's all just, you know, nonplussed beside himself. You wouldn't do that if Ric Flair were standing here and he goes trundling off, goes back to the announce booth and grilling Rowdy, Roddy Piper have a good laugh at that. But yeah, I mean, anything about this, I mean, it's, it's just a fun little segment. But it, it, it does solidify the fact that Ric Flair is coming, as incredible as it seemed in 1991. Because it didn't test good at house shows is why we didn't get Hogan and Flair. It just doesn't make sense to me. Somebody had a bug up their ass about something. Like Vince was trying to stick it to somebody or something makes me think. Because there's no way that Vince couldn't have made money off of that. You can sit there and tell me that, well, New York or New York territory doesn't know who Ric Flair. Bite me. Right in the fucking ass. Fuck you. Here's a spoon. You can eat it while you're down there because that's bullshit. Right. Ric Flair was the National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Champion at some point. The the entirety of the United States of America knew who the fuck Ric Flair was. This is Vince. 
Yeah, you're telling me Civil War didn't come across Vince's mind and he wasn't biting at the chomping at the bit to do it? Like, come on. You've got enough balls to put their World Heavyweight Championship title belt on TV, but then you're going to come back in the same breath and say, no, not enough people know who Rick. Get the fuck out of (laughs) here. Stop it. I think you can say no. I, you know what? You're probably right. He probably pulled a not going to work for me, brother, because he probably, Vince probably wanted him to put Flair over, which is the right call in 1991-92. That is absolutely the right call to make because then you make more money in 93 in the rematch. But Hogan in 92, watching it all fall apart, when it comes crashing down, it definitely hurt inside. Hogan got in his feelings. Yeah, you should have Go ahead, Tony. They dominated the they dominated the wrestling scene on their own, but together in the eighties. They could have dominated the wrestling scene throughout the entire nineties together. Yes. And together. And together. Yeah. I, That's a what if. That's a what if. Yeah. What if Hogan and, and Flair had wrestled at WrestleMania eight? Yeah, I I mean, we're gonna talk about it the next chapter, you know, how they go about it. You know, you raise a good point, DJ, that was Vince like, look, Hulk, Hulk, I want you to put Flair over. And I, it doesn't matter how shitty the finish is, we're going to put him over. Because you look at what happens at the Rumble. Who's the belt go to? It goes to Flair. Hogan puts Flair over at 8. Flair puts Hogan over at 9. And Hogan beats Flair at 10. You had three years worth of bank you could have made. Right. But, you know, Hulk's image is getting tarnished. Flair's going to get disillusioned with WWE. Off we go. But... It's kind of fun while we get there. But anyway, you get the first dabblings of this whole Hogan flair sort of thing. And in this day and age, there's absolutely no chance in hell that that match does not happen at WrestleMania. <laughs> zero, zero yeah, chance. That's WrestleMania. That, that, that is your WrestleMania main event. Um, Triple H would have booked it. Oh, Vince would have booked it if he had the internet and social media at his benefit. Different story entirely. But yeah, getting back to the card, we get uh, one of the this is one of the best moments uh, of the whole thing. And, and and I actually love this match and it it's way better than it has any right to be. When you look at the people involved on the one hand, you've got, this is Tony's second best match. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're you know, you're not far off. If, if you're off at all, you might be right about that. Ted DiBiase. We know he can work. He's got sensational Sherry with him. DiBiase, one of the best technical wrestlers in WWF at this time. Dare I say ever taking on Virgil. Now it's a rematch from WrestleMania seven. The difference this time, though, is the million-dollar championship for one of the few times ever is on the line. This does not get put on the line all that often. And I got to say, it's an excellent match, and it's a fantastic story. The story is simply awesome that they tell in this match. Sherry's going to do everything she can to get DiBiase disqualified any time that he's in any kind of smidgen of trouble. Instead, she ends up getting injected. And that that's going to turn the match decidedly into Virgil's favor. But DiBiase remains in control of the match for most of it. He's dominating the match. It's no problem. Then he gets a little bit cocky, removes the turnbuckle off the top rope, and he's talking all this shit to Virgil. He's like, I'm going to smash your fucking head into this thing. Instead, Virgil reverses this and slams DiBiase headfirst into the exposed turnbuckle. And these two guys sell this fucking moment so well. And I got it. You got to give credit to Virgil in this moment. You know, whatever we might want to say about Virgil, Vincent, who cares? Him and DiBiase sell the finish of this match perfectly because they're both laying there. Virgil is basically just going to crawl over to DiBiase, 
gets the pin and captures the million dollar championship in a tremendous moment. I mean, like I said, it's one of the few times the million dollar championships ever been on the line. Um, it happens here at SummerSlam 91. Ted DiBiase puts his former bodyguard over in the biggest way possible, in the in the biggest moment possible. Virgil's a fucking champion and has a million dollar belt, at least for a little while. Tony, you said this was your second number two best match on the night, as far as you're concerned. In a, in a card that's stacked with some pretty good matches, that's a pretty good compliment. What about this match stood out for you that you have it so high on your list? Well... I, I mean, first and foremost, the, the the plan and the execution of the match is is wonderfully done by these guys. And and we talk about people wanting to work together like these. All three of these people want this to be excellent, uh, you know, and not to say that most other people involved in a match don't. But uh, two big things. One, the story and the and it and it directly correlates into the crowd being so into this it's ridiculous like it's the funnest part of the of the matches the fact that the crowd is just dying for ted to get his comeuppance and for virgil to finally have his day that's what this is all about and and we get it and it's 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 gold jerry it's gold exactly and the crowd willing virgil to make that cover at the end just like it's it's like you know rocky and apollo down at the end of rocky 2 and rocky trying to get up and uh, I stole something from DJ. Sorry. It's okay. It's, okay. it's all good. I was going to make that reference. You can, you can take it. You can take it. <laughs> no, I turned because it, it was I'll exactly stop. the I'll Rocky stop. two ending. It was, it was, it really, I, that's what I, I think back to it. It's this Virgil crawling over the crowd, willing him get to your, get on top. It's not get to your feet, but it's get on top of him. Get that arm, get something over him. And then that three count goes down and everybody explodes. Um, DJ, are you with Tony? Is this year? Is this the second best match on this card? Without question. And, and for all, and the Tony, the, the operative word is story. Um, and, and I'm going to call back to a couple things. One for me was uh, hindsight. And I'll get to that in a minute. The other one is um, giving. How giving was Ted DiBiase in this match? Like, I have treated this guy like shit for years. But, and the, the culmination of this is this guy is going to pin me for the thing I hold most precious in the world, which is the million dollar championship. And Ted was so giving in that entire match and, and really did everything he could to make Virgil a star, to get that crowd invested in it. Roddy Piper's playing his part out on the outside. Sherry's playing her part out on the outside. All the moving parts and pieces made this such a wonderful, wonderful, fun match. Easily my second second favorite. The other callback was something I said a minute ago in hindsight. It always pissed me off that the Million Dollar Championship was a championship that never got defended. Like this guy was just arbitrarily some champ that he, you know, he invented himself and he never defended it without understanding that that is something you defend in a moment. And the moment was this night, SummerSlam 1991 with Virgil winning it. It was absolutely the right call. It is a very special title. And the fact that it's not defended all the time, you know, I like DJ, I know I was talking to you earlier about my universe mode. Yeah. Million dollar titles, a, a <clears> staple on, on, on one of my brands. I get, get defended all the time, but in the real world, it is something that you don't want to see defended all the time. It should be an attraction. It should be like Brock or like Roman or something that, man, if this title's on the line, this is a big fucking deal. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I tend to agree with you guys. This was the second best match of the night and probably a better story. I would say marginally better story than Brett and Perfect, um, but not match. It was, it was more emotionally investing. 
Absolutely. Yeah, um, the hits keep coming, though, here at SummerSlam 91, because we go from this, and you're like, wow, how are we going to top this? The crowd's at a fever pitch. Then they go and do this match that, again, is so much better than it has any business being due to this stuff. And you got to give it up for the Mountie in this one. This is the Mountie versus the, with Jimmy Hart versus the big boss man. It's a jailhouse match. The loser's going to get taken away to a New York City jailhouse for the night. And they do this so well. And the Mountie talking all this shit to every New York cop in, in sight as he's on his way to the ring. And he's, you know, just saying everything that he possibly can to piss him off. I don't want you guys to be nice and gentle like you New York, New York cops usually are. And I'm like, I grew up on the East Coast. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what, what, what part of New York were yeah, you in, pal? What, what part of it? I don't know. Maybe the Greenwich Village cops are kind of yeah. nice. <laughs> but not where you are, pal. You're in Manhattan. Um, So he's talking all this shit. And the boss man, of course, is, is law and order and all that sort of stuff. And I tell you, man, it's a really solid match. And I like this thing. Mountie's going to kick out of the uh, the boss man slam, which was surprising because you didn't see anybody do that. You're like, oh, shit, what's going on? Um, but he's then going to get like the Mountie hits the boss man with a big time pal driver. Boss man sells it with the whole head rocking and all that sort of thing. Uh, but it's not enough to put him away. Uh, boss man is going to like hit this. Like, I think like Mountie goes for like a second pal driver, doesn't he? And Bossman counters this with this nasty, one of the nastiest Alabama slams I've ever seen in my life. He just grabs him by the like, just whips the shit out of him at full strength, um, gets the win. The Mountie, the Mountie's uh, booking and his processing at the New York City jail is absolutely fucking epic. I mean, you know, they, they couldn't, they just couldn't do anything wrong on this night. Even everything that could have gone wrong with this booking of the Mountie, you know, and I love that where they're trying to take his fingerprint, you know, he won't give me his finger. You want the finger? Here's the finger, you know, and it's like <laughs> so fucking good. And you got his Jacques Rougeau. God damn, he was awesome in this thing. Uh, DJ, I'll turn it over to you first on this one. Your thoughts. The match is, like I said, I think it's better than at any right being, but everything else going on, the comedic element, yeah. the story of it, all that shit. Brilliant all the way. Yeah, it really was. And I love how they didn't just tell the whole story all in one block. Yeah. They broke it up over the rest of the night. They were like little, you know, a minute here, a minute there. I thought it was really well done. The match again. But, but then again, are we really surprised? Because we've talked at length on this show about how good the Rougeos were as a tag team. And as individual wrestlers, they were very good as well. The boss man could go. Um, the chemistry the two guys had in the ring was really good. Seeing the, the you know, the United States police officer versus the Royal Mounted Canadian police officer was just it the story writes itself. It was a lot of fun. And it, it again, yeah, Jacques Rougeau was just epic throughout this whole night. Tony. It's not surprising that Jacques may have gotten a receipt from the boss man, considering the Rougeaus weren't the most popular fellows in the locker room. Um in the instance you bring up, but with the Alabama fun, slam. <laughs> yeah, a fun match. I mean, like two guys that know how to work their gimmicks. And obviously this is like a Vince wet dream, you know, Oh, what, what if, uh, what if an American police officer in a Mountie had a match, right? Like you just pointed out. So yeah, I mean, just, just fun, just great WWF, by the way, characters, sports entertainment. Yeah. I mean, come on now. This, this is, this is vintage WWF. So I a question for you guys. Nastiest Alabama slam you've ever seen. It's up there. 
It's got to be up there. It's up, it's up there. I think Bob Holly's got a few that might be better. Yeah, Bob Holly was a little stiff in the ring sometimes. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you'd be too if you you had to come out as Sparky Plug for a while. That might put some <laughs> no, fire cool. in your loins. Thurman Sparky Plug. We're going to get into that pretty soon. I think that's true. We get we get we get some Spark Plug, Bob Holly, Hardcore Holly, whatever. We're going to get More to the shadow. point where the back where Sonny was a hot and B not in prison. Oh, so, you know, <laughs> oh, my. oh my, from so, hot to hot mess in zero to 60. Damn it. DJ <laughs> just had to go there. Didn't you? <laughs> oh, and you're bitching at me about Dino Bravo. Okay. Uh, let's, let's go on now. Legion of doom. Sun, Sunny, Sunny's still alive. That's well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I guess. <laughs> Huh, that's what just... I do, DJ. It's what I do. It's what I do. <laughs> Somebody play Barry Horowitz. Yeah, there you go. Pat yourself on the back, pal. Um, he'll be having dark matches pretty soon, so Tony will be able oh, to. I can't wait. Um, Legion of Doom. We saw them earlier. They take on the Nasty Boys, who we know they ended the reign of the Heart Foundation and set Brett down the path at WrestleMania Seven. Um, this is it. The WWF Tag Team Championships on the line. No disqualification uh, match in this in this whole thing. It's interesting, though, in the midst of the steroid scandal, one of the casualties of this was Hawk. And Hawk had failed a drug test and he'd been suspended for most of the most of the summer. And I think like Animal was like doing random team ups with all these other teams and sort of sort of thing and and kind of doing his own thing, staying in shape. He somehow Hawk got suspended, but Animal didn't. I'm like, pretty sure they were using the same stuff, Vince. Uh, But. Hawk's a scapegoat, but you'd never know it because when Hawk comes back, he's welcome back with open arms. And in this match, which is, it's like I said, a no disqualification. This is all going to backfire, though, because Hawk is going to blast Jimmy Hart and both nasty boys with Jimmy's motorcycle helmet. Uh, Sags is then going to get hit with the Doomsday device. Legion of Doom captures the championships of the new WWF tag team champions. They make history. In the process, guys, they are the first and the only tag team to win the AWA, NWA, WWF Tag Team Champion. There's a reason why the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, whatever you might call them, are considered the greatest tag team of all time is because they're the only ones to pull this off. And they did it over a span of a decade and they saved WWF for last. Now... It wasn't a surprise. As soon as they came in, they were earmarked for the championship. And when you saw them earlier in the night, you knew they were going to win the championship. And Jerry Sags, you know, <laughs> you got to give him credit. He took a hell of a doomsday device, like we were saying on the last one. A lot of guys didn't want to take that move. Jerry said, give it to me, baby. He took it, took it like a champ. Legion of Doom wins the ch- tag team championships. That's what, third title to change hands in one night? Madison Square Garden's getting fed on this one. Tony, your thoughts on the uh, Legion of Doom making history and this match? It's no surprise that they wanted to and did sell for LOD here or, or Road Warriors or whatever you want to call them. Um, LOD, I believe, in, in WWE, right? Always. Um, because the Nasty Boys are Hogan's boys. They're gotta, they got to. That's why they're there. So they got to go out and work. Um, the match is okay. Uh, I have a question for you guys. What? Would the is the Legion of is are the Road Warriors in your top three tag teams of all time? Yes, I'll go for it. Yes, okay. I'm not sure. I haven't really thought about. That. See, I grew up on NWA 
AWA Road Warriors. So I think I've got them there because they could do anything. You know, if you wanted to wrestle, they could wrestle. If you wanted to brawl, they could brawl. They had they were as big as anybody. Like we talked about at the Rumble. The only team that only got, you know, they eliminated the Undertaker. And we were saying, well, it would take a team like the Road Warriors of the Legion of Doom to legitimately be like, oh, yeah, okay, they can eliminate the Undertaker. The boys could go. I mean, any any style of match, scaffold matches, bullshit scaffold matches with the Midnight Express, they could do that. You know, you wanted I mean, multiple multi-team tournaments in the same night, they could do that. Um, the fact that whatever they were, takes care, Whatever takes care of Jim Cornette is fine with me. <laughs> um the fact that they could adjust to three very distinct promotions and get to the top of all of them and be the only ones to do it. That goes a long way in my opinion. And that's not to say that the Steiners couldn't have done the same thing had AWA lasted or, or that the heart foundation or, you know, demolition or the British Bulldogs. Sure. But they didn't. And the Legion of doom did. So from that standpoint, from a historical standpoint, and just not just that, just their in ring skill, their resume, what they could do. Yeah, they're at least top three, in my opinion. Number one for you guys? I'd have to really think about that, but maybe. Um, okay. Just for there's all. anything wrong with that, I just, for me, it's, I would say they're top ten. All time, God, probably the Rock and Roll Express for reasons. I Because I grew up with the Rock and Roll Express. Again, I, I started with uh, NWA before I even knew WWF was a thing. So I go way back on some of this See, stuff. I, I've always felt that the Rock and Roll Express were overrated, but that's me. Um, you know, let me throw one out for you guys. Where do you put the Usos? Top ten. Yeah, top ten. Absolutely, I, I agree with Dave. Top ten. You know, and not and not number ten. No, 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 no. I understand. they're like I understand. I, I, the same thing with with New Day Road Warriors for me. Where do you put New yeah. Day? New Day top ten. I I would put them top I put, ten. I put the Usos at, at the I tag team too. of their generation. I would too. Yeah, but I think the like I'm saying, the Rock and Roll Express overrated. New Day is probably going to be when all said and done underrated. And yes. then you got and then you got the trio of of the Attitude Era, right? Yeah, the Edge, Edge and Christian, the Hardys and the Dudleys. Um, they have and, to be. They and, have to be in the top. Yeah, and then you've ten. got a fourth team that you don't even talk about because they weren't in the match. Is the New Age Outlaws? They've got to be in consideration. They, I don't. They, they well, fall below the ten for me. Yeah, you got to think the Heart Foundation still in there. Uh, talk, I would put demolition. Talk I, about demolition the, in them as a call. That's a, a whole. That's a whole episode hey, right there. Exactly. Boss. And I know, Tony, you don't like Cornette, but Midnight Express. You can't no, not I, talk I, about. No, it. you I, have to have a discussion a, that involves the Midnight a, Express. It's a Tony gimmick. I do like Cornette. Yeah. Like I like Cornette. Tony doesn't like Cornette. Like I'm stepping outside of Tony right now. I Cornette, very yeah. entertaining. Did you just talk Hold about on. yourself in the fifth person or what was that? <laughs> yeah, I broke the ninth wall. <laughs> and my head exploded. Uh this match was okay. I agree with Tony. I think it was okay. It was not a great overall match. I have a question. Why in the fuck was this a no DQ match when it was contested under almost regular tag team rules? Like, we had the ref in there. We had a, a person on the outside. It was, like, basically a regular tag team match where occasionally they used weapons and they went and fought on the outside, didn't get didn't get counted out. Like, I'm, the was stipulation street, was ridiculous. It was a street fight, wasn't it? Classified? There was no DQ. It was, okay. DJ's Which, right. There, and at at really, the end of the day, they're all the same match. It really didn't come into play other than Hawk getting to blast everybody in the face with the motorcycle helmet. And It, it was basically a stipulation for the finish. I think they, they made it that way so that, the you know, it would create the illusion, the possibility that the nasty boys could win this but match. Then again, 
through nefarious yeah, means. Those, those things weren't so exaggerated back then either, right? Like it was probably exactly what we just said. It was there so that they could have that finish, like you said. Yeah. It's, it's a great point to bring up, though. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of the it's one of the notes I made that stuck out at me with this match was why in the hell is this no DQ if the ref is telling people to get out of the ring because you're the illegal man? <laughs> I'm going to disqualify you even though I can't. We fleshed out the idea of exactly what they were doing back then. <laughs> why are we even tagging? We don't even have to. Let's just make it a tornado tag team match and call it. <laughs> We then get the next match is kind of like the lull, calm before the storm, sort of, sort of. IRS, Erwin R. Scheister. What's that, Tony? I think you caught it right with the adjective lull. Yeah, the lull and everything. Taking on Mr. Resting Heel Face himself, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Tony, that's all you, buddy. You made that. That's a baby face. That is you. You coined that bad boy. Mr. Resting Heel Face. Um Valentine dominates the match. It doesn't matter. IRS, also known as Mike Rotundo, uh, reverses a figure four into a small package. Jeez, where have we seen that before? Eddie gets the win. Uh, DJ, you got anything to say about this match? It's it's as basic as it gets. Uh, all I hear is Oprah Winfrey in the background going, you get on the SummerSlam card. You get on the SummerSlam card. You get on the SummerSlam card. That's what this, I get it. We have a big moment and a big match coming up. We need a little bit of a, Time for the fan, especially after the Legion of Doom match. We need somebody to catch your breath, go to the bathroom, grab another beer because the main event's coming. But at the same time, I'm like, why was this match on this card? Well, no, I mean, even though the Legion of Doom Nasty Boys match was okay, uh, the crowd fucking exploded for the. Oh, they did. They loved every minute of it. They loved it. it. So, yeah, you're right. They had to kind of get. All right. Let's calm down a little bit here and and get going. Um, Tony, you got any thoughts on Irwin and the hammer? No. Sounds like a <laughs> shitty eighties movie. That, was that sounds like an eighties movie. Irwin and the Hammer, and, and not and not that kind of movie. Yeah, <laughs> there's a title for DWI. Irwin and the Hammer. Remember that. <laughs> Send your hate mail to DPP. That's right. Uh, let's get into it. It's the it's the co-main event. The first one, the match made in hell. It is say it, say it right. The match made in hell. The match made in hell. It, it hurts me. <laughs> It Those are some pretty throat good throat. Vince uh, impersonations there, guys. Yeah. Sergeant Slaughter, General Atnon, Mustafa Ali. God damn it. And the best is the contradictory music behind it that's yeah. so calm and steady. <laughs> yeah. I know. It makes no fucking sense. But anyway, it's Slaughter, Adnan, and Mustafa taking on the Ultimate Warrior and the WWF champion Hulk Hogan with Sid Justice, the aforementioned one. As a special referee, um, <laughs> amidst all the fucking controversy going on backstage, Hulk and Warrior dominate the match, as you would expect. Uh, Warrior's last WWE appearance for probably around seven months is him chasing. The, it all ends with the Warrior chasing Adnan and Mustafa to the back with a chair. Meanwhile, Hulk Hogan blasts Slaughter in the face with some powder. I don't know if he got it from Tony Khan. Hopefully it was a different kind of powder. Hits him with the leg drop. Justice makes the three count. Post-match, like you guys were saying, Hogan is going after, because this is the fun part, Warrior runs in the back, gets immediately fired by Vince McMahon. <laughs> saying, and with that whole, that whole letter that he gave him, you held me up hostage, you made a big fucking mistake, you're gone. 
yeah, there's your fucking demands, asshole. Meanwhile, Hulk brings Sid back to the ring, and it is fucking stupid, though. Sid, Sid, yeah, there you go. Uh, Hulk, Tony showing all the, <laughs> all the posing. Uh, Sid can't pose to save his fucking life. Um, he can't do the, he's calling to the crowd. Yeah, we're watching this on Tony's phone. Hulk saying, look, brother. Here's how you got. This is the guy. Go. Yeah, this is this is who. We're, this is and Hulk's just like, God damn it! Listen, first of all, Sid tries to pose before Hogan even gives the ear. Like Sid doesn't. Sid can't even comprehend what Hogan does to the crowd here. Oh, it's so, <laughs> and, and it's so stupid, right? Like he when the, he gives a second ear, and then instead of going to pose after he gives him the stage, he goes and gives an ear. And like when it first like, starts, have you not watched this on TV? Did they not give him tape to watch? Before I all of this, I yeah, Sid uh, smash, Sid smash softball is all he cared about, and having a WrestleMania with Hogan—that was his life dreams. Yeah, it's it like it starts off with like Hogan calling for him and Sid peeking through the fucking curtain, looking all quizzical. It's like, goddamn, what are we doing? Like, me, <laughs> me, I'm the guy. I get to go. Yes, you asshole. We just fired this other asshole in the back. Got rid of him. Oh, I didn't know that was happening. Yes, you did. Now get your ass out of here, pose. <laughs> Or don't pose. Uh, yeah, I guess a new alliance is seemingly born here, but it really isn't. And you got it. You got to take your hat off to Hulk Hogan for trying to get this guy over in the midst of all this. I mean, utter chaos and bullshit going on backstage. Hulk's doing his best. Um, Sid just, you know, he's supposed to be like Sid Vicious, the man who's going to rule the world. Doesn't need to be posing to the kiddies right now. So, Tony. The match itself is just whatever because Hogan and Warrior beat the shit out of these guys and the war. Slaughter gets powder in the face. It's all an appropriate ending to this nonsense. Fine. We're done with it. Your thoughts. Say what you will about Hogan. I just did. But he will work he will he will work with anything as long as it makes money. Because his question to everybody is, okay, that's cool. So where do we go from there to make more money? Because we can't just make money on the first stop this has to be something that works the guy was pretty brilliant um and he found out right away that there was no money to be made with Sid. (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah there's not much to say about the match i mean good for sergeant slaughter um i mean that guy capitalized on everything life gave him and i i kudos to him um, what a what a run that comes to an end here. And as for Warrior, we've been talking about it since the beginning of the start of this run. You just didn't get it. Man, it's too bad. What could have been, right? I you I mean, what if what if what if what if Warrior what if? wasn't an asshole? There you go. There's what if wish. Warrior had twice the brain that, that he Sid, actually had. What if Warrior had more brains than Sid does, or did he? Uh, I don't. I mean, he 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 was smart enough to uh, look. I'll say the this. Match- the biggest match we never wanted warrior versus Sid. <clears throat> they were, they were building to that though. And then warrior got, they were, they were going to build to that. And then Sid took off and, you know, cause after WrestleMania eight, which is going to come up in the next chapter, they're building towards warrior and Sid, then Sid fucking bails and warriors off to do his deal with Savage at SummerSlam. And who knows? Um, no, you're absolutely right about Hulk Hogan. He was a brilliant businessman. You know, for all of his shortcomings in every other way, he saw the bigger picture better than anybody not named Vince McMahon. And I think, you know, he was like, look at this thing. Can we make some money with this guy? Shit, this guy's got the look. He's got everything. He's got talent. No charisma. 
And he, but he actually does have charisma, but not as a baby face. And that's where they fucked up. If they just brought Sid in as the world killer, the man who ruled the world and not dabbled with this baby face bullshit, you get a totally different story. What they should have done, what they should have done is when Hulk brought him out there, Sid should have hit him in the back of the fucking head with a chair. That would have been brilliant. What they should have done is had Sid pummel Andre and say, I'm coming for you next, Hogan. Andre would have probably put him over and probably would have done it at that point. But yeah, that would have been, I mean, yeah. What if, what if Sid turned on Hulk at SummerSlam 91? You're talking about something completely different in the midst of all this stuff. Warrior and Hulk are triumphant. And then all of a sudden, there you go. Sid just destroys Hulk Hogan, power bombs him multiple times. But you know, the problem was they wanted everybody to leave SummerSlam 91 feeling good. All the bullshit doesn't happen until the end. So let's let's get to the end. DJ, do you have any thoughts on this, on the whole situation? Uh, uh, just a couple quick things. Uh, one, how ironic is it that an angle that probably started with powder ended with powder? Um, you know, <laughs> What are you trying to say? Uh, not a thing, sir. <laughs> not a thing. Um, and yeah, it, again, I, I won't put over the, the, the person behind Hulk Hogan as a person, but the guy on TV, the guy who understood the business, Second only to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Ooh, yeah, what are you trying to say about my fanny pack? Yeah, fuck it. Uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It was uh, Tony Khan, that time traveling bastard, went back there and said, "Come here, Hulk, I got something for you." And uh, yes, sir, we're off and off and running. Uh, Vince left this laying on the on the uh, on the Vince, catering table here. You Vince need this? Look what Vince left for us. We got to snort it. I mean, you know, it's 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 here. We have to do it. Right. Listen, there's starving children in Africa. We can't let this go to waste. <laughs> hey, I got an idea. We are the world. Hey, I got an idea. There's starving. Well, we have the powder. That doesn't make sense, but sure. No, we've got starving kids in Africa. I got an idea. We'll do this powder. We'll send them Platt Balaz 2020 shirts. They'll never know the fucking difference. <laughs> yeah. Pop. Pop. P.O.P. <laughs> Way to go. You just popped the shit out of me right there. I'm here, I'm here for you, bro. Um, let's get to the, the fi- finale of SummerSlam '91 because we don't have a the main event's not a match; it's a marriage. Um, it's the match made in heaven. And I've got a note here, so let me rant for just briefly. It's not going to be a Kenny Killer level rant, but it'll just be my own rant. Peacock absolutely fucking sucks, and they they do this marriage, but the the they inexplicably the song for the when you watch it originally is this together forever it's this beautiful ballad and it's it's you, dj you remember seeing this whole thing live tony yes. probably remembers it seeing it live too this great musical interlude with with this tribute to liz and and macho man and and all the highs of of them going through this whole thing and getting back together to reconciliate and it's beautiful it's really beautiful and they replace it with some fucking bullshit because i don't know what peacock's fucking deal is I've never understood this. They got the network, but yet they don't have the rights to the same music that the network had because they got to replace like Ravishing Rick Rude's stripper theme song is not that, you know, it's like you see this. Were those Jim Johnson tunes? I like that, that ballad, was that a Jim no, Johnson tune? No, it was like somebody well-known. Somebody's. I mean, oh, I'd okay. look it up. It wasn't a Jim Johnson. It was like, Tony, you got any ideas who the person singing it? I- I don't, but maybe this was rights were only given to WWF at the time in Coliseum home video yeah. and not anything moving forward from it that. Was, it so. was, I watched it on the network and they had, well, that's WWF. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, I, I, I watched this on the network. I did. I did not watch this one live. Um, when I was this young, I could only get my dad to buy a few. I did not have a box that was a dark colored um, cable box. I don't want to say the actual thing <laughs> until years later. Nefarious um, means. I, that, your words. Um, <laughs> so I would watch. I would watch these by my cousins who would get them, and they'd tape them, and they would come over and watch them. And I'd have to listen to my cousin go, "Oh wait, well, watch what's going to happen here." And I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> I mean, the fact that the cock shit the bed, <laughs> the cock shit the bed, uh, shouldn't really surprise. <laughs> Dave, it's, like, been is that it's been downhill since we lost WWE Network. It has been. Yes. It really, it really has. I miss the network. I, I mean, I understand every reason, but. One of the greatest things I've ever experienced in my life was the WWE Network. Fact. It really was. I mean, it was seamless. It was perfect. Uh, you didn't have all this bullshit about replays. And it just, fuck. It, it was, it was, you know. <laughs> all right. It was easier to navigate. I'm sure the people in Europe still fucking appreciate it because they don't have to deal with the cock. <laughs> I would like to, I would, I really seriously, this is not a booking by Tony kind of thing trying to take credit for. I had it out with Peacock about them not posting their replays immediately. And by golly, if they didn't within two pay-per-views have those replays up within a half an hour of the next one's finished, I'm Thank sure you. it has nothing to do with me, but I'll take credit for that. Well, one. I, I would steer into that skid brother. I give you full credit. Take uh, your victory lap. Tony. Yes. <laughs> Here's your flowers. You have nothing to do with it, but you go ahead and run that lap, buddy. <laughs> um, despite my complaint about the music being absolute horseshit, the wedding is still, it's still mad. I mean, it's still everything that you remember. It's still macho man, Randy Savage with that immaculate suit and that fucking feather. That's 12 feet high standing there in the ring. Liz comes out waving at everybody looking beautiful you know, you look at this thing, you know that behind the scenes, this couple is having real world issues and are on their way to divorce. But you kind of get the feeling looking at them in this moment that they're into it. And maybe just for a few hours, they recaptured the, the feelings that they had for each other. And maybe maybe it was really cool. And then, of course, the Cobras come out at the reception. But we're, you know, we're not talking about that yet. Before you get into all that, and we're talking about their feelings while they're going through this, I think they're on two different ends of the spectrum. Randy's saying, "Oh, <clears throat> I'm back. I'm back in." Like she, like I, like I think, like this, like everything else that I've done wrong is going to be okay now. And I'm talking behind the the scene, and this is just me speculating on my personal experience, not necessarily I'm Randy and anything else, but like just knowing living life. And Liz is going. I'm really happy right now, but it's so sad because this is who I wanted and I'll never get that. And to make matters worse, to make matters worse, the shit going on backstage right before they come out is going to force Vince's hand. And, you know, you shut the hell up down there. Oh, ooh, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, Tony, he's talking to you. Not you, Tony. I'm talking to the dog. Um, no, I think the, the dog's with the run in. Yeah, the dog's Great with the run in. What the hell? The, um, I think, you know, with him having a fire warrior and then probably watching Sid fumble in the ring like he did, Vince goes to Randy Savage and basically says, I got to have you back. Because Savage did not want to come back. And Tony talked about it last chapter. We talked about Liz and Randy. Maybe there was a conversation where Liz is like, look, you step away from this fucking shit and we can work this thing out because you're a different person when you're around these assholes and you're just fucking crazy and that sort of thing. 
Um, and then the next thing you know, Vince is like, I need you back, Randy. And Randy's like, I really don't want to come back. I wanted to retire. Vince is like, I need you. And, you know, I'm sure Vince strong-armed Randy into doing something he didn't want to do. But that issue notwithstanding, money had a lot to do with it. The wedding is great. It's still a a, a magical moment in WWF history. Beautiful stuff. I mean, you know, unless you're a cold-hearted bastard like we all are. But, you know, it, it's still, it, it warmed my shrunken, shriveled, black little heart to watch these two who I've, you know, big four project. We've, we've talked about these guys forever and, you know, we've come full circle and here we are. DJ, your thoughts on the, on the match made in heaven, the great wedding between Randy and Liz. Uh, as a divorcee, I say, fuck that stuff. Um, but as what was presented on, <laughs> as what was presented on my TV, it really was a great moment. And I get it probably, when I say a top 10, I would argue that it's probably a top 10 all-time WWE moment. Uh, it was really, really well put together. All parties went all in on the whole thing. It's a wrestling wedding. You know it's going to end in some type of fuckery. But it it does, at the reception, does at the reception. But the moment in the ring was perfect. It was perfect. It was beautiful. Tony, are you, are you have anything heartwarming to say about this moment? I do. I do. This moment, I agree with DJ. It's a it's a it's a top moment in wrestling history, right? Because wrestling without the stories is not professional wrestling. It's just wrestling. Um, but it's just it's just weird, actually. Um, <laughs> think about this: Jay Lethal, one of the funniest things he ever did. He did Flair, but before he did Flair, he did Macho. And Jay Lethal, I'll never forget when, as Macho Lethal. Snake Roberts ruined my wedding. Come on now. That's the kind of legs this shit had. That's fucking yeah. impressive. Because that's 20, how many years later? Quite this is an, this is an all-time moment. It, it is. It, it's an all-time moment. And I mean, you know, I still remember. <laughs> it's, and and I love Randy staying in character through this, through this marriage. You know, do you take this woman to blah, blah, blah? Ooh, yeah. And then Liz kind of does her own, her own sort of. Oh yeah, sort of thing, you know. But it's in in Liz's sort of uh, way. But uh, yeah, I agree with you guys. It's it's you know you look at their reconciliation of WrestleMania seven leading into this. It's those are two of the greatest non wrestling moments in professional wrestling history, and I don't think that's up for debate. What what's great about it is this really is what you think is going to be the exclamation point of really a three year story. When you talk about the beginning of the 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 Hulk Hulkamaniacs, all through the implosion of the the Hulkamaniacs, you know the the, the him and Macho, the Mega Powers. Mega Powers. There you go. Sorry, you, I knew somebody would find it. I knew I was wrong. <laughs> but yeah, just this is supposed to be the exclamation point, and then that asshole Vince pulls him back in, and but it's still it's a beautiful transition. You know, politics and backstage shit aside. It's a beautiful transition from what should be the end of a story right into what ended up being a really, really good feud. Yeah. And I, I wonder, you know, because they didn't it's not like on the pay-per-view. And I remember this in 91. They didn't like go to the wedding reception after this whole thing was over. And, right. um, hey, I told you to shut the, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it went and during the broadcast. We didn't have this whole thing. They didn't go, like, go to the reception. That you didn't see. You, not, you do not cut that out of this show. Oh, no. That's staying in this shit. <laughs> Ooh, you little fucking furry bastard. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, no. We're creating content here, pals. 
Uh, but no, like the reception shows up like um, they show it like a week later. So it makes me wonder, did what happened with the warrior backstage? Did Vince get done? Fuck you. I'm firing your ass. You know what? We got to have a wedding reception. Yeah. And I got a great fucking idea. And Vince start the wheels. I'm sure they started turning the moment he told warrior to get the fuck out. And then next thing you know, here you go. A week later, you get the footage of the reception and everything's beautiful there as well. And everything's nice. And Liz is opening up these presents. And then all of a sudden, <gasps> what the fuck is this? And a cobra jumps out of the uh, of the box, even though it's probably more like a garter snake. But who's counting? Um, and all hell breaks loose. Undertaker smashes Randy over the head with the urn, lays him out. Jake's in there threatening Liz with the fucking snake. And we are off and running. And as DJ said, it is one of the best feuds in 1991 going into 1992. It brings Randy Savage back in. And, you know, right before Survivor Series 91, which we're going to cover on the second part of this chapter, you have, you know, talk about iconic moments. One of the most legit, frightening moments in WWE and professional wrestling history takes place like a week before that. And it changes everything. So, yeah, it, it, it's from the highest of highs to what the fuck just happened, you know, because you weren't nobody was expecting that there was no indication at all, at all leading into SummerSlam 91, that this was remotely on the fucking radar. Randy Randy Savage being involved in anything. And then the warrior forced Vince's hand. Tony. You said it all. <laughs> Thank you, I guess. I appreciate your support. <laughs> yeah, I, everything you just said, that's kind of, I was just waiting to add on, but you caught, you caught everything. Uh, I mean, it, it, it gets, for me, it, everything starts to pick up now. <laughs> Um, I think the cards moving forward to get a little tighter, which is, which is interesting. It might not be immediately, but I know once we get around to like late 92, 93, you're not seeing a lot of the bullshit. You're seeing more consistency across the card. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> with the notable exception of WrestleMania nine, um, there are some, you know, which we'll, we'll get into that as, is it as bad as everybody thinks? What if WrestleMania nine was better than we thought? Uh, but we'll we'll get into that later on. But that's it for SummerSlam 91. We end on this high moment, and then behind the scenes, all this bullshit's going on. And then, of course, Randy Savage is on his path towards reinstatement, which, you know, <laughs> it's funny to me. The guy who retired you is gone, so he can't object to you being reinstated. But we will go down that path as we go. But we're going to turn it over. It is now score time. I will turn it over to the one and only DJ, the man with the immaculate beard first. Scale of one to ten, your score for SummerSlam 1991. Um, God, man, I'm, this is tough. I, I want to give it an eight. There were a couple of <clears throat> there were a couple of low spots. I was a little let down with the overall match quality of the tag team championship match. So that kind of it took a ding for that. I, you know what? I'm going to give it an eight for storytelling alone. The DiBiase and Virgil was on point. The wedding was on point. Um, it, Hitman and you know Mr. Perfect, yeah, it's an eight. Tony, what do you got here? Six and a half. Six and a half. What? Good yeah. God! I mean, think about the entire thing. There's three good. There's three good matches, maybe four. But there's several good moments. There are, and that's why it gets the six and a half. Fuck! Wow! Rough crowd. Not for me. This gets a nine out of ten for me. This is, in my opinion, the wow. best SummerSlam of all time. Still to this day. 
it's got the greatest Intercontinental Championship match of all time. It's got a rare title change with Virgil and Ted DiBiase, which is a tremendous story. It's got a better-than-expected jailhouse match. It's got some comedic stuff with the Mountie going on. Legion of Doom makes history, even if the match wasn't all we thought it was going to be. You've got the whole drama with Hulk and the Warrior and all that shit. And then you got this beautiful marriage that takes place. It's got everything you want. It is the ultimate feel-good SummerSlam in history. That's indisputable. So it's always been one of my favorite. That Brett, that and the opening match was good. Brett, Mr. Perfect, really, that puts it on a different level for me. So sorry, Tony. Okay. I I, I know we got to wait to the Attitude Era for you to start doling out your Meltzer-ish five-star ratings and shit. But. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, this, this is Tony's new thing. Tony, it was a 6.5. It was a 9 in the Attitude Era. That's right. Come on. Tony's like, it had great had great matches, great moments. It was fantastic. Six and a half. But it sucked. <laughs> I didn't say that. I said six and a half. Uh, that's a above everything else that's been happening. Uh, that, that is kind of high for you. But so Fine, I'll give it a seven, all right? Leave all right me alone. There you go. I can almost live with all right, that. Happy? I'm Gee. I'm very I'm much happier. My my seven point one. Ooh. All right. My okay, Mr. O'Dowd. My inner child feels much better now. All right, now I'm insulted. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call you Bob Odenkirk for Christ's sake. Um <laughs> On this back half of this chapter of Chapter 10, we're going to cover Survivor Series 1991, which is the first one that is not all Survivor Series elimination matches. It's going to have the gravest challenge. The Undertaker will challenge Hulk Hogan for the WWF Championship. And boy, does that set off a clusterfuck of fuckery. (laughs) That is going to get a little bit crazy as we get into Chapter 11 and where that thing takes off. But, Tony, you you look like you wanted to say something. Something about fuckery, I'm sure. I'll just say that that non-brightly colored box starts now. Okay. I understand exactly what you're talking about, Captain Jack. Anyway. Just like, it, like yeah. And then, and good, thank God, because then, you know, it, it got used a lot quickly, if you know what I know, without saying. I, I know exactly what you're saying. But before you say it, before we get out done saying everything, let's go around. Tony, where can people check you out on social media, man? I would just encourage people to continue to check out Chairshot Radio Network. You can stream it on all your favorite platforms. It's where you can find all of our group of of crazy uh, Motley Crew podcasters come together to talk about sports, entertainment, and sports entertainment. And, and we all just love hanging out. And we feel like getting together is like going out, having a drink or getting a coffee and meeting up with the buddies and talking about what we love. And we just sit here and talk about what we love. And this show right here to me, and I just, and I, and I'll always be honest with people. This is starting to become one of my favorite things, if not my favorite thing to show up for. Um, The three of us just have so much fun and uh, the sidetracks are the best for me. (laughs) furry little bastards Ooh, that son of a bitch um, <laughs> speaking of motley crew let's talk to the man with the looks that kill dj where can people check oh. you out wow. oh. i like that he is a professional <laughs> podcaster what a sound bite that was that was good <laughs> shit dave dynamite very good shit uh you can check me out on the app formerly known as twitter at the mindless pod if you're so inclined to want to see my ugly mug we are on youtube the mindless wrestling podcast we're on facebook as well i hardly post there that's it hey talk stop, about running with stop the devil. shouting at the devil god damn it 
<laughs> well, as okay, yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to check out of here. It's time to do some Dr. Feelgood. Um, it's it's Motley Crue all the time. Every, guys, thank you so much for being a part of this chat and this segment of the Big Four Project Chapter hey, 10. That, what, Tommy? Look over there. What, Vince? Where? Hey, right there. <laughs> <laughs> girls, girls, girls. Knock them dead, kid. Anyway, we will be back pretty soon for Survivor Series 91, the back half of Chapter 10 of the Big Four Project. Guys, thank you so much. It is always a pleasure. We will catch you guys soon. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. All right, guys, welcome back to the second part of Chapter 10 of the Big Four Project, where PC Tunney, DJ, and I will discuss Survivor Series 1991, uh, Tunney's absolute favorite Survivor Series. Tunney loves Survivor Series. I mean, you, there's another fucking shirt on the chairshot.com. Tunney loves Survivor Series. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, no, that's that's. It's um, it's been another interesting week in professional wrestling. Every week lately is <laughs> it's an interesting week. A week ago, you know, we were in one place. Here we are a week later recording the back half of uh of chapter ten in Survivor Series ninety one. Nothing happened this week, right, guys? I mean, pretty quiet week in pro wrestling. Can I can I just uh, shout us out real quick because we've been doing a lot of really good work lately, uh, putting in a lot of time and and putting out a lot of great content. So I w- I just want to applaud everybody. Um, Attitude of aggression, uh, mindless wrestling podcast, Chair Shot Radio Network. 
Like, if you're looking for content to listen to good conversation about the road to WrestleMania right now, that's where you need to go. There is a lot, a lot to consume, and it's all really good. Sorry, Dave. I just no. That's that is absolutely one thousand percent correct. The part two, of the Swaggy Awards just came out on the Attitude oh, of Aggression. Yes. It's going to be dropping on hopefully the chair shot in the morning, which would be Saturday, as we're recording this, the day of the Royal Rumble. But I, you know, I'm being a little facetious when I say that nothing has happened this week in pro wrestling. That is that is absolute horseshit because it has been one hell of a week, guys. And it's the week started with big news. I mean, it seemed like we were on a massive upswing of, of wow, this is really great for WWE. This is the, as high as they're going to be. Tony's talking about it hasn't been this big since the Attitude Era. This feels like another boom period coming up. Absolutely right. They cut a deal with Netflix. $5 billion over, what, 10 years? Is that what it was? To have Monday Night Raw move to Netflix, of all things, uh, instead of you know one of the major cable stations that goes to Netflix. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, gets named to the board of directors for TKO. So, you know, it's the it's interestingly enough, The Rock and Triple H now ruling the world for real. And everything seems like it's going along very well. And it's like, wow, here we are. And on top of it all, this is the week of the Royal Rumble. Speculation continues to run rampant. Who's showing up? Who's not showing up? Who's going to debut? Who's winning? Who's going to WrestleMania? And then the bottom dropped out. And just... Like overnight, a lawsuit gets fired, filed by who's it? Janelle Grant. Is that the chick's name who uh, files this lawsuit against Vince McMahon? And while I won't get into it, I know like we talked about it last night on DWI. What was it? 413. It's not 420 yet. It may feel like 420, but it's not 420 I, yet. I, I'm, I've already started planning for it. So, yeah, yes, yeah. it's be a big day. Um, we didn't. Day. We didn't get into a lot of the more salacious and really disgusting details of what's been alleged. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, but the allegations are obviously very significant. We're talking sexual assault. We're talking rape. We're talking sexual trafficking. We're talking defecating on somebody's head. I, you know, Holy shit. Um, Vince McMahon, his, his camp finally came out. We were waiting for a response. They finally came out and they basically said, this is all bullshit. We will vigorously defend this. So there's no surprise there. Right. Um, but I think the big thing now that we're talking about, and I've seen this reported in other places as well, is we talked about it on DWI last night, whether there would be a post rumble press conference. That seems to be Sean Ross Sappish from Fightful has been talking about that. So credit to him um, as to What's going on? Justin Barrasso from Sports Illustrated, I think, actually did a post retracting some of the shit that he's been reporting, saying that he now thinks uh, WWE, and this is what I've been saying for how many months, guys, he thinks WWE is deliberately misleading these guys. I'm like, welcome to the world, SI. I I heard that Brad Shepard was the guy who leaked it with sources from WWE. Well, Brad Shepard doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. So I'm just saying that's what I read. I, I've read a lot of things. Shepard probably put that out there. Let me well, let I, me post preface. Let me post preface that first com- comment and pre preface the rest of my comments. Everything's alleged and yeah, we're right. just kind of talking about what we've read. So, right. you know, don't don't go looking to crucify Can't, us. We're just exactly. having a conversation about what we've read. We're not giving an opinion either way. But it it don't look fucking good, right? And and the interesting thing is whether Triple H is going to face the music, or I think if he does, it'll be like you said last night, Tony, or, or somebody said they will do it in a way that he can control the narrative. They will know who is in that room, 
and they are not going to let somebody in there who is going to come out and just drop some fucking bomb on them like kind of Tony Khan did at World's End and didn't regulate what was happening in that room again, and he looked like an asshole for it. Uh, I think Hunter's smarter than that. Whether they do that or not remains to be seen. Uh, I firmly believe that what, what Sports Illustrated is reporting is true. They now think that they're being misled in a lot of ways by WWE, and I'm like, you could have asked us. We would have told you this shit. We've been telling you this shit. You guys aren't the typical dirt sheet. You're Sports Illustrated. Get used. If you're going to cover this crap, get used to being fucked with. That's what they do. Um, But I think a bigger concern now is sponsors starting to leave. And there is a rumor going around today. Again, these are all allegations. It's rumor. It's innuendo. We don't know the truth. It seems plausible, though, that some of these sponsors are going to get the fuck out of here. Uh, Slim Jim, who's been with WWE since Macho Man Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah, snap into it. Yeah. Now they're talking about leaving WWE. Um, so I wanted to turn it over to you guys first without getting into all the details. We've talked about the Vince thing. So I don't know if we have to get into that because listen to like Tony saying all the great content on the chair shot. Your thoughts on the potential financial damage to WWE from sponsors, longtime sponsors deciding to say this looks bad for us to be involved with a company with these kind of allegations, even though they're not really alleged against WWE per se, just one guy and Brock Lesnar's involvement as well. And he seems to have been scrubbed from Royal Rumble as well. Um, what do you guys think about this situation? I'll go to DJ first. And, you know, it's it's concerning. Is there is there a risk that Netflix reevaluates this deal before the ink's dry and says, mm, you know what, never mind. We're the fuck out of here. Oh, God, that's tough. And like we talked about on DWI, this is such a tough conversation to have because right now all we know is what we've seen on Twitter, which classically is the worst possible place to be getting information because we don't know what's real. We don't know what's filtered. We don't know what's fabricated. So we're going, like Tony prefaced a few minutes ago, we're going with what we know by what we've seen. Um, I I think if there's any truth to any of these allegations, you know, it – one, getting Vince McMahon at least out of the picture is the smart move. The, the legalities of that may be a bit more difficult than just say, hey, here's the door and, you know, grab him by his collar and yank him out the door. It's not going to happen like that. But as sponsors look at this, they're absolutely going to drop out. The last I read is that the, the Slim Jim uh, dropping out of Royal Rumble was an official statement from someone at Slim Jim. Again, taking that at face value because I, I don't know anybody at Slim Jim and I have not seen an official Slim Jim statement release but yeah i think once like i I read some particulars on vince's contract with endeavor and it seems like he's got it pretty pretty ironclad but i have to think that if this starts hitting them financially and and sponsors make wrestling shows happen um if it starts hitting them in the in the in the in the uh the uh the board of directors and the investors and things like that they're going to have to seriously reevaluate this 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 thing i I don't think it affects the Netflix deal at all um, because, and like Dave, I think you said on DWI last night, ultimately I think this thing eventually ends up being like a, a slight black eye, but we move on from it. And I think once Vince McMahon's lawyers take a hold of things and we get into it deeper and deeper, this eventually just kind of quietly ends up under the rug with all the other dirt. Well, Vince's contract with Endeavor, and I kind of read parts of it, the only way you get him off the board is three one of three ways death resignation or incapacity now incapacity gets a little bit interesting how you define incapacity in this situation 
Uh, usually that means he can't make can't make decisions for himself. There is some legal latitude there that they can try and, and manipulate that wording a little bit to say he's incapacitated because he's he's unavailable. I mean, if he gets imprisoned and he, stressing again, no criminal charges against Vince McMahon have been brought as of yet. I'm sure people are looking into it. I'm sure the authorities are looking into it and doing their own investigation. And that's where I think a lot of this stuff ends up kind of quietly going away in one fashion or another. But um, yeah, it's 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 for a company who is making record profits and just cut one of the biggest TV deals of all time. And I, I, I want to say I especially love the Chris Jericho supporters trying to spin this. Oh, in, Jesus. in their own way and, and Jericho like you know liking a, a really off-color tweet and then unliking it uh that <laughs> you know and whatever <clears throat> the situation is with Jericho and Kaylee Ray is is this is its own story but Tony your thoughts on um Slim Jim prob- possibly maybe even probably backing away from WWE um you know I think we talked about it last on a DWI companies like Snickers what's going to happen with them they've been a long time supporter of of WWE, you know, is, is this a, a bigger deal? How does Endeavor, they got to be on, no, not the tag team faction damage control, but they've got to be on pretty big damage control right about now. Does somebody that ordinarily buys a Slim Jim not buy a Slim Jim now because Slim Jim was the sponsor at Royal Rumble this weekend? Dude, here's what I wonder. <laughs> you guys have seen him, right? The savage, Let me ask the, the savage Slim Jims, the Dave. one with Macho Man on there, the big fucking four five dollar Slim. Okay, now that's going to be sad if that goes away. But you know, Randy wasn't exactly Mister Squeaky Clean either. So well, we're talking about an industry that has historically not been squeaky clean. You right. know, and, and I think I may have said this on DWI, or I may have said it in a private chat. If the list of people who have done salacious things in the wrestling industry ever came out, Bubba. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Give me a fucking break. Well, I mean, that's the thing. There's there's history to this. This doesn't just all of a sudden happen like this if the allegations are all true, right? Like the 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 one thing that leaves doubt in my mind is is all this AI work that you see nowadays, right? Um, so I'm not listen. I'm not saying that there isn't already some really bad stuff that has been done and proven and 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 known, and and I'm not saying that this couldn't be true. I just don't know 100% because there are things out there, but usually where there's smoke, there's fire. And yeah, it's not good. I, I don't really want to talk about the specifics, but uh, But we'd be remiss not to at least talk about the ramifications of the situation. Oh no, no, not at all. The Netflix thing. I think that's the, I, the problem is, is with all these sponsors and people getting into business with them, this isn't going long term. This isn't going to hurt your investment with with this company and what they're doing. Let yeah. me tell you, you're gonna get through this. You 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 should you should re up your ante right now at a low point. You should buy low right now. They're not low that's though. Much I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's how much I believe in the union that they just made under TKO, and that's how much I believe in Hunter, because I really think now more than ever we're going to look to him to be in control of every fucking detail. And I think he set up his own army to be able to do that. I, I look at this kind of like the the Harvey Weinstein situation. It was Weinstein, right, that got himself into big legal trouble for all the nastiness he pulled? Epstein. Harvey? No, no, no. The the, the, uh, the producer. Harvey Not Weinstein. Epstein. Oh, yeah, yeah. Harvey Weinstein. Right. Weinstein. Yeah. Yeah, it, people had to have known 
how he got down for decades, and they still kept working with him. Nobody bailed on him until something legal dropped the hammer and he got arrested. Like, they can't tell me that nobody knew until the cops showed up what he was doing and how he got down. Somebody knew, everybody knew, nobody said shit, nobody said boo, and then all of a sudden the legal, the, you know, the police showed up and they're like, oh yeah, we've known this for years and he's a terrible guy. And then everybody turned on him. I think it's a similar situation with Vince. I think a lot of people have known for a long time, or at least a circle of people have known for a long time, but unless something legal, until he gets arrested, we, we may be dealing with him for a long time. I mean, if the stories that, I'm sorry, Dave, uh, real quick, but if the, the, the text message stuff you've read and like the situations that, that, that certain people have been put in, there's going to be jail time. There should be if it's legit. And a whole, a whole lot of it. Yeah. Enough to be enough to not have him ever be alive outside of jail time ever again. Yeah, if, you know, I mean, yeah, the stuff that... If it's, if it's true, if some of the worst stuff is true. Yeah, if some of the worst stuff is true, rape, gang rape, sexual trafficking, uh, there's all sorts of stuff that, that, you know, but like going back to Slim Jim, when I read today that, you know, they may leave the Royal Rumble and, and they may leave their partnership with WWE, the first thing I thought of, DJ, you'll appreciate this. Remember in Watchmen, when, you know, uh, when they're on Mars... And Dr. Manhattan's talking to Scarlet, Silk, Scarlet, whatever the hell her name was. And he's yeah. like, she's like, John, they're, they're, the human, it's going to wipe out the human race. And his response was, and the universe won't even notice. And that's what I felt like. Slim Jim walks away from WWE, the universe won't even notice. They won't notice. Yeah. It'll make zero difference to them. They'll find three other sponsors to take their place. So, yeah, I mean, and Slim Jim, it's like, you guys haven't exactly been the fucking shining beacon for women's rights over your your history, have you? So why are we getting all offended by I, I mean, granted, it's offensive, but it's highly offensive. But Slim Jim dying on this hill, I when all that shit's been out there for wait, Vince, all the shit that came out last year wasn't enough. Uh, all the stuff that's happened well, over the years wasn't enough. But now we're seeing details before it was just, hey, Vince may have done some nasty stuff. Now we have in black and white what the nasty stuff may have been. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you knew something had gone. You don't pay these women fourteen million in hush money if some serious shit didn't go down. So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and and the rumor is that, and I think the three number is 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 more accurate than the five number that was also floated out there. Um, but the rumor has it is why this comes out now is that. The money stopped coming in after a million was paid out. Yeah, and that's a mistake. I mean, if you agreed to three million and you stopped after one, you have breached the agreement. And now all this shit has came out. And I, I have a feeling that you'll see they'll say we didn't stop paying any money and therefore you breached the NDA and now they're going to counter sue her. And that's how this all goes away. So that's that's your legal minute here on the Attitude of Aggression Wrestling Podcast. Um, Royal Rumble tomorrow taking place. We've talked about it on the DWI podcast last night. It took us an hour and a half to get there, but it was worth the wait, you know, so we'll get there a lot quicker today. Uh, DJ, I'll go to you first again. Let's do it this way. Your biggest surprise that you're waiting for surprise entrant from each rumble and who you think is going to win. It's a day later. So let's go in that way. Men, let's start with the women. Who's your biggest surprise entrant that you're expecting? tomorrow? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say AJ Lee is my surprise, and I'm sticking with Paige to win. I'm not, I haven't changed on that. Wait, who? 
Uh, not Paige. God damn it, Bailey. I need another drink. Bailey. Like, God damn, sir. Because I was saying, yeah, Soraya showing Bailey, up. Now, Bailey. That would be a real big surprise. Yeah. That would be a big coup on their part, wouldn't it? Paige shows up as Paige, and she wins. I'm I'm with you, DJ. That would be cool. I haven't that drunk yet here. I know. Ba- uh, ba- Bailey. Dadass. 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 Uh, Tunny, who's your female biggest surprise you're expecting to show up, and who wins this thing? Oh man, I I I would uh, I'd be okay with Michelle McCool making another surprise appearance. Um, I, surprise on the way. I I know there's there's supposed to be a lot of surprises. I'll tell you. I think Becky wins. Um, Mickey James, how's that? That'd be cool. Um, for Comes me, out with a garbage over over like a poncho, <laughs> then takes she it, did it last year. She came out with the T the Knockouts title to Hard Country, so or whatever the fuck it's called. I'm sticking with what I said on DWI last night. I think Sasha Banks returns. I think she wins Sash. the whole fucking thing. Right. Yeah, well, she, I mean, she it, it looks like it on her thing. Yeah, I the the, the idiots in the in the mud still, uh, you know, with the bed sheets, they they still think that she's uh, already got an AEW contract. Yeah, right. I God, I, that's, that's, that's the biggest bullshit. reason why I want her to show up Saturday night. If she, if she, if so I can run a victory lap. <laughs> Trin is Trin is basically guaranteed to come back. I think so she's a lot. Naomi, yeah. yeah, for sure. So it, that's why, like, that leads me to believe Sash's coming back. Bailey's been seen hanging out with her. She's changed her page to her name from New Japan and Stardom. Um, like her her Twitter bio is uh, Mercedes Monet Vernado New Japan slash Stardom Sasha Banks WWE uh, Casca Reeves mandalorian yeah, right like right. In, it, there's isn't a bigger fucking and she liked a tweet that someone who's verified said see you saturday happy birthday i mean come on yeah and i mean her music her songs back on spotify in the wwe section they've updated her profile here's the thing Somebody... if she had signed with aw you don't think that tony khan would have fucking marched her out there between now and and or between he men and already now. had her on TV. Absolutely. With all the problems that AEW is having every, all the shitstorm that they're facing less than 2000 people showing up at dynamite. If you have her, you fucking use her. There is no reason to hold her for revolution. None. And, and you've got to turn that around. And if you're Tony Khan and you've got her signed, he would have had her out there. So I think, yeah, she's showing up reverse order men's Royal rumble. Uh, biggest surprise on that I think is going to show up in the men's rumble. Oh man. I am trying to think who's out there. Um, did you, hear, did huh? you hear the, did you hear the, the quote? No. What quote? Looks like I'm going to have to up my scarf game. Oh, <laughs> look, if MJF shows up, that place will come unglued, man. I, it, it, oh. it, I mean, and, and he could, if he has really left AEW, then they're done. That's it's they, over. Tony will die in a cloud of powder. Yeah, and, between and, Saturday night and Sunday morning, they would go from two to possibly four. And I mean, you would have to look at guys like Brian Danielson and Edge going, "What? What the fuck is happening here?" Um, I know the Vince stuff is going on, but hopefully, someone as young and talented as MJF is would realize that the WWE is like a four hundred one k or an IRA. The sooner you get in, the more money you're going to make in 20 years. They're not going anywhere. And they're too big to fail. It's not like AEW. You know, WWE is way yeah. too big to fail. No matter the shitstorm <clears throat> that comes from this, sooner or later, Vince will be gone, and it'll just be Endeavor and all these guys. And and they've pre-disassociated themselves already from him. Basically, they, they're just keeping him around so they can... They've known... Like, 
it's been a placation. They've known this was coming. Um, I, I still think MJF's probably re-signed with AEW. Um, but is it, I mean, this would be the, everybody's like, well, even if he has signed, he can't show up because he's hurt. This is a perfect match for him to show up in. He doesn't have to do much. You show up in the rumble, rumble. you show up at the rumble, you make an impact, you eliminate some people, uh, you get eliminated. We don't see you for a couple months while you rehab and then you show up at WrestleMania and here you are. So, uh, number one, I don't think it'll be number one, but (laughs) number one. Uh, it's uh, I would say Okada would be the biggest surprise that I'm looking for that has a little bit more legs to it. I know he showed up in TNA recently, so he's kind of making the rounds at some of these other organizations. So, yeah, possibly. But I still think it's CM Punk's rumble to to lose at this point. Um, Tony, what do you think, man? Yeah, Gunther's uh, the red herring, if you will want to throw that out there. Um, if that happens, like, I'm I'm okay with the whole, but like... This year, more than any, I'm not like sitting here, like going, like I already got my CM Punk prediction taken care of, you know, literally been throwing that stupid fucking thing. The best of the world returns to raw for like 10 fucking years. Like you haven't been able to do that since he came back. But like a jackass though, like I, I knew like the rest of you and felt the same way. He wasn't ever coming back. And then all of a sudden he did. And I popped bigger than anybody. So like. It's just you, you kind of put the work in on something, and I just don't think it's time for Gunther. Um, I agree with Dave. I, I think it's punk. I think Paul Heyman's comments on certain shows outside of the WWE arena, but still as Paul Heyman, have led you to believe that whoever wins the Royal Rumble is going to face Seth Rollins. So uh, it's possible that Roman goes on last and The Rock comes out as well as Seth comes out after Punk wins the Rumble so that both matches are set tomorrow night. Ooh, man. Oh, God. Tony, you got me thinking about MJF. Just, just, it, I, know, I don't even know if they, if they could use his music, but I don't know if his music's trademarked or not. But, man, Here's the thing. just the MJ, if, like, remember when AJ came out? Just the MJF on the screen. That place would fucking lose it. There's a perfect thing for MJF to do at the Rumble and be healthy enough by WrestleMania, and that's eliminate Gunther and oh take his IC championship. Re- Think about that. Think about that by Tunney. Yeah, you don't. I know. Like yesterday, you were kidding around saying he shows up and beats Roman. I don't. We don't think. But Gunther is a really big get, and if it's <clears throat> Okada's not going, then why not? Right. Eliminate or Okada eliminates Gunther and beats him at WrestleMania. Those are two prime spots. Like that's what the spot for Gunther is. Ooh. That close, man. I DJ, who do you got before I make one final comment about the Rumble? Um, I, I Okada. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out on a limb and saying Okada is going to be my surprise. And I can't disagree with you guys. CM Punk's this is his match. You know, it's, it, it, they've thrown it out there. I think it was Ray Cash or somebody may have said it. It's been ten years since he's had a match. His last match was a Royal Rumble. He's coming back at the Royal Rumble. This is his story. So, yeah, I, I'll Where, say where's the Royal Rumble. What? Where's the Royal Rumble? Tampa. Okay, right in my backyard, man. Yeah, you should be there. Uh, I should. The last thing I'll say, we say this like every year since like that one Rumble where Goldberg and Undertaker and all those guys, and we couldn't figure out who was going to win. Does this have the potential to be one of the best Rumbles of all time? Because on paper, you look at everything going on. It's like all the people coming back, all the people who could show up. Yes, I think so. What do you think? I think it could be. I'm very excited for this. I'm excited for the fact that while there are on paper some really high, heavy odds on favorites to win this, 
there's easily six, eight, maybe even I'd argue 10 guys that could win this that I wouldn't hate. No, and there's and there's potential surprises on both sides that shift the odds dramatically. Sasha shows up, then everything you said about Becky goes out the window. If Okada shows up, everything we said about Punk. If MJF shows up every, then the, you know, the odds are fluid and DraftKings is going to have a field day with this shit. If these guys show up anyway, we could sit there and talk about this all night. Let's get into what we're, what's up, Tony. Last thing I want to say is look for Dominic to be in the final five, maybe even four. That's fine. Think about it. And that's fine. As long as, you know, he gets like decapitated at the end or something, that'd be, that's okay. Maybe not that extreme. That's kind of extreme. He could be he could be the last one eliminated, possibly. Punk eliminates Dominic at the. That'd be kind of fun if they tease like, "Oh my God, is Dominic going to win this fucking thing?" That would actually be very funny. That would. But we're not here to talk completely about the Royal Rumble. We are here to talk about Survivor Series 1991, the back half of Chapter 10, wherein we left off. We had just finished up with the wedding reception of the Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth, and some um. Some gifts I suspect that they would have liked to return, right, guys? Especially a Cobra coming out of the box. Um, This leads to a groundswell of support for the Macho Man Randy Savage that he didn't want, as we've talked about. But everybody's clamoring for him to be reinstated so he can avenge the honor of his lovely wife, Elizabeth. And this goes on for a while, but there, you know, Warriors nowhere to be found because he's already been. We talked about it on the last episode. As soon as he got to the back, Vince said, get the fuck out of here. Uh, I'm not even going to bother shitting on your head. You're just going to get the hell out of here. So <laughs> sorry, Pop. sorry, Tony, just, it, just, it writes itself. You know, this shit writes your itself show. literally. So it's your, it's your show, man. Just this is stuff you hear every day. It's like, wait, what? What the hell are you talking? <laughs> anyway, all right. I'm still trying to digest, not digest that. Just digest. <laughs> Whoa, easy now. Try what digest what the allegation. Okay. Um. So anyway, Warrior's gone. He's been fired by Vince. He's out of here. Savage has now got to get reinstated. The groundswell of support goes on, and we're off and running. And and it they drag this out for a while. <laughs> I will say that they play the, They they string this along. Savage's reinstatement. Jake gets increasingly more creepy and fucked up and um, his turn to the dark side is kind of like comes out of nowhere and it's excellently done. So you've got all that stuff going on. Meanwhile, the percep- public perception of Hulk Hogan continues to slide drastically downhill from where we were at SummerSlam, where the first, you know, he does the interview with Arsenio Hall. People are like, you lying motherfucker. And Hulkamania begins to really take a shit between SummerSlam 91 and Survivor Series 91. Adding to the mix of everything, the Nature Boy Ric Flair does show up. He ser- he signed in September of 1991. He's put $25,000 on the big gold belt that Jim Hurd and all those idiots. I think it was Jim Hurd, DJ. I was reading somewhere. He was the one who made the mistake of firing Rick. Okay. One of the dumbest moves of all time. Um, Rick puts twenty-five k on the big gold belt. Doesn't get paid back that whole thing. He's off showing up on WWE. Uh, WWF television with the big gold belt. So you've got Ric Flair shockingly in the WWF is something that we never thought we would see. And that kind of sets the backdrop for where we end up for survivor series 91, which takes place on it's November 27th, 1991, uh, the Joe Lewis arena in Detroit, Michigan. And this is like the first time they do this for a few years, but this is the first year they do it. This event is on Thanksgiving Eve, not 
Thanksgiving evening, but a Wednesday before Thanksgiving, it's like, we're all going to fucking school. Well, you know, I don't know about Tony at this point in time. I was in college and something like that. Hey, wait a second. What the hell? I got to go to school and now I got to deal with a pay-per-view this evening. So it was, you're off the next day. It was Thanksgiving. You were off for a couple days. That's true. It was no big deal, but it was like, it was kind of weird. Wednesday night pay-per-view. This was my second ever uh, watching a pay-per-view live. There you go. Um, there, there had been a spherical object with equal sides and dimensions that was colored very darkly that was brought into uh, my life that allowed us to watch these certain things. I you were talking um, about an alien abduction or something. No, I was like, did, I, they, did, did you get probed? I, yeah, I was I'm wondering sure the same thing, DJ. <laughs> I'm not sure if you understand what I'm talking about. That's as specific as I'll get. Yes, I, I um, think I, I think I, I, I smell what you're cooking there, uh, so Mr. Sparrow. I'll, I'll, I'll preface a future conversation. And it also, so here, let, I'll go even deeper. Um, my parents got divorced when I was really young, but <clears throat> so I'm over by my mom and stepdad for the weekend for Thanksgiving. I'm not supposed to be there Tuesday night. I end up being there through Tuesday night. Do you see what I'm saying? Because we had, and, and it's really crazy. It's, it was one of my favorite childhood memories. So I just had to. Okay. Okay. Sweet. Tony was abducted by aliens. Yeah. It was a good time. He That's was, what I got out of this. He was probed I, and it got deeper as it went good. along. Yeah, I got it. We okay. had, and, and, and it was a childhood memory that he adores. I got it. <laughs> we, had, we had better access to viewing WWE. So I stayed over by my mom's longer than I was. <laughs> ah, I got exactly what you're saying. Thank you for clarifying that, Tony. <laughs> All right, Captain Jack. Um, Where's my realm? Parlay. Part of the problem with this event. And we talked about it in pre-show a little bit is that this event's going on on Wednesday and in just a few days and it gets advertised heavily the whole fucking time is another event taking place called this Tuesday in Texas, San Antonio, Texas on the following Tuesday, which is I don't even know what the hell the date of it was, Tony. I'm sure you'll look it up for December 3rd, (laughs) December 3rd, this Tuesday in Texas. And in a lot of ways, this is a two part pay-per-view. And although we're not going to cover Tuesday in Texas in excruciating detail, we will talk about it. Um, A lot of Survivor Series 91 seemed almost like, I don't know about filler isn't the word, but just kind of like a pre-show for this Tuesday in Texas, including two very important moments that we're going to get to in a moment. (coughs) It's a second here, but on commentary for this event, we get Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon, one of the best commentary teams of all time. Before the event gets going, they start to build up. They start to build to Tuesday night in Texas here on Survivor Series 91 because we get the footage of the very infamous um, attack by Jake the Snake Roberts on the Macho Man Randy Savage, the King Cobra biting Randy's uh, bicep. Um, Savage is reinstated at this exact moment. But here's the part that fucks this whole... This is one of the bad parts about this. He's reinstated. You've got this huge moment. With the King Cobra biting Randy, was it devenomized or not? You know, <laughs> I'm sure you guys looked up that whole thing as well. Um, the problem is that neither Randy Savage nor Jake the Snake Roberts is involved at Survivor Series, which makes absolutely no fucking sense. But they are going to face off at this Tuesday in Texas and San Antonio, and all reptiles are banned from ringside. This was a colossal mistake, in my opinion, to shove this. You could have built this up. You could have, even if it was a non-finish, let these guys go at each other for five minutes. And it 
doesn't happen. It goes to Tuesday. Isn't Tuesday in Texas? Isn't that the match where Jake slaps? Isn't that where he slaps Elizabeth Tunney? Is it at that match? Uh, uh, did he slap her? I know that she was like trying to cover up Randy he uh, after her. the match. He slaps her. Watch it back. I think that's the match where she tries to get involved because Jake's got a reptile that he's hidden and he's stalking Randy with it. And she gets tries to get in, involved and he slaps her. And it's it's I mean, you would never get away with that nowadays. But that was one of the shocking moments. But so I'll, I'll turn it to you first, honey. Um, at this point in time, you got Randy Savage gets bit by the Cobra. He's immediately reinstated by your uncle, Poonslayer Jack Tunney. Is that who? Yeah, big, big part of these couple of events. Yeah, he's a huge <laughs> part. Yeah, your your uncle is slaying some poon on this. Uh, yeah. Can we say that anymore? I'm sorry, but we're gonna uh, say we're gonna. Say, I just did, so we're gonna say furthermore. Ten years of dad ass, <laughs> a decade of dad ass. Ah. Uh, so Savage gets reinstated. Your thoughts on on this whole situation? I mean, the Cobra. It's it's one of the most iconic moments. And remember when they showed it when it happened back then? They had the big blue X. They were Xing everything out because you couldn't see Randy getting bit by the Cobra. It was censored and all this craziness going on. Uh, did they miss the boat completely by not having these guys on Survivor Series? Well, let me talk to you. Um, all right, L.A. <laughs> I don't think so, because I think they had the plan ahead of time. This is what they wanted to do. Uh, people were going to buy Survivor Series, and they wanted to get more money, and they did. I think the buy rate for Tuesday in Texas is almost as high as Survivor Series. So they just doubled up on pay-per-view buys. Um, it was brilliant, in my opinion. They did start, didn't they start Survivor Series with a clip, too? So, like, yeah. it's just it was, like. It was a clip. They, they showed everything yeah. that was happening. They started it with the, the whole, whole recap. I mean, I'm all good with that. Um, Survivor Series is not great. Uh, it, the, the, the first one's good, and we, we'll get into it, but I'm okay with what they did, seeing as knowing that they had a plan. They had to have a plan. They knew they were doing this. Why not? And and they sold it on the backs of Hogan and Taker and got Jake and Randy to accompany that to get you to go to Tuesday and buy it again. Yeah, I think some of the survivor series are very good. Not all of them are bad. I mean, like you're saying, the first one was great. It's been a little up and down since then. You know, they've had some, they were going to do, I think when they were first doing this, when they'd advertise this as well, to have a grand finale match of survival, like the year before. And they scrapped that, you know, because they're like, ah, we don't have warrior. We don't need warrior and Hogan standing in the middle of the ring, jerking each other off in anticipation of a rematch that never happens. So, I mean, not literally jerking each other off, Tony. I'm sorry. You know, is, is that too well, much for you? Maybe that's why Vince fired Warrior, because he wouldn't. Wow. All right. I, got... I, I, I see the Warrior more as a, a jerky, not a jerker. <laughs> um, we're, talking about two, we're talking about two alpha males here. They're probably arguing over who's going to be the jerker. Have you guys seen Silicon Valley? No. Nah. <clears throat> On HBO? Oh. Nah. No. Really? Oh, I would highly suggest it. Somebody's a pitcher. Somebody's a receiver. But... DJ, uh, let's go to you and say, what do you think of this whole th situation? Did they miss the boat by not having Savage and, and, and uh, Jake the Snake on this event? I would say no, given like I said to this day, and I have to be honest here, <clears throat> I have never seen Tuesday in Texas. I didn't watch it when it came out. I haven't watched it. I, I've never gone. And well, I've seen enough of the clips to know what happened and get the gist of it. But to actually sit down and watch it, I have not done that. So, but for this Survivor Series, back in 1991, I was 
18 years old, freshly graduated high school, young, dumb, and full of some stuff. Um, so I, I really didn't think about it in those those terms back in 91. Looking at it now as I've watched it recently, not a big deal. Really not a big deal because I thought the event was fine. I, I finished watching it this week. I had a lot of fun with it. We're just not going to get away from this uh, this C word, are we? Is is that what you're trying to tell? It's just it's just text messages and everywhere. So that that is the theme for the for the episode for this wow. half of the episode. Coming at you live. <laughs> uh, so so that that's how the whole thing starts with Randy Savage being reinstated by Tunney's uncle, and we're off to Tuesday night in Texas. Tunney, I'll ask you to like run down the card for Tuesday in Texas when we get there at the end because there's two matches in particular we're going to talk about. One of them we kind of already talked about. Savage beats Jake the Snake Roberts. Liz gets involved. She gets slapped, and that <laughs> ratchets things up. But, um, yeah, let, let's get into the actual card here, unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about. Tony, what's the dark match on this one? Uh, this is Chris Chavis versus uh, he defeats Cato in uh, seven minutes and 44 seconds. Who? Chris Chavis and Cato. The fuck is Chris Chavis? I... Chavis or Chavez? Sure, whatever. Who the hell is that guy? I don't. Hold on, I'm trying to. <laughs> oh, oh, it's Satanka. Sorry. Oh, it's Satanka. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Wow. Well, I hope... just have, it has to be. It literally cage match lists his his regular name. I didn't know. I didn't even think I to push his name. Never even thought of like, that. Okay, cool. Tatanka yeah. He might a... not have been Tatanka though. Yeah, at the time, yeah. he might have wrestled. You know, I don't. If and you can he... find video of that from Survivor Series 1991, send it to at Attitude Egg Please. or at PC Tunny or at the Mindless Wrestling Pod on X. Who did he beat? Uh, Cato. That makes sense. Um, well, is... that might have been interesting. Yeah, we are about to get into a Tatanka run here pretty soon. So. Um, the opening match of Survivor Series 90 is, you know, we get start off with the traditional elimination matches. We got the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, with Sensational Sherry. We saw that she's at his side. The Mountie with Jimmy Hart. The Warlord with Harvey Wimpleman. So we've got all sorts of um, managers at ringside. And they're taking on Ric Flair, who's got Mr. Perfect. So as Perfect's recuperating <clears throat> from his back injury... He jumps in, and now he's Ric Flair's personal assistant, the hitman Bret Hart, who is the Intercontinental Champion, Virgil, uh, the British Bulldog, and Roddy Piper. And why am I missing people from the first team, Tony? <laughs> like, wait, DiBiase, the Mountie, the Warlord, and Ric Flair. And yeah, that's got, four. That's yeah, four. four on four. This was a four on four match. Four. They okay, switched yeah. it up now. It's front four now. You're right. I'm sorry. Bret Hart, IC champ, Virgil, British Bulldog, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. So... That's the opening match that on paper is a hell of a match and it should have been a hell of a match, but it's not going to turn out there because as we go, DiBiase has recaptured the million dollar championship from Virgil by this point in time. So he's got the, he's got the belt back. Um, And the managers show up at ringside, right? But as soon as the match starts, they're all barred. So they're all gone, which makes it like, what? wait, what the fuck? Why are we even bothering having him down here? Get the hell out of here. Get the fuck out of here, guys. You're not part of this thing. Um, so, yeah, the match starts. They're gone. It's out. Everybody except Sherry, who won't leave and basically just says, fuck you, I'm not leaving. Um, she gets a big smooch from Roddy Rowdy, Rowdy Roddy Piper for her trouble, uh, which I thought was that fucking absolutely hilarious. This that is, was pretty funny. Yeah, that was great. Um, this is also Ric Flair's first WWE pay-per-view. <laughs> 
we got some salacious stuff going on. Well, not like other things, but um, this is Ric Flair's first WWE pay-per-view, guys, as he comes in at this point in time, and he's the nature boy. So there you go. Um, amidst all sorts of fucking chaos and bullshit going on, the British Bulldog hits the Mountie with the running power slam, but Flair's a legal man, not the Mountie. Flair comes off the top rope with a flying axe handle to the back of Davy Boy's head to eliminate him. And there you go. Ric Flair's first pay-per-view, and he's got his first elimination. You guys jump in whenever you want. I'm just going to kind of, because this first match is a cluster of bullshit. Um, uh, go ahead. It was a cluster of bullshit, but I will say one of the most fun aspects of this match was watching a psychotic Roddy Piper. Because every time Piper got tagged in and he was in there, you know, just taking over the match, he was incredible to watch. He was a ball of fire. He was absolutely just rabid to get a hold of Ric Flair. Like they kept teasing for whatever reason, Roddy Piper was going to be the guy that Ric Flair went up against. And, and Piper is all but salivating, you know, at the mouth to get a hold of Ric Flair for reasons that I cannot fathom. But Piper was a lot of fun to watch in this one. Yeah, I mean, Rod- Piper and Flair had some definite history from their days in NWA. They were they were allies sometimes, but they were also big time enemies at other occasions. So and Piper being the man's man that he was, was looking at Ric Flair like, fuck you. You know, real yeah. real world champion, my ass. Nature boy, my ass. I'm gonna beat your ass. So there was a natural chemistry and animosity between those guys. And I know it's all, you know, kayfabe to hell. But I, I understood why Piper wanted to get at at Flair. But um any in any event, Flair is going to eliminate the British Bulldog from this match. Warlord is going to lock Virgil in a full Nelson. And here we go. This brings everybody into the ring. The hitman is going to take advantage of this situation by leaping off the second rope and nailing the Warlord in the back of the head. Piper pins Warlord and it's three on three. So at this point, it's like, OK, this is kind of cool. It's a, it's a good match so far. Then things get stupid. <laughs> so at this point, it's good. Then things get dumb. Because the Flair versus Piper stuff, like to to tag into what DJ's saying, the Flair versus Piper stuff, I think is excellent. They're they're when they're going at it in the ring, and like you're saying, DJ Piper's just literally frothing at the mouth to get the Flair, and that comes through in what they're doing with each other, and it's fucking fantastic. But then as they're going at each other, and it's really good, and you're like, just as you're getting into this, everybody decides, hey, it's AEW. Let's all of us get in the ring at the same fucking time. It doesn't matter what the count is, except in WWE it does, even in 1991. Um, they all get in the ring. They start brawling with each other. Piper whips Flair to the corner, and, you know, Rick does this patented move, right? This is the Rick Flair classic where he flips over the top rope to the floor. The ref, however, in one of the more inexplicable things that I've seen in 1991 WWF, he disqualifies everybody except <laughs> the guys who were fighting in the ring or excuse me. He, he disqualifies everyone who's fighting in the ring because Ric Flair is on the fucking floor. He's the winner and the sole survivor <laughs> makes perfect sense to me. Tony, go ahead. This is in the back. Ric Flair going, I'm going over. You guys figure it out. And they go, okay, how about we all get disqualified? Rick goes, what's my paycheck? <clears throat> That's true. Excuse me, I, I kept the sneeze on there so you knew why the pause happened, but he was cool with the paychecks, so they did it. I mean, I guess Piper was cool with it going that way because he sure as hell wasn't going to put Rick over well, any other way. Well, Roddy don't lay down, but he'll get disqualified. 
Yeah, and I think that's exactly what this finish finish ended up being. Davy Boy is Teflon at this point. Not going to hurt him a big deal because the only real big thing he's involved in is a feud with the Warlord who got eliminated right after him. So and that made sense. Um, you know, Bret Hart's the Intercontinental Champion. You want to protect him. Roddy Piper ain't laying down for anybody. You got to protect him. Virgil, they're still at least somewhat trying to get over at this point. And the crowd is still very much emotionally invested in Virgil. So how do we protect all of these guys and, and Ric Flair still go over? I think this was the uh, the compromise that we came up with. The, the, the ending, it was a shitty ending to what could have been a really good match. That is exactly what I've got in my notes at the end of this whole thing. That first match had all the ingredients to be one of the best Survivor Series matches of all time. And I know like we <clears throat> the year before they scaled back to the four versus four, so I should have remembered that. Uh, but this had all the it had every element you need. You look at the eight guys involved, with the exception of the exceptions of like the Warlord and Virgil, right? Who are mid carters at best. You've got the be- the the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Who's the Intercontinental fucking Intercontinental Champion, as Tony would call it? You got the British Bulldog, who's about to be the Intercontinental Champion. Uh, you've got uh, you've got Rowdy Roddy Piper. I don't need it. He doesn't need any introduction. You've got Ric Flair, possibly the greatest of all time. Ted DiBiase, possibly the most underrated of all time. And who's the other who's the other guy in the match? I'm trying to remember now. Mountie. The Mountie, Mountie, who we don't. I mean, the Mountie's the Mountie. I am the Mountie. Yeah, at least he got out of jail. So, you know, that's that's I'm the Mountie. I'm the Mountie fucker. But Mountie's about to uh, become a intercontinental champion as well. Uh, in a odds odd circumstances coming up at the Royal Rumble 1992. But whatever the case is, this first match goes down. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, like I think DJ and Tony, Tony, I think you got it right. Rick's like, I'm going over. This is my debut in WWE. I don't give a shit how you guys figure it out. You fucking figure it out. That's all I'm saying. And they said, let's all get disqualified. Okay, that sounds good. The ref, meanwhile, is like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Tuddy's like looking around like, who? Where? Anyway, Mean Gene is going to interview the newly reinstated Macho Man Randy Savage and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth predicts victory for her man this Tuesday in Texas. Ooh, yeah. I I mean, when it happened at the time, Randy getting reinstated, I it was it was massive. And I know he I know he didn't want to come back and all that kind of shit, but Randy Savage, where you were, we were at WrestleMania seven, where you're like, well, it's over and you know, that sort of thing. And now he's back and he's going to have this big match with Jake, the snake Roberts and, and two guys who can really fucking go. And I mean, all right, let's do it. Um, you guys got any thoughts about this? Randy Savage reinstated. He's ready to go against Jake Roberts. Liz is out there being Liz. Randy's out there being Randy. It seems like a, what could go wrong? It's funny because you think back and, and, um, Ben's Ben's, Vince did have some great ideas like we're like and 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 we've talked about that like we're we're not going to ever stop talking about the wrestling side of it it's been so affected like this is the first attempt to get one of your major stars to transition to the booth before they are already unable to perform like Jesse's different right like he he had the blood clots and and he that's what he he had to do um so to have him come back, obviously, like Vince had his way. Macho wanted to do one thing, and Vince got in his spot, and here we are. So, I, I, I was glad he was back. Um, boy, that cowboy hat got higher. 
<laughs> yeah, he, uh, I, it's, ooh, yeah, it's all about the fanny pack. Yeah. Ooh, you. Uh, DJ, you got yeah. any thoughts about Randy Savage? We, we already talked about his reinstatement, but this is a pretty fun little promo and just kind of gets the juices flowing for what's going to happen a few days from now. I keep my, <clears throat> I keep my cocaine up here now. Ooh, yeah, I got <laughs> it up in the fucking bill. Yeah. So it's not, it's not just a, a feather that the little stem is a straw. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. But I, I liked this feud. I thought Jake's work in this feud was absolutely incredible. The The whole snake scene, I remember watching that when it, when it happened. And I remember going, how the fuck did they pull that off? Without actually thinking, they didn't fucking pull it off. It happened. You know, <laughs> he got bit. And, you know, Jake's lead into this. Savage's promo was a Savage promo, and it was good. It really kind of helps pull you in. In 1991, I wasn't thinking about because I didn't know all the shit about Randy actually wanting to retire and, you know, his marriage being contingent on him getting out of the business. And I, I didn't know any of that until decades later. So back then, I thought it was cool. I was like, okay, this is just part of the story. We're playing along. I'm going along for the ride. Randy Savage took some time off for whatever reason. And now here we are. We're going to be back to him wrestling again. Little would I know that within a year he'd be, you know, sitting on commentary, you know, maybe a little more than a year, but still, you know what I mean? Um, so it was exciting. It was exciting to see Randy Savage kind of get that redemption from this, you know, year and a half, two year long heel run that he went on to redeem himself in the eyes of the fans. I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And you think about where this is going to end up in just a few months. Not only is he reinstated and redeeming himself, he becomes the fucking WWF champion at WrestleMania yes. 8 that we're going to talk about in Chapter 11. So um, I, I want to go back to the Ric Flair thing. There is one little kind of nugget of information that I forgot to mention. We talked about earlier how when Ric Flair gets to WWF, he's got the big gold belt with him. But yeah. SummerSlam and Survivor Series, there's some sort of resolution of that whole thing. And uh, NWA basically slaps a cease and desist on WWF saying, Hey, you know, we've paid for this whole thing, whatever you can't use it anymore. So they start video distorting the belt, right? We all remember that belt got video distorted at survivor series 91. The belt he holds up that gets video distorted is the WWF tag team championship belt. It's not even big gold anymore. I found yeah. that kind of interesting. I know they distorted it out on the segment they did where ta uh, Taker ripped Hogan's gold chain off and left the cross on his chest. Yeah, they distorted uh, it they, there. They distorted when Ric Flair had it next to him on the uh, uh, below the steps. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were setting this all up. They could have done a lot better of following through with this, having, uh, you know, Piper and Macho and, and Hogan being together, you know. There's a lot of things they could have done. Yeah, but this whole steroid scandal is really you're starting to see it weigh WWF down and especially Hulk Hogan is the one taking the brunt of all that shit. What's up, DJ? Question for you guys. We talked a lot. I think it was last episode, last part of the chapter, something like that, about why they didn't go through with Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair on WWE television. And, you know, the, the going uh, narrative is that Vince didn't think that Flair was getting good enough reactions at the house shows for that to be as big a match as everybody thought it would be. How much of that do we think was influenced by the the waning popularity of Hulkamania versus the name value of Ric Flair? Because as, you said, as I said a couple, I think the chapter before, the wave for popularity in wrestling has crested. You know, we're on the downswing. We're about to head into two or three we're really, really abysmal years. Yeah. 
So I, I wonder how much of that was actually the the waning of popularity of Hulkamania and Hulk Hogan versus the name value of Ric Flair. I don't think it was any of that. I think it was the lack of uh, money brought in by Ric Flair-led house shows, to be honest with know. you. I'm starting to think DJ might be onto something. When we get to Undertaker and Hulk Hogan, we can talk about it a little bit more because there is, there is some stuff going on in that match that leads me to believe that maybe Vince got concerned that this is not going to be a draw because people are really losing interest in Hulk. And, and they were. And they were. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So just... Let's table that until we get to the Taker Hulk match, and then we can get into into deeper discussion. Um, I guess we have to cover the next match, right? It's do we have to? I guess um, you could skip to the, the the championship and then go uh, right to the we'll, Road Warriors. We'll we'll we will we will stick with the program. We will cover this. We don't skip the bad stuff. That's not I what just, we do here. Just, what um, I think is hilarious is, is that we all think the same thing yeah. about this next match. Colonel Mustafa with General Adnan, the Berserker Thank God. with Mr. Yeah. Fuji, Skinner, mm. and Hercules, Ooh. who gets subbed in for Big Bully Busick, yes. who was there well, and gone God. with his fucking immaculate mustache. He was gone quicker than a fart in the wind. Um, taking on the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich. El Matador, who the only reason he's in this match is because Ricky the Dragon Steamboat lasted in WWE for five months and then said, fuck this shit, and he's gone. Hex- well, wasn't his wife getting sick at the I time? Don't, I don't I don't remember. I know he wasn't happy about putting over, they, like, Taker and somebody else clean or something well, like that. that. And they made him dress up like an actual fucking dragon. And they never even referenced him as Ricky Steamboat. It's just the dragon. So it's like, he's Ricky Steamboat. You did the same thing with the Texas Tornado, but then they eventually start calling him Kerry Von Erich. Anyway, El Matador, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter, who is who, in, in, this, in the time span between SummerSlam 91 and Survivor Series 91, Sergeant Slaughter has re-embraced America. Everybody fucking forgives him. Yes, our hero is back. Open arms. Come back, Sarge. Come in here. I uh, want he, my country back. I, yes. And here we are. <laughs> there should be a movie. There should and be a we movie. are such sheep. We fell for it. Absolutely. There, there should be a movie. The Dragon Steamboat Willie. Oh Jesus! Why not? It's public forum now, or whatever. Sounds like an anime. It sounds like hentai, almost. Jesus Christ! I mean, what are we getting ourselves into here? Well, the theme has been constant throughout the whole episode here, so. <laughs> it's, it's pretty shitty. Anyway, uh, let's get into this. What do you, you guys are like. I know Tony's drinking a beer. DD has got a picture of this shit. Um, <laughs> Slaughter. I love the fact he comes down. He's of course, he's carrying stars and stripes again, carrying old glory. Like DJ says, sheep that we are, we're all just, you know, tears in our eyes. We're bleeding. We're crying red, white, and blue and embracing Sergeant Slaughter. Oh, and the best part is they team him up with Hogan or with Duggan. Yeah. How can you not root for Sarge if he's exactly. hanging out with Duggan? God damn it. And after all the shit that Sarge did to Duggan after he turned heel, it's like, <laughs> now matter. they're best buddies. <laughs> I was just teaming with these other two guys just a few months ago as a triangle of terror, but now fuck it all. So I, it's like, what the hell are we doing? You know, I, I don't know. We can ride this car again together, brother. <laughs> yeah, we can get it. We can get high in the same car, buddy. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, that's Sheiky baby, but he's in the other car. We got to get the papers. Get the papers. Get the papers. Um, yeah. Uh, Slaughter's going to eliminate Colonel Mustafa 
with an atomic drop and a clothesline right off the bat. So, you know, he's getting Sheik out of there pretty quick so that he can get high. And that's that's how that whole thing goes down. Um, Von Eric and El Matador. I didn't mention that, DJ. I know you were had said that when we switched from El Tito Santana to El Matador, you were like, fuck this shit. That was several chapters ago. So we are officially in DJ's fuck this shit section of the Big Four Project, right? We are. We are. As a Tito Santana fan, we are officially in fuck this shit. You have to retrospectively, though, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterback, look back and and Tito Santana's uh, uh, ring attire and entrance attire, uh, judge nowadays from back then is is phenomenal like the guy i mean it was he looked great well the commitment to the bit was incredible but he was jobber to the stars as dave would say at this point well his music was they they repackaged him to make him continue to be a jobber this was 1991 and i'd trade him paychecks today dj oh no doubt no doubt i'll be el matador i'll you know i don't even how do you pronounce his finishing move el pesco i don't know it's it's (laughs) whatever he does the whole it's like according to jesse it was the flying burrito that's the that's the english translation Uh is the flying burrito yeah exactly but i think we caused enough trouble on dwi and uh, hottest war this week um it's it's just carrying over it's one long drunken session for me we do we do we do get carrie von eric tito santana they do team up some nice teamwork is going to result in santana doing that move that i don't know the name of it i need jesse to tell me or whoever uh, he hits the flying forearm to the back of the fucking head. He eliminates Hercules and he's gone. Um, so this uh, leads to, at this point in time, Tito's going to make a blind tag to Sergeant Slaughter, who rolls up Skinner and eliminates him. And you can see where we're going at this point. Slaughter's going to Irish whip the Berserker into Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who nails Berserker with the three-point stance. Hacksaw's entire team survives in an absolute crap match. There's not much you can say about it. Tony, what do you want to say about this other than I'm sure you're going to say, let's move on. But if you've got any comments about it, it's the second time we've seen a whole team survive now. And uh, this one was not competitive at all. Even the Berserker, who should have done something. John Nord deserved hush. a better fate than this. Hush. Hush. Yeah. Hush. Um, this was for the crowd. And it did get over with the crowd. So I'll give it that. DJ, and you've now got his beard, at least. I mean. I do. The Berserker. The beer zerker. The beer zerker. That's right. Huss, huss. DJ, you got any thoughts about this match or is it just whatever? I'd rather wipe and move on. Sometimes there's not time to wipe, but here there is. So let's. Uh... This is like a three wipe. <laughs> there should always be time to wipe. It should be. Unless, you know what? We're not going to go there. Let's just keep <laughs> on moving. And uh, <laughs> like I said, this is a pretty crappy match. There is a theme going around with this uh, installment of the Big Four Project. Meanwhile, we got Mean Gene interview. Mean Gene is going to interview Jake the Snake Roberts, who is going to insult the intelligence and the intelligence of basically everybody in the crowd, um, who for six years now, and this is this is the brilliance of Jake Roberts, and it's just a great. Yeah, I can't see shit, Tony. It's getting worse. I can't, read my, can't read my own handwriting. I you the, brought it up. You and Patrick are the same. I kind of give you shit like off the side. You guys always throw yourselves Pat's under the bus. Got the right glasses, so he doesn't have to take them on and off. Mine are just reading glasses. But um, I love what Jake Roberts does in this promo, though, because he basically insults the intelligence of everybody and says. For six years now, you never figured out that I was the real snake all along. 
Thanks, DJ. I feel better now, I think. What a dick. I know. <laughs> anyway, let's get to this promo, guys, because Jake basically comes out. He says, you guys were worried about Damien the whole time. You should have been worried about me. And I love this promo because he's absolutely right. He vows to Elizabeth that this Tuesday in Texas will be the end of the beginning. So Jake still spouting poetry, even as a heel. And it's absolutely brilliant. So I love the promo from Jake Roberts. One of the best to do it. One of the most underrated to do it. What do you guys think about this promo? Tony, go for it. This is this is prime peak Jake Roberts. Like he knows what works for him. He he is um, aggressively efficient with everything he does. Right. Like everything means something. You, you look at like what happens with him in the ring with Randy and, and everything when we'll get, you know, whatever, but I, it just calculating precise, like a snake, very snake. Like DJ, I know you're a big Jake, the snake Roberts fan. This is some of his better work, even as a heel. Um, I know you've been a big fan of his promo work. what do you think here? This was incredible. And like I said, a couple of minutes ago, this absolutely sold me with him and macho. <clears throat> like heel Jake the Snake Roberts was so I loved babyface Jake the Snake Roberts and there was only a very very narrow delineation between the two but him being a heel was so effective and one of my all-time dream matches would be 1991 Jake the Snake Roberts versus 2020 Randy Orton like imagine the psychology in the ring you talk about methodical you talk about making a moment mean something and Randy has mastered that and I think it's an absolute tragedy that Jake the Snake is sitting there in AEW trying to teach people and nobody will listen to him when there is a school full of wrestling kids in Orlando who would love to sit under that learning tree. He's got a point, Tony. I mean, you know, those those kids in AEW, they don't need veteran leadership. They know it all already. And yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that would be interesting. Jake Roberts from 91 versus Randy Orton from 2020 or or like Jake from 91 versus like triple H prime triple H when he was cerebral assassin. That would be fucking fun. Yeah. One of the dogs is trying to get it, the pillow just right. And I'm like, Hey, enough lay down already. It's going to, it's not going to get any softer or harder. That's what she making said. sure there's That's no snakes down said. there. There's no snakes down. Let's it's just pillow talk, baby pillow talk, baby. That's right. Um, let's get to the big event here at survivor series. 91, the undertaker with Paul bearer, taking on Hulk Hogan, WWF Championship on the line. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with this. Um, Taker gets a lot more support than I think anybody was anticipating for this match. The crowd is much more supportive for this guy than I think Vince had any belief was coming. I've also read that Undertaker signs supporting The Undertaker were confiscated. There were at least going to be two really big ones that were going to face the hard camera that they confiscated because they didn't want that shit going on. Uh, it ties into kind of what DJ is talking about earlier, that Hogan's support was waning much and basically decaying much quicker than I think Vince anticipated to the point that a character like The Undertaker, who you're like, hey, this guy shouldn't be getting over at this point in time, is over big time to the point that when you watch this back and you look at the crowd, and you're like 50-50? 60-40, I, you know, there's way more support for The Undertaker than there should be. Is that a surprise to you guys at this point in the chronology of events that Taker had that much support going into this match? Tony's shaking his head. Go ahead, Tony. You go first. Man. 
I mean, there there's more of a response for an opponent to Hulk Hogan here than normal. But there is still a response for Hogan when he's out. I mean, and it's much sure. larger than that of Undertaker. Um, I I just it's a smart move, no matter no matter what you want to think, right? Like it, it it's Hogan and and to think that Hogan's against this is is ridiculous in any way. Um, not that anyone's saying that here. He's always looking to make money, right? So I don't necessarily know that it's even his fault that he is less received than he has been, even though he's well received. I mean, yeah, Hulk's got his supporters. There's no doubt. They hasn't. It hasn't been like they haven't turned against him completely. But there is a decided reaction to the Undertaker that doesn't seem like it should be there, but it's there. I, but doesn't that just give? legs to what actually ends up happening it does as we move along the next 30 years that's true that's true dj your thoughts i mean you were the first one to kind of mention that you know hulk's declining popularity may have had something to do with vince changing course for wrestlemania 8 um you surprised about undertaker's reaction at this point i mean he just he just helped jake the snake roberts terrorize macho man randy savage at the wedding and yet here's a bunch of people cheering for him I think in 1991, I was still Hulk Hogan fan, but I was one of the ones that was starting to, because I didn't know all of the steroid scandal. I, I read about it in the papers, but I was very head in the sand over what was going on in the real world with that at the time. I was still only focused on what I was seeing on my TV. And what I was seeing on my TV was Hulk Hogan's shtick is starting to get a little tired. The Undertaker is new. He's fresh. And he's fucking cool. You know, like the presentation, it got even fucking cooler over the next decade. But at that point, I'm like, there ain't nobody else doing anything like this right now. The Ultimate Warrior's gone. I'm looking for the next big thing to latch on to. And The Undertaker was the next big thing. Looking at this match clinically, because I watched it again, I think, last night or the night before, The Undertaker was really, really, like, Hogan was good. Hogan was Hogan good. But The Undertaker, you really started to see the evolution. This guy is starting to click with this character in the ring. Like, he's starting to, okay, now I know what this guy does. I know what this guy's capable of. And this is where I want to go with it. And you see moments of what's going to become brilliance in the next five to ten years from The Undertaker. And it was neat to watch that in its infancy in this match. And I think Vince probably started to look at that and went, wait a minute, this ain't a throwaway guy. This ain't a guy that I'm going to use to wrestle Hulk Hogan once or twice. This is a guy that if I treat him right and I use him right, I'm in with this guy for the long haul. And something that really caught my my ear and my eye was at the end of the commentary, at the end of the match, Bobby Heenan says, long live the Undertaker. Little did we know, 30 years later, that would still ring true. So I really think they Vince really started to see the writing on the wall, one, not only with Hogan, and, and fast-forwarding to chapters that we'll get to down the road, when Hogan finally definitively loses to Yokozuna, which I think is, what, 93? King of the Ring, 93. King of the Ring, 93. There's a big sign right at ringside as Hogan's leaving that says Hulkamania is dead. They didn't confiscate it. They didn't shy away from it. They showed, and Hogan saw it, because you see Hogan look right at it, and they ask, as they're escorting him out of the ring, they show it right there. I think Vince saw the writing on the wall. I truly did in 91, and by 93, it is officially in WWE, dead. Is 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 Hulk the ultimate uh, go-away, come-back success story? 
considering yes. Yes. the first one, right? Talk about Drew and Punk and Cody and everything. And uh, yeah, exactly. And I, I think like it is that run of the King of the Ring where we will switch to the Big Five project for a little while. We will cover that first King of the Ring, which has, I mean, one of the best King of the Rings of all time is the first one. And, and of course, it is the crowning of Yokozuna. But yeah, I, I think that the brain, he's not the brain for no reason. He could see something big time happening with The Undertaker. Um, let's get to the match because there's still more stuff to talk about after this thing is done. It's the match and then the stuff that happens afterwards and just like all sorts of crazy shit that goes on. So Undertaker dominates the match. Let's let's not fool anybody. It is the Undertaker whooping Hulk's ass for most of this thing. Hulk's going to survive one tombstone. And then he starts to rally and Hulk seems poised to win this match. And as soon as you get to that point, the nature boy Ric Flair comes sauntering down to the ring. Paul Bear is going to grab Hulk's leg as Hulk is setting up for the leg drop. The ref then goes to chastise Paul Bearer about this. Meanwhile, Undertaker attacks Hulk, sets him up for the tombstone, except that this time the nature boy Ric Flair slides a metal chair into the ring. Taker tombstones Hulk onto the chair and he captures his first WWF championship. We'll get to that in just a moment through a series of promos and, and interviews as this whole Everybody tries to digest what the hell has this happened. We learned that they're going to have a Hulk versus Undertaker rematch for the WWF Championship this Tuesday in Texas because Tunney's uncle, the Poon Slayer, said so. Few things, furthermore. Furthermore. A few things about this match, but, and I'll turn it over to you guys. What amazes me that I didn't know until I looked into this thing today, Undertaker's only 26 years old when he wins this championship. I mean, he looks older than that, but when you think about it, 26 years fucking old at this time, that's astonishing to think how good he was at 26. Um, Jesus, Hulk Hogan actually did get hurt. I know when you watch the video, there's absolutely no way in hell that his head comes anywhere near the fucking steel chair. Taker does a do great- you see, Do you see the difference in how Hogan takes it? He, well, it's kind of hard to explain, but- Hogan's left arm is over Undertaker's left shoulder, okay. and that's the way they do it. So Hogan props his head up. It's not even close to coming to the mat. It's not, but they did say, and Undertaker did everything he was supposed to do to protect Hulk from that. But Hulk did say that his neck got caught in a bad position the way that Undertaker positioned him. He didn't hit the chair, but Hulk was hurt. He wasn't. He was incoherent. He was, of course, able to wrestle a few days later. But Hulk legitimately says... He doesn't say he got hit. He didn't hit the chair, but his neck, he got like a jam or a neck jam or neck. And, jam. and Andre was 700 pounds when he slammed him. Yeah, it was yeah. bullshit. Go back. I just watched it. I watched it like 45 minutes before we started today. I started, I watched it the night before last and Hogan's head never fucking. Not even close. Oh, it's it's like, never close. It's like, it's, it's over a foot away. It like he so like normally guys get into that and they hug Taker around the waist with both arms. Hogan left his left arm up over Taker's left shoulder yeah. and hold him up on that. So think about that. The both arms aren't wrapped around Taker. One arm is up over his shoulder where he would hold himself up. I specifically noticed that it's the the most glaring detail of what we're talking about. Right and. I mean, a few things about this. The Undertaker, it's his first WWF championship reign. It'll be a few years before he gets a second one. It's the end of Hulk's third WWF championship reign. 
Undertaker's 26 years old on top of the world. To go back to DJ's point that, you know, Vince saw something in Taker. He had to see something in Taker to have a 26-year-old relative unknown. Well, not unknown. He's been around for a year now. It's been a year he's been in WWF. Vince saw enough in him to say, I'm going to put you over the greatest of all fucking time. And and to be clear, this is a guy who was released from WCW because I think it was uh, Ole Anderson looked at him and said, you'll never draw a dime. (laughs) Good call, Ole. Go ahead, Tony. If you look at him in the face, you can see like he's got some side beard going on. He can't grow a mustache. There's no, there's no hair on his arms, but they're fucking cut the fuck up more than they ever will be moving forward. So this looks like a like, uh, like a young man to me. That's taking it seriously. And he's taking the world by storm. I mean, you know, it's it's right. not the kind of champion that Vince would, you know, training, seer, prayers, vitamins, the Hulk Hogan mystique. You're going 180 degrees in the opposite direction with this character. Is this the most heel champion he's ever had? At that point, yeah, even more heel than Macho. Yeah, but Macho was a champion for like an eye eyelash, a flicker of nothing. By because no, he, tur- I mean, he turns like, heel, and three months later, he's gone. He's, you know? he's an Undertaker. I mean, you know, like not just include like what you're selling, but like who he is. No, think about well, it. what's so, incredible about the Undertaker is that anyone else, this gimmick is dead in the water in six months. Well, like, it's such a stupid idea on paper. Like, why the fuck would an Undertaker wrestle? Like let's let's put over the urn as well. The idea, oh, yeah, the whole package, and Paul Bearer and what Paul they Bear. do is like you. It yeah, it's it, it's it's a perfect storm and a total package of all three elements. Lightning in a bottle. I, yep. The only champion I could think who had as much heat on Taker coming, you know, up to this point would be the Iron Sheik before Hulk Hogan beat him. Because man, people. I mean, if you're not counting Ivan Koloff and his beating right. San Martino. And that's, like, and that's like a whole different type too. It's a whole different era. Cause I, I didn't check into WWE until Hulk Hogan beat the Sheik. I mean, that's where I checked right. in. And even then I wasn't really like in deep cause I watched NWA. So I, I wasn't, I, my dad tells, cause my, my dad's era was the Bob Backlund's and the Bruno San Martino's. And he told me that Bob Backlund was a pretty big deal. Awesome. So to him, yeah. The Iron Sheik beating Bob Backlund was a big fucking deal. Six years. I mean, they are not. No one's going to talk about it now because we got isolated Roman beating Hogan. But Backlund was a champion for six years and beat everybody, including Hulk Hogan. So, um, but he's boring though. I know he's he's very milk toast and nothing there. He's Howdy Doody. Jesse called him Howdy Doody for good reason because he looked like Howdy I mean, Doody. Vaseline on toast. Yeah, but his heel run was you just incredible. Had to, you had to bring Vaseline into this conversation, didn't you? God damn. Um, We're back dead. to rectal exams. Decade <laughs> dead ass, man. But, Never um, stop selling. Taker got a big pop when this decision comes down. But I agree with you, Tony. He's the biggest heel champion that Vince has had in this WrestleMania era by far. By far. This is like, a, this is not normal. But all the controversy about the match, how it went down, Ric Flair's involvement, we're going to have a rematch at Tuesday in Texas, which is going to be an even bigger clusterfuck, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, you guys got any more thoughts Undertaker capturing his first championship? I mean, I know we've we've touched on it a lot here. Um, it's it's the first of several for him. Taker was always... One thing about Taker, though, is like it was never really about championships with him. I mean, they came along here and there, and that was cool when they did. It was the mystique and the streak, and that's what Undertaker was really about. Is he the biggest draw ever without a championship? 
without a doubt. Because the streak was his championship all on its own, right? And a bigger, arguably, the WrestleMania streak was bigger than any title. Bigger there were WrestleManias that I watched just to, to watch the streak where the, the, the World Heavyweight Championship at the time was secondary to me. So that means he is the modern-day Andre. Yes. 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 Yep. Good analogy. Excellent. Very well done, Ty. Good. Ring the bell. Ring the bell for yourself. No, no, I get to get another beer. All right. He's going to crack a beer. He does the beer crack for himself. Everybody else gets the bell. Yeah, we're going to we're gonna keep cracking on uh, the rest of this card because it's uh, the best part of the card is over, and we're like, wait, we still got a ways to go yet. But yeah, I found it odd that this was not the main event. I remember watching this the other night. I'm like, wait, they're doing Hogan and fucking Undertaker now? And it's the first time that you have a match at Survivor Series that's not a Survivor Series elimination match. Yeah. You do, it's the first time they do it. And on top of it, it's for the WWF Championship. And on top of that, Hulk Hogan loses. And to really amp it up, we get Ric Flair involved and the, Underta- the Undertaker. So a right. lot of stuff about this is just shocking and out of nowhere. Like, what the fuck just happened? So... Yeah, I mean, in a show that's highly uneven, and we will get to at the end, that's a pretty di- big damn moment in the history of Survivor Series. And like the yeah. next, next year's like there's like no elimination matches, like one of them or something like that. So it's an odd couple of years coming here at, at the Survivor Series. Uh, the next match is the Beverly Brothers with the Genius, the Nasty Boys with Jimmy Hart, taking on the Bushwhackers and the Rockers. Now, this match seems kind of like who gives a fuck? But there are things going on in this match that are massive and are going to reshape WWF as we know it. We just didn't know it at the time. <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about this thing. Um, Nobbs is going to hit Luke with a clothesline from the middle rope. He eliminates him. So one of the Bushwhackers is gone. The Beverly Brothers then combine for what can only be called a shatter machine type of maneuver. Way before the Revival or FTR did it. They do this great shatter machine type of maneuver. They drive Butch headfirst in the canvas. Both Bushwhackers are gone. So now you've got a four-on-two situation. Shawn Michaels is going to, however, execute a perfect backslide, and Michaels eliminates Bo Beverly. And here's where things in this match start to ramp up and become important, and Gorilla Monsoon shits the bed. He doesn't shit on anybody's head, but he's going to shit the bed, which I know rhymes with head. And you guys you guys will see <laughs> twice. Tony is literally plucking hairs. His his forehead's going to look like mine by the end of the night. I mean, why does this constantly happen? I try to send signals <laughs> underneath the radar, and you guys just love to broadcast. It's like I I'd be better off not saying a word and just talking. You know what's my funny signals. about this shit is now Tony's playing good cop. You know, it's even you know, funnier. It's a good cop, bad cop, and now he's all good the cop, shit, Tony. All the shit said about Vince, that's the one I have the hardest one believing in. He does this shit with hands. Patrick O'Dowd, too. We get on there when Patrick's oh, not short, on the bandwagon short nerds. Sunday. And we all short play the Sunday when Tony's DJ. like, yeah. hey, Patrick, I was the good one. Yeah. Bullshit. Show up Sunday. DJ, you should have paid well attention to Dave's ask of whether or not uh, face or heel Tony's going to show up exactly. Sunday. Can we do some housekeeping? Is DJ coming on bandwagon Are you coming on Sunday, DJ? Let me see. I've been pushing my luck with all the podcasts I've done this week. All right, all right. <laughs> um, I think if I, I think if I try to run another one past my booking manager, we may have to have a creative I'll, meeting. I'll, hey. Dave, I'll work on I'll work on DP. Please do. She's asking about bringing you fucking drinks, DJ. You've got her on lock, baby. And now that so. and now that DP, 
And now that DP's going to be there, maybe DJ's like, oh, now I got to be there. I got to be there. If DP's making oh, it, God, if Dave and DP and everybody's going to be there, I may have to. Maybe I'll do a run in. But what about that? Run in, you run in, run, run in, run in. DJ run in, yeah. Um, what I was going to say is where we're going with Gorilla is he plays up some potential issues with the Rockers. He's questioning as this match is going on, Janetti, basically just questioning him in general, his basic existence, kind of. And then he starts questioning. Why won't Sean tag out? Sean has all these opportunities to tag out to Marty Jannetty, and he just doesn't do it. It goes on for fucking ever. And then just moments later, with there's five guys, yeah, five guys are remaining in this match at this point. You know, three on one side, two on the other. Um, Jannetty's going to try to body slam Sags. Sags' feet though is going to nail Sean in the face. Knobs covers him to eliminate Sean Michaels. Meanwhile. A visibly upset Shawn Michaels is going to get up, shoves Marty Jannetty, then tries to pump him up as he leaves, realizing maybe I shouldn't have done that. Gorilla, however, doesn't even fucking realize that Shawn was pinned, claiming he just abandoned Jannetty and walked off. And I'm like thinking I'm watching this like, shit, Vince, why aren't you in fucking Gorilla's ear on this end? Look here, fucking pal. You're announcing this shit all wrong. He got pinned, you stupid fucking gorilla. None of that happens. It makes Gorilla look like a bumbling fucking idiot in this section because you didn't even see what the fuck happened. You're trying to play. It's like, well, why don't you just give it away that there's a problem here? Go ahead, how Tony. much law is this? This is right before the is... barbershop incident. Right before it. Like oh, it's... right. In addition, what about Gorilla, though? How much more Gorilla do we see after this? Not much at ringside. They're going to move him into that presidential role. They're going to get rid of your uncle because he slayed too much poon, and he's going to put Gorilla in there instead. So I think I mean go ahead, Tony. Because I, I got a thought. No, 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 no. You're 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 picking up what I'm. You know. Yeah, stuff. no, no, no. There, there's I, Gorilla. Much love to Gorilla Monsoon and all the love in the world to Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain And I think Gorilla was slipping. Jesse and Jesse. Yeah, I, I think Gorilla was slipping sooner than everybody thought because uh, if you think back to one of the original Royal Rumbles, there's a part where George the Animal Steel never gets in the Rumble. And ends up going back to the back, and Gorilla's like, "Oh no, he got it. He got eliminated. He got eliminated." And Jesse, plain as day on commentary, Gorilla, he never even got in the ring, and it was very obvious to everyone but Gorilla Monsoon that George the Animal Steel never even climbed into the and ring. And you have to wonder why didn't Heenan save Gorilla from himself on this thing, unless Bobby didn't know what was going on either. Well, I think in the heat of the moment, he might not, because Bobby, again, and I don't know how soon Vince started getting in the earpieces of people. Um, now, Tony's wagging his finger. What do you got, Tony? What do you got? Bobby knew. But he didn't, want, he didn't want to make his friend, his best friend, look okay. on TV. No, but, no, but like, and, and here's the thing between them, like, it's all good. But at the same time, like, when it comes down to it, he knew it was happening. There's nothing he could do. He wasn't going to hurt himself. Is what yeah. I, he's like, I mean, here I, we are. I'm and, and sure they know where this is going. It was okay with. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they know where this is going. And, and uh, ooh, here's breaking news, guys. Vince McMahon resigns as WWE chairman in wake of sexual misconduct. Just well, broke on ESPN. Good. Great. Good. Perfect. Wow. Okay. Breaking news. That is breaking right, news here a, on the attitude of aggression. The right re- I got it on my watch, but now I'm looking at the whole thing. Vince McMahon resigns as WWE chairman in wake of sexual misconduct and depraved behavior allegations from, I'm trying to read the rest of this thing. This is just like literally live as Dave, we are broadcasting. Read, hold on. Dave, you read for a second. Um, you're listening to the attitude of aggression podcast, uh, big four edition. 
Um, you can catch that at attitudeofaggression.com, uh, Chair Shot Radio Network. We are currently recording at 10 to 9 Eastern Time on January 26th. We're trying to cover this responsibly, so that's why I'm timestamping this. Dave's kind of reading some stuff. DJ's collecting his thoughts. We appreciate you listening on all the platforms. Go ahead, Dave. Here's a quote from Vince right here. Uh, I stand. I got it. God damn it, Tony. Now I got to put them motherfucking monocles on. I tell you, when you're 55, it's just all downhill. Oh, Um, dude. Vince's Vince's statement. They told me I need bifocals. Vince's statement here. It's telling. I stand by my prior statement that Miss Grant's lawsuit is replete with lies, obscene made up instances that never occurred and is a vindictive distortion of the truth. McMahon said in a statement, I intend to vigorously defend myself against these baseless accusations and look forward to clearing my name. However, out of respect for the WWE universe, the extraordinary TKO business and its board members and shareholders, partners and constituents, and all of the employees and superstars who helped make WWE into the global leader it is today, I have decided to resign from my executive chairmanship and the TKO board of directors effective immediately. There you go. That is as live, that is as live as it gets. And it's what we talked about it earlier. One of the three grounds, one of the three bases that he could be removed from the board resignation. He's done. And there is, there, no, is. there is no way for him to come back this time. Absolutely cooked. I, I think he knew this was going to happen though. Yeah. Which we said, and we the, the timing of the Rock being instated where he was is very dubious here. I think he had a think, lot to do with this. Yeah, I think they had a they probably had to sit down and said, "Look, Vince, we can do this." They the easy knew way. this was coming. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. Please take the easy way. This is not going to end well for any of us if you don't. And Vince this, said, "All right." This is the last thing frustrated people want to hear, but this was well manipulated by the WWE. Very much so. I think they handled it as well as they could. And get the and now Bleacher Report is breaking it as well. So that's as live as it can get, guys. Unfortunately, maybe if I, I'm going to have to get this episode out on Tuesday, so it's still kind of topical, right? Can you, can you put this one up tomorrow morning instead of... Can you I, get this one up by I tomorrow morning? I don't think I can get it up tomorrow morning, Tony. God damn it. We just keep going down this path. Let's get back to the Big Four project because I, I know I have a feeling uh, there's going to be an emergency something happening this evening an emergency vince cast emergency dick cast or something like that an emergency shit cast emergency probe cast that's what we should call it i i can't judge i did pot as war all right Um, let's 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 soldier on in honor of aj belaz we will soldier back to 1991 back to 1991 if we can um so yeah so gorilla kind of gives away the fact that there's going to be a bigger issue here janetti's going to try to survive small packages sags that dangerous move the small package but yeah but (laughs) knobs is going to roll sags on top of janetti the ref is going to completely miss janetti holding the bottom rope as he counts the pin blake beverly and the nasties are the sole survivors (laughs) and there you go i just like what the fuck um go ahead tony i this is this is totally wrong, but do you look differently at Genetti's small package? Yes. No, the naming of knobs and sags. Yes. And everything. Like I look differently at everything now. I really do. God damn it, I Vince, really... you ruined it all for us. No, but I mean it was all it's it's it is. It's it, it's all Are you sexy. trying to say that Vince's knob sags? Is that what you're saying? <sighs> the man's in his seventies. Something about a small package, eh? I'm sure of it. Hey, I've gotten a, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of a small package, pal. 
Oh, you're talking, about some you're talking about in your, wrestling career, for in your wrestling career. I got you. All right. Um, before I turn it back to you guys to break down the end of this match, I will let, let's tie this all together. Just a few weeks later, it's December of 1991. You get the infamous barbershop incident. It takes place. The heartbreak kid is born. The rockers are history. So is Marty Jannetty, kind of, sort of, but not really. Um, this is the first salvo in that whole situation. You guys got any thoughts about, you know, the whole, the barbershop incident? I mean, one of the greatest heel turn of all time, quite possibly. It's on the Mount Rushmore of moments for me in WWE history. It really is because 30 years later, we're 32 years later, 33 years later, I'm sorry, we're still talking about it. Like I reference it on my podcast. I introduced Jason as the man destined to go through a barbershop window. You know, it's part of... He deserves that w- moniker. Yeah. He does. He does. Um, I'm going to go back to the match real quick because there was some really awesome, awesome wrestling going on in this match. Absolutely. I just watched it today. I finished the match. There was some great work from the Rockers, great work from the Beverly Brothers, really good work from the, the Nasty Boys. A lot of use of the, the, the cutting the ring off in half, a lot of really good tag team moves, a lot of good pure wrestling moves. Marty Jannetty pisses me off because as an in-ring talent, he was every bit as talented as Shawn Michaels. Uh, I think Shawn ultimately um, move for move. Now, I think Shawn was the total package more in the sense that Shawn developed a better character. Shawn was better at promos. But if we're just stripping all that away and going with in-ring ability, move for move, hold for hold, Marty Jannetty could go as well as Shawn Michaels ever could. And it pisses me off that Marty Jannetty chose the route that he did in life because I think they had a bigger plan for both of these guys. This match, the only complaint I would make about it is that it went way too long. And you can see that in the crowd. Like, the crowd is dying on this match about two-thirds of the way through it. They're like, okay, we've been going for about 25 minutes here. Let's fucking move on with this and see where we're going. Now, they're telling a great story. The 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 dissolving of the Rockers as a tag team, the dissension amongst those two. And there's, a you know, in the backdrop of that is a really good wrestling match. Um, but yeah, what could have been with Marty Jannetty will always piss me off because I think they had much bigger plans for him. And I think his, his personal behavior and whatever, and, and Sean had his own demons, but Marty just took it to another level and just completely imploded what could have been a really promising singles career. Uh, wrapping that all back around again. Yeah. The, the, the barbershop window incident is on my Mount Rushmore of all time wrestling inc- moments. Because looking forward and looking at where we're at now, the guy that was part of that, the guy whose career springboarded from that is now running NXT and putting in incredible work. So, you know, it's absolutely on my my Mount Rushmore moments. Meanwhile, Marty's amputating his own foot. Uh, Tony, your thoughts on uh, on on this this match? And yeah, might as well talk about the barbershop incident. Is it one of the greatest heel turns of all time? I would just like to react to what DJ said. I concur. Not much you can say about. It. I do love Bobby no. Heenan's commentary of the barber shop. Oh, I knew he was going to do that. He does. He he doesn't need Janetti. <laughs> I think Bobby was privy. I think Bobby was privy. You talk about uh, commentators wanting to know and not know. I think Bobby wanted to know, and I think he got to know. And Bobby wasn't a canary, Kurt. Um, so he got to know and he got to plan and, and Bobby was, because he was an incredible fucking storyteller. 
it's it's why we could do a a ten part series on Bobby and Paul. You know, come on. I'm here for it. Let's do it. Anybody at WWE want to make that video? We don't need the Vince biopic. We need Bobby Heenan and Paul Heyman and why, yes. they, why they rule the world. God. Yes. Let's a do it. Storytelling of that. I'll just sit there and watch that like five times and maybe learn something. Let's learn. Let's learn ourselves. The I'm air quoting main event, <laughs> the natural disasters in IRS. So we've gone from four on four down to three on three for this match for some reason. I don't know why. But it's a natural well, disaster. The story here is that Jake was supposed to be oh. on one team and Randy was supposed okay. to be on the other. There you go. I mean, because they both got pulled from the Survivor Series event and moved over to Tuesday in Texas. Now it's a three-on-three match. Thank you. I'm glad somebody watched this today to fill that <laughs> in and because I'd fucking I, forgot. I, I think I fast-forwarded through that part. <laughs> no, I watched the whole thing. But it's, it's a disaster. I tried to do my homework. The Anime notes. You're the man. You're starting to become like me now. Uh, the Natural Disasters IRS taking on the Big Boss Band and the Legion of Doom, who are the tag team champions, reigning defending tag team champions. Um, some big fucking dudes in this match. I mean, there's a lot of this lot of meaty, meaty men, men bumping meat, bumping big time meat. Exactly. Uh, Appropriate with what Big E's doing right now, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, unfortunately, most of the guys in that match can't come back for the match he's promoting because they're not here anymore. Right. Crickets. Crickets. You need a cricket soundbite. <laughs> um, I, I don't remember it. where it was. Ty- the natural disasters, they just recently formed, but I, I don't remember how it all goes on. But Typhoon takes advantage of the ref being distracted to his, and he's going to toss IRS into his briefcase or, or excuse me, tosses IRS his briefcase, not into his briefcase. IRS blasts Bossman in the face with it and eliminates him. So the big boss man is out of here. However, the same strategy will backfire moments later as Typhoon holds on to Hawk as Earthquake has the ref distracted. IRS is going to try to clobber Hawk with the briefcase again, but Hawk is too smart for this bullshit. He ducks. IRS IRS crushes Typhoon instead. Hawk makes a cover to eliminate the big man. And that's how we get kind of back to an even squeeze even slate on this one an irate earthquake so earthquake's just pissed off at what's happened he walks off with his tag partner eliminating himself and leaving poor Irwin to fend against both members of the legion of doom against the tag team champions he's not braun Strowman, so he's not going to beat both tag team champions in one match i will say irs puts up a good fight for a bit but then he's going to get into trouble and he wants to take the high road to get the fuck out of Dodge. Bossman, however, returns to the match. Nightstick in hand, forces IRS back to the ring. Hawk destroys our IRS with a flying clothesline. Animal makes the pin. And we end Survivor Series 91, fellas, with the Legion of Doom, of all teams, standing tall as the sole survivors. I'm fine with the end. I love the fact that the Legion of Doom got this spotlight in this moment to be the sole survivors in the midst of all this chaos, and as the show fades off into the back, Mean Gene tracks down The Undertaker and Paul Bearer in the boiler room. This is well before Mankind shows up at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, where the new champion bows to bury Hulkamania this Tuesday in Texas. And that's how it ends, fellas. Your guy, Tony, I will go to you first. Your thoughts on the final match of the evening with the Legion of Doom standing tall as the sole survivors, and then we'll wrap this up talking Tuesday in Texas. What are your thoughts, man? The road warriors are the hottest thing out there besides Hulk Hogan. And whether or not you want to believe he's losing his luster 
we're, we're shortly going to come back. I got the lust in your eyes for Elizabeth. Oh, sorry. No, I he never lost lust for Elizabeth. Jesse called him the luster. <clears throat> well, while we're going to run away from him for a while, we come right back to him at 10. I mean, like, so it's not like any of this really fucking matters. You know, um, I get the, the, the road warriors Legion of doom thing. You brought him in. You, they paid them a lot of money at the time, a lot. And they were going to use them in this way. And it was smart and it was a good way to try and get away from it. But well, also the question, isn't Detroit, weren't they built from home from Detroit? Chicago. Uh, no, East Chicago. Chicago. No, you're right. You're right. Chicago street fight. That's their thing. Never mind. Um, would you say Tony that Hulk comes back at 10? He comes back at nine. He's not at 10. I know, but he wins at 10. No, no, no Hulk's not uh, at 10. 10. 10's Vegas, isn't it? No, nine's Vegas. 10's Madison. Nine's Square Vegas. Sorry. 10, I got, 10's where I got Brett you. wins the title. Yeah. I meant nine. I meant I got nine. You. I got you. Um, DJ, you're, you're, I know you're talking about some stuff. What do you think of this last match in the Legion of Doom kind of? I thought it was, I thought it was fun. It was a good big guy, Haas fight. I love Haas fights and we got a lot of good Haas stuff here. I have a question for you guys. Where do you rank Earthquake in your rankings of all time big men? Because for me, he's the top five. Agreed. Oh, big men? Agreed. Big men? Top, eh, top 10 oh, for sure. Oh, no, no. Top 10? Top because five. I really thought. Maybe top ten, top twenty for her. Not really. Top five. You, you, you rank him lower than ten. I mean, top five. He was really good, man. I I really enjoyed Andre, watching him in this match. Andre better. Andre's, oh, number, Andre's one. number one. Andre's number one. Andre's number one on any list. Okay, I'm saying Andre Taker, right? Uh, okay. Brock. See, I don't look at Brock as like a big super heavyweight. Like, like I understand where Brock lays in the size of that. Yoko, it's probably Andre Taker, Yoko, um, Kane, Big Show. Is he in there somewhere? Uh, oh God, I, I don't know. Damian Priest. He's not a, See, he's I, not, I don't consider him a like a big. I don't consider him a super heavyweight. I, I consider super heavyweight any bit over four hundred pounds. King Mabel. Anyway, let's uh, let's. God, leave. no! The earthquake was bigger than was better than King Mabel. You get the fuck out of here with that, Umaga. <laughs> Yeah, Umaga, maybe. Yeah. Umaga, if Umaga. You're talking, if you're talking top 10 underrated big men, then Earthquake's in there. For- okay, then I'll, I'll accept that because Earthquake's got to be in the discussion. Because that guy, looking back, like in the day, I didn't appreciate it. But looking back historically, especially when you go look at his work in Japan, like a lot of the stuff he was doing over there, completely different dude. Like absolutely incredible worker, and especially for his size. You know, was really, really mobile in the ring, could really get around in there. And, you know, WWE did what they do. They, they okay, you're a big guy. You only do this X, Y, and Z. Meanwhile, he was capable of so much more. He's going to, I mean, he's going to have some success before he becomes, what, the shark in WCW? The shark. Jesus, WCW. Shit. Fucking shit the bed on that guy. Literally, shit the bed. Um, let's talk scores for this event. Before we kind of uh, branch off and talk Tuesday in Texas and close this thing down, um, I'll start off first. I'm going to give this a six and a half out of ten. Um, it's okay. That's the best thing I can say about it. There are some key moments involving Macho Man Randy Savage, including him being reinstated. It has the genesis for Shawn Michaels' unbelievable singles run that starts here at this thing. Um, Taker's first title reign, obviously hugely important and significant. 
Hated the finish of the first match, even though Tunney's booking decisions make a lot of sense. I still hated the way they fucking did it. Uh, something we didn't talk about a lot. This is the first pay-per-view in a very long time where the Ultimate Warrior was not front and center. I do feel like his absence was notable from this event. And it kind of drug things down. And I think the crowd felt it. And it just kind of had that feel. Where's Warrior? Why isn't he here? This is before the internet, kids. Nobody knew what the hell was going on. Warrior wasn't there. Why isn't he a part? It's the fucking Ultimate Warrior. I think that had an impact on this thing. It kind of drags the show down a little bit. I still liked it, but there's some definite issues with this thing. DJ, I'll turn it to you next. What's your score for this event? I'm going to agree with you on the 6-5. I was going to give it a 7 simply because I liked the wrestling on display in the the, uh, Rockers, Beverly Brothers, Nasty Boys match. And I enjoyed aspects of the opening match. Um, And I really loved the Hogan Undertaker match. Like looking back at it a couple of days ago, realized how much I love that. But there were so many other things that were lackluster. The the Sergeant Slaughter match was just kind of there. That dragged the overall score down. Um, So yeah, 6.5, I think is, uh, is fair. The gravest challenge. I forgot what that was, what the match was called. The gravest challenge. Yep. Tony, did the gravest challenge salvage this for like a higher than a three out of 10 for you? Or what do you think? Uh, the Undertaker's first title win, five and a half. That's uh, that's at least a point better than I thought you were going to give this. Yeah, match. I thought he was going to give it a solid three. That first Survivor Series match is really good till the finish as well. Yes. So and and I got to be honest with you, I kind of like include Tuesday in Texas with this pay per view, so that's kind of why. Okay. Because I really love Bret Hart versus uh, Skinner. <laughs> was that too, Tony? Get, okay, let's go. What is the card for Tuesday in Texas? Do you have it there handy for you? Can you read it off for us, including the dark match? Oh, I got it all for you, brother. And anybody who can just wear a pair of khakis and uh, tucked in flannel, unbuttoned so that it kind of shows the chest, but everything's tucked in as well. (laughs) That's insane. So uh, let's go. Uh, let Let me get it over to the other one here from the Survivor Series. Here we go. Dark match, the Harris brothers for the first time. Yes, Don and Ron defeat. Fuck are they? I I think that's that's Skull and Eight Ball. That's that's if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if someone can look that up, defeat Brian Costello and Brian Donahue. Shit, we are uh, digging, digging the bottom of the. There's ground. a, wow. there's we a are on the precipice of getting into some abysmal years. There's five dark matches, Dave. Oh my God! Sir Charles defeats uh, Dale Wolf. Chris Walker defeats Brian Lee. Chris that Jerry James Lawler's again. son? No, that's yeah. Brian Lee. Is that no, Brian Lee was one of the oh, disciple, disciples of Apocalypse. He ended up being the fake Undertaker. That's right. That's who, that's who the Harris brothers are, too, okay. right? Weren't right. they in there? That's they were disciples of Apocalypse as well. Okay. Exactly. Uh, Tatanka again defeats J.W. Storm. And Dark Match, Ric Flair and Roddy Piper. What? On Tuesday in Texas. So what the shit is that? They went 14 and a half minutes. I bet Vince's testing what that would look like at Mania. That's on here. Cagematch.net does not lie. It was a 14 and a half minutes before the first match on Tuesday with Texas was Bret Hart and Skinner, Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, 14 and a half minutes. Who won? It's I, would, I wish there was video of that. Flair, I'd love to Rick, see that match. Ric Flair beat Roddy Piper. I bet you Count can YouTube out. it. it maybe. No, he, I, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't say. I can't imagine. I'm looking. You guys keep talking. I'm looking. It's not Piper, so it's got to be anything but a pin. So, right. uh, 
Yeah. So, okay. So what's uh, the first match? Uh, Brett and Skinner. No, that was literally, uh, yeah. Skinner with the tobacco. We're going to, we don't even need to talk about that. We know Brett won. What's the next match? Randy and Jake. Savage wins this one, I think, right? Yes. Okay. And then six I think and six and a half. And then I think the whole thing blows up and that's where Liz gets slapped and we're off and running. And she's trying to defend him while he's on the ground and you get the second DDT. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Okay. So we know yeah, that, that one is going to bleed off into the rumble. What's the, what's the third match? Uh, British Bulldog defeats the Warlord in 12 minutes with Harvey Wimpleman. After that, I'll keep, I'll just, I'll just keep going. Uh, Reefle Man and Ted DiBiase with, with Sherry defeat uh, Santana and Virgil. And then we get to why I stayed over by my mom's longer than just the weekend was because we had another pay-per-view and Hogan and Taker would run it back. Yeah. And in this match, Hulk Hogan is going to become a four-time WWF champion, however brief it happens. As more chaos ensues, Ric Flair tries to get involved Hulk is basically going to empty the contents of the urn, throw it in the eyes of the Undertaker, roll. It's not even a definitive pin. He just rolls them up, schoolboys them, pins him. What's that, Tony? He kicks out early. He kicks out early. Taker actually. kicks out early. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Hulk is awarded the championship. Tony's uncle gets offended by this whole thing, says, fuck this bullshit. This is ridiculous. Vacates the title and says it is going to be on the line. At the Royal Rumble 1992, which will come back. It's going to be just, yeah, January 19th from the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. We're going to pick things up there, guys. And we've already decided in the pre-show that will be a watch-along. We are going to do a watch-along of what I consider to be, and many people consider to be, the greatest Royal Rumble in history. With a tear in my eye. Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to watching that. One. It's it is fucking awesome. And I can't wait to watch that with you guys. It's tremendous. You guys, any thoughts on Tuesday in Texas before we come out of here? It was it was it was an add on event. They've never done anything like that since then for good reason. Although, like Tony saying, it had a similar pay-per-view buy that Survivor Series did. Um, it certainly had big moments with Randy Savage. Liz getting slapped is something that you will not get out of your head anytime soon. If you watch it back now, you're like, oh my God, what the fuck did I just see? You want to you get the most heat possible on yourself? Jake did it there because, I mean, the audible gasp of the crowd when that happens is like, oh my God, it's, it's That's shocking. That's on par with Jim Cornette hitting Baby Doll with the tennis racket in NWA. It's worse it's the because it's Elizabeth. Time. It's worse. It's Elizabeth and she was much more... You know, Baby Doll was was big for NWA, but Elizabeth was on a, a much higher. She's the next time. Yeah. The next time they do this is Sean's wife gets slapped. Sean. Sean's wife gets slapped. Sean Michaels' wife. Well, yes. Marty and Sean were never were never married. Tony. No, 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 down 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 the road. Down the road. <laughs> Sean has an angle. I can't remember who is with. And his wife gets slapped. Yeah, I, I must have missed that is one. It Kurt? Is it Kurt? I think or no? Maybe. I don't. It's somebody. Somebody slaps his wife in the ring, like for real. Like wow. That. I, no, I must have been checked. There was a period of time in WWE programming where I was checked out. I guess we'll we'll get there eventually. But um, yeah, Tuesday in Texas was an interesting event. Uh, the the Hogan Taker match. I, I this one was both matches are really actually pretty good. This one had a weird finish and Hulk rolling up Undertaker to recapture the title. Kind of lets you know that hey, we are. Uh, there's not going to be a definitive, but it's under it's Undertaker's first loss. 
It's his first singles loss in WWF. Controversial as fuck that it was. Um, but yeah, the decision. Jericho. To vi- oh, Jericho, Jericho okay. slapped Shawn Michaels. I, 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 okay. uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, as controversial as the decision is, man, putting the title on the line is a, is a big deal. Guys, that is going to do it for Chapter 10 of the Big Four Project. Before we cut out of here, final thoughts and let people know where can they check you out on this rather historic episode of the Attitude of Aggression as things went along here. It's been quite the week. Um, we, we've all done a lot of stuff. Uh, it, it, I'll just say this. In times of great success and in times of turmoil, it's always great to have great friends. And you guys are great friends. Everybody, uh, Chair Shot Radio Network, all of your favorite streaming platforms. DJ, final thoughts on Chapter 10 of the Big Four Project, and where can people check you out? It's been a hell of a week, man. Dave, I'm alive. I'm a live wire. We're doing Motley Crue uh, things again. We got to wrap this whole thing up with Motley Crue, man. We finished up the first half with Motley Crue. I had to throw it in there. All I know is the doctor makes me feel good. And we there know it is. we know that Vince got in trouble for his 10 seconds of love. So there you go. I mean, 10 seconds to love or whatever it is. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the same old situation. I am on the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. You can find us normally on Saturday mornings. However, we had an audio snafu this week. You will not find us there this week. You can find me on the app formerly known as as Twitter uh, at the Mindless Pod. If you're so inclined and want to check us out, we are on Facebook. We are also on YouTube. Just look up the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. You can find us there. As always, guys, this has been a freaking blast. I love this. I love doing this with you guys. Tony, are you going to take a ride on the wild side or what are we doing? I... I just agree with DJ. It's it's always fun doing this right here. And uh, continue to listen. We're not stopping anytime soon. It's only going to get better. Anarchy in the UK. We need that pay-per-view. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for being a part of Chapter 10 of the Big Four Project. It is always a blast. On Chapter 11, kids, as we promised, the watch-along for the Royal Rumble 1992 and WrestleMania 8. A tear will be in all of our eyes. Until next time, watch for Flying Poo. You know, I'm just going to throw that out there to you guys. Got to be careful with that. You never know where it's coming from. So that's <laughs> that's going to do it for this chapter of the Big Four Project. I know I'm going to burn in hell for this, but it's it's just the way it is. Gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll see you soon for Chapter 11 in the Watch Along. So long, guys. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out TheChairShot.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, TheChairShot.com. All right, guys, we are back. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 10 of the Big Four Project because it was fantastic. And as you may have noticed, you know, Tunny... DJ and I have tremendous chemistry and that keeps getting better every time we do these episodes. And, and this was no exception. Um, SummerSlam 91, like I said at the outset, it is still my favorite SummerSlam of all time. I still think it's the best SummerSlam of all time. I think there are so many excellent matches and moments in there. Um, it is a massively face-friendly event. There, there's no question about that. The baby faces went over at just about every turn. 
But so many important things happened. You had Bret Hart winning his first Intercontinental Championship, winning his first singles title in epic fashion with that tremendous application of the sharpshooter to defeat Mr. Perfect. You had the Legion of Doom winning the tag titles for the first time. Um, You had Virgil breaking through, winning the Million Dollar Championship on one of the few times that title had been uh, actually put up for grabs. You had the uh, boss man sending the Mountie to a New York City jail in the jailhouse match. You had um, the last appearance of the Ultimate Warrior until WrestleMania 8 in this match and all the controversy that went backstage with the Warriors demands and how he essentially this is where the true self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior really ramps up with SummerSlam 1991. And of course, you had the marriage of the macho man, Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth closing out the show, leading to Randy Savage's reinstatement, which he really didn't want to do. And there's so much to love about this particular SummerSlam event that it really it's probably like the last truly great moment for WWE for quite a while. Um, And this show really exemplified that and just kind of what the transition that they're going through. Hulk Hogan had already started to sabotage himself, as you heard us talk about it. The whole thing with Arsenio Hall, the steroid allegations, Hogan lying through his teeth. He's not a good liar. We've seen that time and time again over the years. This was another indication where Hulk would have been much better off telling the truth. And he didn't. And, and that becomes an issue in this one. Um, So, you know, you've got that at one extreme SummerSlam 91, a tremendous show by most of our accounts. I think we all really, really enjoyed it. Survivor Series 91, not quite so much. And it's the, like we said on the show, the absence of the warrior was felt pretty heavily. Um, The situation with Ric Flair coming in, being brought in and his involvement uh, maybe was a little bit more of a distraction than people wanted. I always felt like, you know, it's it's in, it's significant for Undertaker winning that first WWF championship. And like we said on the recap, only 26 years old when he does it. The guy has his whole few. I mean, you think of Undertaker now and you don't think of him he, even when this happened. When you look at the footage and you say he was 26. Wow. He looks a lot older than that. Not and that's not meant to be derogatory. He looks more experienced, more seasoned. Uh, that is not a fresh faced 26 year old kid who you're watching in the ring there. And, uh, you know, that stuff was absolutely important. But, you know, because of the involvement in Tuesday night in Texas, which we did talk about on the show, we kind of recapped that with the whole uh, savage Jake the Snake situation with Jake slapping Liz and and that amplifying that feud. Hogan becoming the first four time WWF champion by throwing the contents of the urn in the Undertaker's face and schoolboying him, you know, just a roll up. Nothing more emphatic than that to get the victory. Um, and of course, Jack Tunney vacating the title and off we go to Royal Rumble 92, which we have announced on this show. That will be the next watch along that we do Royal Rumble 92 by many of our opinions, including mine, the best greatest Royal Rumble of all time. It is literally 30 Hall of Famers going to war with each other for the right to be the next WWF champion. It's tremendous. So, you know, we've got all that going on and, and, and the fact that Survivor Series 91 was the first one where there wasn't all it wasn't all Survivor Series matches. They had one uh, exception. They were all Survivor Series matches except for the last one. And the following year, like 92, there's like the inverse of that where there's only one Survivor Series elimination match. But, uh, you know, Tuesday night in Texas kind of uh, they were two parts to the to the pay-per-view. And, and, and it kind of just took away from each one, especially Survivor Series. It seemed almost like a pre-show 
to Tuesday night in Texas. Thankfully, they haven't done anything like that uh, since then again. But, you know, that that's kind of it. You know, I, I, we talked about it all on the show, and I don't want to get into that because there's plenty of other stuff to discuss here at the back half of this. But um, some really good shows on Chapter 11 of the Big Four Project. You've already heard us talk about it. We will cover Royal Rumble 92. That will include a watch-along of Royal Rumble 92. And then we'll get into WrestleMania 8, which, of course, is fueled all sorts of speculation why wasn't it hogan flair uh why how did we get to savage versus versus flair hogan versus sid did it have a lot more to do with the fact that hulk's public perception was that a bigger impact than we expected you know it was we've always thought it was the tepid reaction of the fans at the house shows but maybe there's a bigger thing going on and as we've covered this in the big four project and we've learned a little bit more as we've gone along all three of us um did the fact that Hulk had lied and the and the fact that the public was was starting to sway against him. And you see it in Royal Rumble 92 at the end of the whole thing where uh, there was a lot of people saying Hulk who and Sid pointing in the crowd. We'll get to that when we get to that match. But lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, that'll be an excellent chapter. Chapter 11 will be really, really good as we get into um, uh, Royal Rumble 92 and WrestleMania 8. That'll be some fun stuff. And then we'll be off and running from there for to into uh, SummerSlam 92, which, of course, Wembley Stadium, Survivor Series 92. Lots of stuff to talk about in the coming chapters of the Big Four Project. So stick around. We are going to go through a, a bit of a dark time in WWF here. Um, there's a lot of bad between that and probably WrestleMania 14, or at least Royal Rumble leading 97, that sort of thing. There's a lot of bad. There's a lot of good mixed in there as well. And, and you know, we'll highlight, of course, the great moments because there's there there is some good stuff. There is Brett and Sean at, at WrestleMania 12. There is uh, Stone Cold and, and Brett from WrestleMania 13 and otherwise forgettable WrestleMania. There's stuff to talk about. You know, there's WrestleMania 10, which was excellent. So there are things that we're going to talk about as we go along and we'll get into that. But now let's get into the part of the show that I want to get into and talk about. Some of the stuff that is happening in the world of pro wrestling right now, there's a lot to talk about. And I think, uh, you know, L.A., are you around? Can you can you tell us? Let me talk to you. Yeah. Exactly. Let oh, you, you want to say it again? Talk to oh, he's going to say it again. Right, that's cool. That's cool. That works. It's all good. So let's talk about this. Um, you heard on the show, we talked a lot about the Vince McMahon issues. You know, we... WWE leading into the Royal Rumble was riding high and they'd signed the deal with Netflix. Everything looked great. Uh, lots of speculation, lots of excitement about the Royal Rumble. And, you know, to mention, we didn't talk about it on this sh on the show. So I will comment here very briefly about the Royal Rumble because everything ties together. Um, Bailey won the women's Royal Rumble and we didn't get any Sasha Banks. She did not show up. And I've got um, I'll talk about Mercedes in just a moment. So she didn't show up. Jade Cargill did debut, made a big impact in her debut. She looked fantastic. I don't care what anybody says. All you haters out there, shut the fuck up. Just stop. You know, it, it, she looked great. Anybody who sits there say, oh, AEW trained her for that. No, they didn't. Just stop that nonsense. She's been working her ass off at the PC. She never looked that good in AEW. And I know she was in the three minutes she was in the match, basically. <laughs> Five minutes, whatever it was. Um, she looked much better and got a better reaction. Um, Jordan Grace from TNA, huge moment for TNA to have their champion show up in the Royal Rumble match. Um, and there's some really good documentaries about Jordan Grace on there who 
it's really awesome to see the stuff that she talked about and her behind the scenes things going on as far as her actually showing up in the Royal Rumble competing. She looked magnificent. She looked like a, a true star. There's something obviously going on between WWE and TNA. That's two years in a row. The TNA knockout champion has been in the Rumble. So there is a little bit of that going on. And, and as Hunter said in the press conference, the now much maligned press conference, one of the things he said was, you know, whatever door you want to go through and basically throwing shade at AEW and Tony Khan saying, calling it a forbidden door without using those words is just stupid and idiotic. Um, yeah, I, I get that sort of thing. And, and forbidden doors has been kind of this phrase thrown around that, you know, people get hung up on, but clearly the door is open a bit between TNA and WWE. And hopefully you get some more cross promotion of that stuff. There's a lot of mid carters on WWE who would do really well in TNA. And I think, uh, Nick Nemeth or formerly Dolph Ziggler went there as well. So, there's a lot of people who know a lot about each other between the two companies, but Bailey wins the women's rumble. She's going to end up challenging EO sky for the, uh, one of the women's titles. And I can't keep track of what the hell it was a lot easier when it was raw SmackDown. At least you knew now it's like, wait, what? I don't even know. But one of the two women's titles, the one that EO has a lot of people thought she would challenge Rhea Ripley. It certainly seems like Bailey has turned back to baby face. Um, after being attacked by the the Japanese contingent of damage control on SmackDown the other night, uh, Friday night, which, of course, we're going to talk about in a minute. So Bailey will be challenging EO at WrestleMania. Uh, that leaves the question of who challenges Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania. That's a big question. We will see how that plays out. Um, on the men's side of things, you had uh, Cody Rhodes becoming the first two-time, first back-to-back winner since Austin did it in like 97, 98. I forget exactly when, um, but it's been a long time. Um, he came down to him and CM Punk. Punk tore his tricep in that match, and he's going to miss WrestleMania, which, of course, you know, a lot of us have talked a lot of shit about CM Punk, and a lot of us weren't happy to see him come back. All that notwithstanding, you you know, I, I don't feel good about what has happened to him. You don't want to see something like that happen. The guy was going to have his dream of possibly main eventing WrestleMania. Maybe he was going to go against Seth Rollins. Maybe he wasn't. Was he going to win at the Rumble? Did they call an audible? Was he going to win at Elimination Chamber? I don't know. But um, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. And that's really unfortunate. And, you know, where that leads, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, I did want to touch base on speculation about AEW a little bit and the two biggest free agents who are out there right now. One of them is Mercedes Monet or Sasha Banks, whatever you want to call her. The other is Kazuchika Okada. Uh, Mercedes has been, you know, absent MIA for quite some time. And a lot of us thought, I and I'll be the first to admit, I adamantly thought Sasha Banks was returning at the Royal Rumble. I was wrong. I fully expect that she is signed with AEW and that she will be appearing pretty soon nothing else really makes sense at this point why would you not if you're wwe why would you not bring her back at the rumble if you could and there's been so many rumors about mercedes monet and and about where she's gonna go and i think the refrain i want to say here is there's a question as far as mercedes and kazuchika okada is concerned there's an issue here about money versus legacy and let me explain It depends on what's more important to you, money versus legacy. If the money is more important to you, you're going to AEW. If legacy is more important to you, you're going to WWE. And I think Mercedes and Okada have kind of the inverse of each other. 
Mercedes already has a legacy. She's Sasha Banks. She's in The Mandalorian. She's been in great matches. She's been in one of the most marquee matches in WrestleMania, women's history, women's WrestleMania history. People always forget, before it was Becky, Charlotte, and Ronda, it was Becky, Charlotte, and Sasha at WrestleMania 32 in Dallas, where I was there, and I would venture to say that was the better match, those three having that match there. So Sasha Banks slash Mercedes Monet kind of already has this legacy that she has built. She's competed on the biggest stage of them all. She's won titles at WrestleMania. She won a tag title. She was in the main event of night one of WrestleMania 37 with Bianca Belair. She has got a legacy. For Mercedes Monet, maximizing her money at this time probably makes more sense than furthering a legacy that she's already built that she can go back to. So if you're Mercedes, you say, I'm going to take the biggest payoff there is. I know Tony's going to pay me more than TKO, Hunter, whatever the case may be. So that's why I think it makes much more sense for Mercedes Monet to be going to AEW. And I fully expect that to happen. I don't know when she shows up. The rumors are that it'll be March, probably after Revolution. I don't know why you wouldn't put her on the fucking card at Revolution, your first pay-per-view of the new year. But I stopped trying to guess what Tony Khan's doing. Okada's a little bit different and a little bit harder to figure out because he has got that legacy in Japan. And amongst a lot of the American fans, yes, the more hardcore fans, the AEW fans and all that. But he doesn't have that WrestleMania legacy. And he's not the household name he could be as if, for instance, he shows up at WrestleMania and let, let's let say he takes on Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship. And let's say he dethrones Gunther and becomes the man to do that. He immediately creates a legacy 10 times bigger than what he has right now. And I'm not trying to minimize his tremendous legacy already. But you get that WrestleMania moment. You're at WrestleMania in Philly. You end the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion streak Intercontinental Championship reign of all time in front of those people with everything going on with WWE that we're about to talk about. That is legacy creation overnight. AEW cannot give him that. I don't care. I've seen people say he'll have better matches in AEW. Bullshit. I don't buy that for a second. Why? So we can go against Danielson, who he's already gone against twice. So we can go against Kenny Omega if Kenny decides to come back, who he had a trifecta of unbelievable matches that there is no chance in hell they are going to top that in AEW. Um, who else? Hangman Adam Page? No. I don't think that he's going to have that. Sir, Swerve Strickland? Maybe. Yeah, I'll give you that one. Uh, MJF? Okay. You know, that would be good when MJF comes back. Um, and let's get that straightened out. I have no doubt in my mind MJF has re-signed with AEW. I, I just, no. That's, <laughs> the speculation needs to end there. He's coming back. But for Okada, the money that Tony will pay him versus the legacy he can create by, in one weekend, that has got to be very tempting for him. And I know he's been talking to people in WWE trying to figure out, hey, what next move should I make? Again, money versus legacy. Learn that phrase. Memorize that phrase. Yes, I've made it up here today on this show, but I truly believe it is money versus legacy as to what will drive these two massive decisions. Mercedes, I think she's going to AEW. I think she's she already knows she's got the legacy and she can build upon that later on. Maximize your profitability. I don't begrudge her, even though if I, I think that she'll be used piss poorly with the AEW women's division. She'll be a star for six months and then forgotten about. Look at Britt Baker. I rest my case. Okada's much tougher. You got to get him, he, he, you know, he's made enough money. 
he will make enough in WWE to be set for life. And he can make a legacy at the same time. If you're Kazuchika Okada, you got to think really seriously about maybe I should do this. You know, he's not as young as Mercedes is, I don't think. Um, he's not an old man either, but the time is now. I think the time the time could not be better when he could be, because you're not going to have a reign like Gunther's coming in later on, um, probably. He's not going to be the one to dethrone Roman. And we're about to get into that in a minute. Don't think I forgot about that. So I think Okada, that's one I would not be surprised at all. I know a lot of people think AEW, he's got connections. I don't think he gives a shit. I think he is at the point now, where can I make the biggest name for myself? That is clearly, there is no dispute. I don't care. You're the, be the biggest AEW stand and mark in the world. You can't say he's going to make a big enough name for himself working, even if he shows up at Wembley next year or later on this year in front of 80,000 or 75,000 or whatever. It's not going to be the same as WrestleMania. Those are my thoughts there. Let's get into the Cody Rhodes situation. Cody won back-to-back rumbles. He was all set to take on Roman Reigns. Um, Seth Rollins comes out on Raw Monday, tells Cody he should challenge him. Now, we've seen Seth and Cody three times already. Cody won all three. There is a difference, though. Seth was, people were not singing Seth, Seth song. I can't pronounce anything. People weren't singing along with the Seth Rollins anthem, his theme song, when he fought Cody Rhodes before. It would be a different dynamic this time if they fight. However, nobody wanted to see that. They want to see Cody finish the story. They want to see him be the one to dethrone Roman Reigns. All of us, when Cody won, we said, that's it. He's taken, he's beaten Roman. We didn't think, most of us don't think any chance that Cody Rhodes goes into WrestleMania 40 and loses if he goes against Roman Reigns. Meanwhile, as all this is going on, the Vince McMahon story gets worse. And I I do want to say one thing as you listen to this episode, and you're listening to me now. In the Survivor Series 91 uh, recap, we have some fun with some things. And that is not to say that we are insensitive to what happened to Jordan Grace um, or Jordy, I don't remember how you pronounce it. The gal who uh, was wronged by Vince McMahon, and she's not the only one. And, you know, anybody who's listening to the attitude of aggression, you know that we can be, you know, we are very tongue in cheekish, have fun with certain things. And that's just the way we are, have always been that way. I'm not going to apologize for that. I will apologize if anybody got offended by thinking that we we're making light of the situation. We're not. We're trying to entertain. Um, it's a horrible situation all the way around. There is no doubt about that. So I wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, the feds are now involved with this. This this thing is is a, <laughs> I know I said something to AJ Belaz. He's like, oh, that's a bad choice of words. Let me just put it this way. The feds getting involved with the situation makes things much more serious, much more involved. Once the feds latch onto something, they tend to go, like I said, witch hunt mode. So this is going to get much worse before it gets better. Um I got into it with people on on X this week because I saw a lot of what I called armchair lawyers thinking that Triple H should have done certain things during the press conference, and he didn't. Should have handled things better, and he didn't. I felt like people wanted to have the trial and conviction of Vince McMahon in a Royal Rumble press conference, which is unrealistic. Yes, he could have handled a lot of things better. You've heard this on the special edition of DWI on the Chairshot Radio. We all talked about he could have handled things better. Should have just said no comment and moved on. Um, Sean Michaels did some commentary in the Vengeance Day, um, the uh, the Vengeance Day press conference, which I think is going on today. Shit, I'm gonna have to watch that too. Um, and I thought he handled things a little bit more diplomatically and a little bit better. And Sean sometimes is not the greatest talker in the world, so I thought he did okay with that. Um, 
it's a situation where anything you say too much of is going to get you in trouble. So less is more in that sort of a situation, right? Um, so again, I did not want to think anybody listening to this show thought we were trying to make fun of her. Um, and I'm sorry, I fucked that all. Janelle Grant, I'm geez, I, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I put in there the uh, TNA Knockouts champion name instead of uh, Janelle Grant. So again, that's that's bad, and I apologize for that. Um, we're not trying to make light of the situation. We're trying to maybe make somebody laugh at a at a in the in light of a horrible situation and kind of just entertain and make make somebody smile and and you know. That is not in any way, shape, or form designed to be a, a slight on the seriousness of the whole thing. Nevertheless, on the Survivor Series 91 recap, you heard in live action as it happened, the story broke as we were doing it, that Vince McMahon had resigned. And that's a big deal because that was one of the three ways you were going to get him out of there. Death, resignation, or incapacity. They have basically scrubbed Vince McMahon from WWE history right now. And... um. He's been removed from a lot of stuff. Brock Lesnar was implicated. He did not show up at the Rumble. He's been scrubbed, probably removed from the WWE 2K24 video game. Stuff that you never thought would happen. So anything that we said to try and be entertaining in the spirit of the Attitude of Aggression podcast does not detract from the fact that this is a really big deal and a really big problem. And this goes very deep into the recesses of and again that's not me trying to make a poor choice of words it's just it's the fact of the matter is the rabbit hole goes very deep with this whole situation and just who was involved who knew what did they cover this up was there a cover-up uh were people feigning ignorance uh john laurinaitis who's also been implicated threw vince under the bus in a heartbeat vince mcmahon may die in prison guys i and that's the honest truth once the feds get done with this whole thing um there may be, you know, for up till now, it's just been civil stuff. Vince McMahon may get charged criminally and he may get convicted criminally and he may end up in prison for the rest of his life. So that describes the seriousness of the situation in the midst of this stuff going on. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, gets promoted to the TKO board of directors. And then you have this surreal scene on SmackDown the other night where Cody Rhodes gets in the in the uh, in the ring. And says he's going to take the, I'm just paraphrasing and cutting to the chase, says he's going to take the, the title from Roman Reigns, just not at WrestleMania. And he steps aside for The Rock to make this dream match that we've all wanted, The Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 40. And this has created a firestorm amongst the pro wrestling community. Um, there are a lot of people, a lot of people very upset and very hurt by this decision thinking that Dwayne has muscled in, that they've pushed Cody to the side, that he has come in here, um, that it's just, you know, it's the same old shit for Cody Rhodes, right? And it makes you wonder, why did you ever leave AEW if you had to come back and do this stuff? Look, here's what I'm going to say about this, and I'll try to be brief because I know this this is running a little bit long now. Um, a lot of people feel very strongly about this situation, and they should. And I would urge anybody listening to this to please be respectful of everybody's opinions because we live in this age of wrestling tribalism where AEW fans and WWE fans get really, really nasty with each other. And it has bled over into this sort of conversation where you've got, on one hand, a lot of people very upset that Cody has been seemingly pushed aside by The Rock to make a match that... A lot of people, and I'm sure Dwayne is one of them, and the TKO board of directors may feel that 
The Rock versus Roman Reigns is a dream match and is going to make for a bigger main event than Cody versus Roman too. And there is a lot to be said for that. That is not a ridiculous assumption, a ridiculous belief to make. It doesn't change the fact that a lot of people think Cody has been betrayed. This is not the match they wanted. They want Cody to, to finish his story and end Roman's run in Philadelphia. And there is nothing wrong with that opinion either. There really isn't. And there are a lot of people who are out there getting hurt by this situation. Friends of mine in the industry who, you know, who I talk to, friend, people I, friends, people I call brothers who I've podcasted with, who I've talked to numerous times, very upset at just the level of, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? The level of just minimizing people's opinions, the level of just uh, insulting the intelligence of people for having a different opinion than you, especially with this situation has gotten really bad. And a lot of people are getting hurt and it bothers me greatly. My thoughts on this whole thing are as follows. Um, I tend to agree with the people who are upset that Cody is getting bypassed, but I'll throw a caveat out there. We don't know the full story. It has been literally three days as I'm recording this, not even two days since SmackDown, less than 48 hours since this happened. TMZ is covering this. There's a firestorm of we want Cody hashtags going everywhere. Lots of people upset about this. We don't know what they have planned. And I, urge you and stress to you we don't know the full story <clears throat> we don't know is that was this was this deliberately designed to elicit this groundswell of support for cody Rhodes that he probably already had and didn't really need um are we moving towards a triple threat what exactly are we doing here um we don't know what will they will they alter course uh, there's, of course, the big belief that they want The Rock versus Roman at 40 so that Roman beats him and holds the title longer and passes Hogan's reign. And then Cody gets it at 41. And look, you may not like it right now, but if it goes down that way and Cody perseveres and he's the one a year from now to beat Roman's to end the run, after, you know, as Roman gets beyond Hulk Hogan and you start to think about Backlund, you know, Backlund's reign would be a target. Now, no one really cares about him beating Backlund's reign as much as Hogan's. But if Cody is the one who beats Roman at 41, wherever it's going to be, and finishes the story at that point in time, everything that Cody has gone through, talked about money versus legacy earlier, Cody wins that match in wherever 41 is going to be to end this run. He's a legend, a bigger legend than he is already. And and that's what I, I, I caution you. Yes, one thing WWE has been getting better at since Vince stepped out of the way and Hunter's good at it, long-term booking. This long run of Gunther, the long run of Roman Reigns, the bloodline storyline that's still going on. They have done a much better job of this long-term booking. Cody Rhodes may be a long-term booking kind of situation and there's a lot of people who want the immediate gratification and i get that i get that why would we have cody win twice in a row if we were just gonna fuck it all over and bypass him to give him to Dwayne? i understand that there is a significant chance that there is a bigger story being told here you may not like the middle part of the book here but think about wrestlemania 39 so many people upset cody didn't win there and now you look at what they've done a year later Cody's beaten Brock Lesnar. He's done everything. He's the first two-time Rumble winner. The groundswell of support. Cody Rhodes becomes a bigger name every year. What's it going to be like next year? Let's say this goes down the way we, a lot of people think, and it is Rock versus Roman. We know Roman's winning that. 
I don't think there's, I give Rock less than a 10% chance of winning that. Let's say Cody does beat Seth and becomes the world heavyweight champion. See, those two belts, I know the difference between. Okay. <laughs> so I guess the women's world heavyweight champion, and I don't know what the other one is called. I digress. Um, Cody wins a year from now. His stature grows tenfold, right? So I get it. I get people being upset. I don't like it either. I think Cody should be the one to end it now. But if the plan is 41, like a lot of people are thinking, WrestleMania 41 is where this whole thing ends. Imagine Cody Rhodes' stature a year from now and what he will have to go through in the next year to get that third, that second shot against Roman Reigns. The only problem with that scenario is lots of stuff can go wrong. You got injuries, uh, Roman fighting leukemia. What if that comes back? Um, things of that nature. But it's it's difficult. You know, it's a difficult decision because there's there's booking for storyline and then there's the other options and the other things that people are looking at. And I don't I don't have any answers. All I urge people is to be respectful to any, everybody's opinion. Everybody's got a right to their opinion. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. But you don't have to call somebody out and call them a dumbass and, and say you're the dumbest motherfucker who's ever lived because they don't agree with your opinion. And that's all I would like to remind you guys of. Try to be better people. I mean, I know it's for me to sit there and say that is is like, you know, Big Dave is not known for preaching, but I am going to preach here. Do better, guys. Be better people to each other. A lot of people are hurt. A lot of people are hurting by this decision. Again, I stress we don't know the full story. We're two, not even two days removed from this happening. We don't know where this is heading. We think. We speculate. If wrestling has taught us anything, it is that assuming things makes an ass out of you and me i know it's an old cliche but that's where i'm going to end this thing right now big dave's done i've talked to you that's it for episode 285 um let me give you some contact information get you out of here if you want to email the show if you're really pissed off at me about some of the stuff that we've said in this episode and you want to let me have it if you think that i'm naive for thinking that you know wrestling fans should try to do better and get along with each other if you love what you've heard so far, you love the Big Four Project, you have anything positive, negative, or anything in between to say, email me, attitudeofaggression at gmail.com. I'll be happy to read your stuff on the air, and we'll get into whatever you want to get into. If you want to follow us on the platform we affectionately known as Twix now, because it used to be Twitter, now it's X, kind of like the when the Bullets became the Wizards. They were the Bullets, they will be the Wizards, they're the Buzzards. So Twix, you can follow me at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression, Instagram and threads at Attitude of Aggression, all one word. And of course, make sure you check out all the podcasts at www.attitudeofaggression.com. And of course, if you like the show, if we've entertained you, if we've made you laugh, smile or cry, or all three at once, which would be a neat hit, hat trick to actually pull off. Hmm. Um, anything like that on this show. Please leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. It lets us know, and I say us now because it is PC Tunney and DJ as well. It lets us know that we're doing something right and all that sort of thing. That, my friends, is going to do it for episode 285. Again, episode 286 will be chapter 11. We will have the Royal Rumble 92 watch along. I'm not sure who's going to be a part of that. That'll be awesome because it is still the greatest Royal Rumble ever, in my opinion. We will have that. We will also have the recap and the review of WrestleMania 8. So it's going to be a good time. I'm going to cut out of here, though, with the closing moments, the very end of Bret Hart capturing his first 
singles gold as he beats Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship at SummerSlam 91, celebrates with his dad. You've been listening to the Attitude of Aggression. Until next time, wrestling fans and aggressionaholics, stay aggressive, do it with attitude, be nice to each other, please. We'll catch you soon. Nice block there, that move. Oh, he's got that hole half applied on the canvas. He's turning him over. Beautiful counter. The sharpshooter. He's got it. He's got it. No. flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.